Hey, I just want to let you know the following is an early episode of the Sleep With Me podcast. All our episodes are at sleepwithmepodcast.com. These ones are a little bit rougher around the edges. Didn't quite get the, uh, we are kind of experimenting as we went along, trying to find the best way to bore people to sleep. I'm not sure if we've found it yet, but if you're looking for something to help you fall asleep, you can check these episodes out. They might not be as good as the current ones, or they might be. Your choice, go ahead and find out. But I just want to let you know. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope we help you fall asleep. Hey, welcome to the Sleep With Me podcast. I'm Dear Scooter, and I want to put you to sleep. If you have trouble falling asleep, tossing and turning, thoughts racing, then you've come to the right place. The Sleep With Me podcast wants to help. So I'm going to tell you a story, or talk about a subject, and it's going to be just engaging enough for you to put your day aside, stop thinking, but it's going to be just boring enough for you to lose your grip on reality and drift into sleep. So set your phone aside, snuggle up under those covers, close your eyes, feel your body starting to sink, sink down, you're floating away, fall asleep with me. Tonight, we're going to talk about music, a song, about dreams, kind of. You Make My Dreams Come True by Daryl Hall and John Oates. Why would I choose this song? It's got dreams in the title. It's catchy, boppy, gets stuck in your head. Feels like the opening of an 80s sitcom with Balky running into Larry head first. Uh, he's seen it used creatively in like 500 Days of Summer. Saturday Night Live did it when Obama was running against McCain. And I've always wondered, what's what's the song about? Do you make my dreams come true? Is this a love song or is it like Hall singing to Oates in appreciation? And you might be saying to yourself, Dude, Hall and Oates, they don't make deep music. Well, you just lie back and relax, and I'll investigate. Let's start with the lyrics. And I'm going to try not to crack up on these first two. If you're awake, try not to crack up. If you're asleep, I am not trying to put subconscious messages in your head yet. What I want... You've got, and it might be hard to handle, like a flame that burns the candle. The candle feeds the flame. Yeah, yeah. What I've got, full stock of thoughts and dreams that scatter. Then you pull them all together. And how? I can't explain. Oh, yeah, you, 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 make my dreams come true, etc. So we've got some candle flame imagery. It's not an easy relationship. But it seems to be working, pulling it together. Second verse. On a night when bad dreams become a screamer, when they're messing with the dreamer, I can laugh it in the face, twist and shout my way out, and wrap yourself around me, 
Cause I ain't the way you found me, and I'll never be the same. Oh yeah, you, 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 you know. So you got Nightmare, Afraid, Mother, Safety, Security type things. Hmm, okay. I'm buying a love song so far. Uh, third verse. What I, I, I had I struggled with trying to figure it out. So let me lay it on you. I'm down in my daydream. Oh yeah, that sleepwalk should be over by now. I know. About you. Yeah, yeah, you make my dreams come true. So, something about more sleep references. So, first glance, we've got a love song. But my gut is screaming, uh, oh. It's, it's saying that th- this should be one of those like songs that has the title, You Make My Dreams parentheses like those I think U2 has a lot of songs with parentheses and in parentheses it should be Ode to Codependence now I, 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 I've had Codependence thrown at me a few times with you know people giving me advice blah 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 you know um, but I tried to figure out what it meant I've, I've got my uh, cop, copy of DSVM4TR here no Codependence in there and don't bother with the DSMV5 that came out. I'm OG DSVM4. Just like when they messed up Final Cut X. Or what, I, don't, I don't Anyway. Um, so then I went to Medline Plus, like the National Health Library. Nothing about codependence on there. But I know that uh, Melody Beattie, codependent no more. She's kind of the leader, or originator of codependence. The term, at least, and her definition is that a codependent is a person, thank you, Wikipedia, who believes their happiness is derived from people or one person in particular eventually becoming obsessed with the control, with controlling the behavior of the person they believe is making them happy. And, and a lot of times it's tied to addiction. So let's call this, like, pop codependence, okay? Um... We're not going to use it pejoratively, but let's just say, let's look at the lyrics again with that in mind. What I want, you've got it, might be hard to handle. Now you got the candle feeding the flame. So, one, one, something's getting devoured and used up by something burning hot. Full stock of thoughts and dreams that scatter. You pull them all together, and I can't explain. It's kind of putting it on the other person to save them in some way. And then, of course, well, you make my dreams come true. I think I'd run away from a relationship where someone was saying that to me. Then you've got the nightmare and the person saving them from their nightmares. And then more, you make my dreams come true. And then this, I'm down on my daydream. Oh yeah, that sleepwalk should be over by now. Uh, maybe I gave up my dreams for you. Something like that. And then this is tucked in at the end. I know about you. Yeah, yeah, you make my dreams come true. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh yeah, I've waited for you, girl. Kind of like, hey, you're trapped now. Uh, you know, maybe it's not codependence. Maybe it's obsession. So, You Make My Dreams was part of the album Voices. 
Hollow Notes' ninth album. It came out as a single in 1981, reached number 5 on the Billboard Hot 100. And this is an important album for Hollow Notes. This was after some lean years where they didn't have any hits, and they decided to fire everybody, lose their producers, relocate from L.A. to New York City, hire their own producer and record at Electric Lady Studios. And this was one new relationship. Their producer, Neil Kiernan, he would go on to produce more albums for them. And also they brought on two, two songwriters, Hall's longtime girlfriend, Sarah Allen, and her sister, Jana. Okay, did you hear that? His girlfriend and her sister. And Allen and... Un- Hall, Hall and Allen, Hall and Oates, had a, Hall and Allen had a 30-year relationship uh, that finally ended in 2001, and I assume it was had its ups and downs. But this is when my codependent obsession alarm, you know, start. Let's start digging into the Hall and Oates discography. You know, Sarah Smile, he wrote in 1976. For Sarah Allen. It was their first top ten hit. And let me just lay a couple of lyrics on you. I can feel you watching in the night. Asking her to smile. Telling her she's free to leave. Tomorrow. And then there's also one. It's you and me forever. And he, he, he was asking her to smile on the album. Like saying, smile for me, Sarah. That's something I say to someone after a fight. I'm like, oh, are, are you still mad? Or can you smile for me? Or whatever. And then there was another song, Every Time You Go. I don't know what, I think it came out on the same album Voices. And it was a single later. Every time you go away from me, you take a... Every time you go away, you take a piece of me with you. And there's other lyrics. Go on, go and be free. Maybe you're too close to me. So, is it codependence? Is it obsession? And it's something, it's gotta be, there's something there. Now, was it Hall, who was codependent? had a codependent relationship like he was the codependent is the third term for Alan like she made him happy she made his dreams come true or was it another theory I had is that it could be Hall in a kind of a a machismo gloating way that he's trapped Alan in a codependent relationship and he's kind of bragging or is it Oats for Hall or Hall for Oats? Um, probably not, but could be. Is it the three of them? Since they would write more songs together, Hall, Allen, and Oats, singing in unity, like a reflection on the relationship? I don't know. Or I have a little dark horse for you. Could it be Oats for Allen? Um, like thanking her for, like her relationship kind of sustains Hall. I don't know. Just let me plant that in your subconscious. 
or could it just be a simple love song that carries you away, drifting deeper into sleep? Well, I don't know. Well, if you're still awake at this point, I'm going to make one last try to put you out. So make sure your eyes are closed. And remember, this is all made up for your enjoyment or boredom. Mint. Imagine a John Oates. He's beleaguered. He's been working with this imaginary Daryl Hall, who's an artistic genius. And the two of them together make this beautiful music. But he's a nightmare to work with. He might be an addict or just a narcissist. But they've had these lean years, and Oates is at the end of his rope. He's emotionally drained and ready to give up. And along comes this woman, Jan, Sarah Allen, and her sister Jana, sorry. And this woman, Sarah, she takes on the emotional burden and, and seems to fix everything. So let's go through the lyrics from that perspective. Remember, this is going to be the uh, raw Oats version. You make my dreams. My ode to Sarah Allen. What I want, you've got. I know he's hard to handle. He's the flame that burns the candle. But somehow the candle feeds the flame. Yeah, yeah. Of his thoughts and dreams so scattered... But you pull them all together. And how? I can't explain. Oh yeah, well you. Thank you. Ooh, ooh, ooh. You make my dreams come true. Sorry for the singing, or singing-esque. Alright. Verse 2. All night his bad dreams and his screaming. They're messing with my dreaming. But now I can laugh it in the face. You twist and shout my way out. You wrap yourself around him. I ain't the way I was. Oh, man, I messed this one up. Because I ain't the way you found me. And I'll never be the same. I guess you could just leave that. Oh, yeah, well, you, ooh, ooh. You make my dreams come true. And then the last one. Listen to this. I think that's my favorite part of the song, too. I'm down on my daydream. Oh, this sleepwalk should be over by now. I guess I don't have anything more for you. You should be asleep by now. Um, you know, one factoid that's... If, if, if we go back to the old codependent, unhealthy relationship version is that this song was used on the for eHarmony, uh, the dating website, uh, eHarmony advertising campaign. So go to sleep, man. Good night. Really. Go out and make your dreams come true.
Hey, I just want to let you know the following is an early episode of the Sleep With Me podcast. All our episodes are at sleepwithmepodcast.com. These ones are a little bit rougher around the edges. Didn't quite get the, uh, we we're kind of experimenting as we went along, trying to find the best way to bore people to sleep. I'm not sure if we've found it yet, but if you're looking for something to help you fall asleep, you can check these episodes out. They might not be as good as the current ones, or they might be. Your choice. Go ahead and find out. But I just want to let you know. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope we help you fall asleep. Welcome to the Sleep With Me podcast. I'm Dear Scooter, and I want to help you fall asleep tonight. If you're up at night tossing and turning, mind racing, well, you're in the right spot. The Sleep With Me podcast wants to help you fall asleep. I'm going to talk about a subject or tell you a story that's going to be just engaging enough for you to set your troubles aside and forget about your day, but just boring enough to allow you to slowly slip away into deep sleep. So set your phone aside, snuggle in, close your eyes, feel your body sink down, you're slowly drifting away. And you're going to sleep with me. Tonight's segment is an experiment called The Walking Dead. I'm going to cover the parts of The Walking Dead they don't show on TV. The boring parts. You know, things that they don't make the cut because they're not entertaining. But they're the perfect thing to fall asleep to. On tonight's Walking Dead, we have a few things to cover. Carol and her crazy smartness. Herschel and the North Pole. The Wire Guy's imaginary road trip. Rick and drinking water. And finally, we'll talk about some Georgia building codes. So, get ready to drift off as Sleep With Me presents The Walking Dead. Okay, a couple things you should know about Carol before we get started that'll help um, ease your transition in the stories that uh, sources tell me Carol was a huge Cheers fan Um, when she was growing up. She used to watch it all the time, uh, reruns and, and when the show was on the air, and she was particularly fond of Woody Allen. She was particularly fond of Woody Harrelson. So, keep that in mind. And before this week's episode of Walking Dead started, they'd called a, about two weeks before, they had a, a called a town council meeting. And the council members, they wait, um, before they go into the meeting, they like to all go in together as some kind of symbolic unity after they say the serenity prayer. And Carol hadn't shown up, so they're waiting to go in the meeting. And it was a little bit odd, because usually she's pretty punctual. And all of a sudden, Herschel's like, be quiet. And, and I hear something. And then just faintly through the door, you could hear this creaking. So 
So everybody, you know, pulls out a weapon. And they slowly open the door. And there's someone sitting with their back to them, going back and forth in a um, rocking chair. You say, who's there? Who's there? The person lights a pipe, takes a puff, and goes, Heaven goes by favor. If it went by merit, you would stay out and your dog would get in. Mercy again, who's there? Wait a second, is that Carol? Carol, is that you? The person in the chair stands and turns and it's Carol dressed as Mark Twain. And everybody's frozen. Pleased to meet you. My friends call me Samuel. My enemies don't call me. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a impressionist, by the way. I'm sorry. That's me talking, not Carol. Um, and Carol says, uh, There are many humorous things in this world. Among them, the white man's notion that he is less savage than the other savages. I guess my Carol kind of... Carol Mark Twain kind of sounds a little bit like George Bush Ross Perot but everyone's like Carol are you okay Carol did you have an accident or something what's going on she just keeps quoting concerning the difference between man and the jackass some observers hold there isn't any but this wrongs the jackass so Carol you better sit down You, you need to sit down Carol goes the average American may not know who his grandfather was, but the American was, however, one degree better off than the average Frenchman, who, as a rule, was in considerable doubt to who his father was. And this one's like, well, wait a second, you're doing that uh, Hal Ashby thing, Mark Twain Tonight or something, and was, oh, it's Hal Holbrook, the guy who's on Designing Women. Oh, designing women. Everybody's chattering about. Oh, remember? Yeah, he went out without the woman from the. Uh, oh yeah, like, what's up with cougars? What designing women are like the original cougars? Why don't they call them designing women instead of cougars? Uh, oh yeah, remember that guy and the racist mother? Was, was Annie Potts on that show? Because I can't. Re- then Herschel, who has no pop culture now knowledge is just standing there seething yeah, enough enough we need to talk about Rick and his gun Carol what is this nonsense of course Carol's got plenty more nonsense to be good is noble but to show others how to be good is nobler and no trouble and then she she breaks character and she says, Herschel, I, I, you know, I just want to do something for the children that's both enriching and, and entertaining. I just want to, you know, have a little story time for the kids and they can come and I'll read to them and we'll talk about the book. And, you know, we're just going to do like Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn and, you know, move on from there and see, see what the kids like. That's all I want to do. I just love Mark Twain so much. I've been wanting to do this my whole life. And now, the way things are out there, I didn't want to wait another minute. And this just disarms everybody. And this, oh, Carol. Oh, wait, wait. I have one more. I have one more, please. 
In the first place, God made idiots. That was for practice. Then he made school boards. <laughs> Carol starts chuckling and she said, okay, okay, let's, we can move on. I just want, is it okay if I do this class? And they move on and her crazy smartness distracted them from her real M.O., which was having teaching these little girls how to knife fight. So that might have been the least boring thing that was leaked to me this week, but Carol's crazy smart. The second thing I noticed about uh, this week's Walking Dead, and maybe I'm just being a little bit hard on Herschel tonight, but it kind of felt like he's got this passive-aggressive thing going with Rick at the beginning with the flower, the tomato plants, which, I mean, maybe, maybe he was mad they got planted in the wrong spot, I don't know. But, you know, as he was talking to Rick, uh, it struck me how much Herschel's starting to look like Santa Claus. And for a while, I started coming up with these theories about how Herschel really was Santa Claus. And, you know, that's ridiculous, obviously. But then I started worrying, like, what is going on with Santa, man? With the zombie apocalypse, like, is he okay up there? Are the zombies frozen? Um, is Christmas canceled? And... So I stumbled upon a new, possibly week, weekly segment. And I like to call it the the Walking Dud, the North Pole Chronicles, where we'll check in on what is happening at the North Pole during this worldwide crisis. And for this week's episode, we have one vocabulary word, which is bellsnickel. And if you don't know it, a bellsnickel is kind of like a combination of a ring wraith from the Lord of the Rings and like either a beaver trapper or a, uh, a hobo. Like the ring wraiths, ring wraiths were princes, and these are more blue-collar ring wraiths. You know, they carry a lunchbox. So keep that in mind. And now. Rupert to CP1 North Pole. Rupert to CP1 North Pole. Come in, North Pole. Go ahead, Rupert. I got an update for the chief. Transmit audio update. Do you have any word from the uh, expedition to Reindeer Valley? My wife was on that mission to the refugee camps. We've lost contact with Reindeer Station. Power's out. Please transmit update. Chief, it's Rupert. We hit a snag with the Bellsnickels. After we successfully converted their wood switches to carbon fiber, raised sharp whips, uh, we covered their bodies and in their layers of fur in a, a paint we made from extra- extracts of the uh, some of the undead, and they seemed undetectable problem, Chief, is the Bellsnickel Protocol. When you bred these creatures, train them, they're only supposed to attack 
naughty children. And then when we had to do the American modification for the Americans, they just delivered coal. So we can't get them to attack the undead. They, they pick them up as like dogs or, or feeding animals or innocents. Um, I think I found a workaround, but it's going to take time. We're going to do some behavior mods and a firmware update. We're looking at an extra month before we can even launch the first test expedition to see how they do in the field. So strike force at this point is out of the question. Now, I'm trekking to the Krampus Caves tomorrow, Chief. I need you to get a hold of me if you hear anything about that expedition to the valley. I got a bad feeling, Chief. Rupert out. Okay. We're going to take another leap of faith. Since two of the most likable characters and two of the best actors from The Wire are now on this season's Walking Dead, and while they're both still on the show, let's imagine that D'Angelo Barksdale wasn't killed in The Wire, and that at some point him and Cuddy, during the zombie apocalypse, um, or zombie outbreak, got together in Baltimore, Baltimore, and um, decided to head to Georgia. And this is kind of how I'd imagine the two of them looking at a map and trying to figure out which way they're going to go. It's kind of the, uh, as usual, the boring edition. Alright, um, hmm. 95's out. What about this 295? Alright, I'm going to take 295. Keep going. Um, well, what if we had any trouble on 295? We could go over to 3. Okay, so. Oh, wait, now it's 301. Well, anyway, we'll stay on 301. Crane Highway, by the way. So we're still on 301. Waldorf, St. Charles. Oh, look here, Turkey Hill Park. Um, got some water coming up here. 301. It's got to go over the Potomac. Hmm. What if that bridge is out? Uh-oh. Kind of in the peninsula here. This is the only bridge for miles. Uh, oh, if we go back to Alexandria, it's another bridge. Uh, let's go all the way back. All the way back in Baltimore. Let's take this one. If we would have stayed on 216, like I said, 95. Let's change over 29, maybe. Now that ends in Silver Spring. Yeah, we got to stay off of 95. Okay, uh, hmm, yeah, we're still in Baltimore, um, hmm, what about this, we take 1 to 410, two, oh, that's Washington again, 495, 270, to 70. There's a, that's a little tiny bridge over that Potomac River type thing. 
495. We'll stay off of 95 as you requested. We could take Fairfax Boulevard to 66. How about this Fairfax County Parkway? I like that. And that goes back to the water. Oh, dear. Well, what about this 28213 thing over here near Centerville? Okay, we'll take that down Prince William Parkway. That sounds fancy. Let's take that. Alright, 234 to 1. Now we're running parallel with 95, but I don't know. That's too close, those two things. We'll do bail on 610 here. Where's this go? 610. Oh, now we're heading north. That's no good. And well, 6616 six, south. 616 south. 613, 612. Running. There's the uh, Hartwood Presbyterian Church, man. Alright, we're on a road. I'm not sure what it is. And we're back to 95 and 1. Hmm. And let's just stay on 218. And now it feels like we're, we're in trouble again. Let's just take this road. I'm not even sure what it's called. I see blue gray builders. Bloomsbury Road. Take that. We're running to King's Highway. Let's head west again. Alright. Uh, yeah, west. We're going west. Feels like we're going north. Yeah, we're definitely going north. I don't know why these guys have country accents suddenly. Alright, now we're on 3 Dixon Street. Let's take this 217 combo here. You know what state we're in? Nope. I mean, we'd, we'd be in 2. Let's stay on this 2. Wow, Grace Cemetery. Beautiful. True Blue Farm Alpacas. Can we leave out detailed this map is yeah we're still into oh we got a little mountain law cemetery let's take the road less traveled 626 still taking it still taking it oh page road 605 let's take this 605 605 oh yeah we're going and we're back at something north main street in bowling green Let's take that. Richmond Turnpike. We're back on two. Luxstone Corporation. Let's get off the tooth. It's making me nervous. Let's take 721 to the Mattaponi Trail. Let's take that. Oh, we're looking good, man. Yep, yep. So I'm going to run the governor's 647 Reedy Mill Road. <laughs> and, hmm. I don't know, we got a gut. 601, 663, 647. 663, alright, let's go. Whoa. 600, alright. Frog level road, they call this bad boy. Boom, we just ran back into 2 and 3 and 1. Let's take for a while. Passing the Dawn Library, Richmond Turnpike. Yeah, Hanover Concourse Road. A Hanover? Is that like somewhere? I don't know. Stingle Hill Park. Yeah, this is working good. This is working good. Oh, 295. Trouble. Trouble in whatever town this is. Alright, let's hop off of here. Let's see. Uh, hmm. Hey, any chance we could stop at south of the border? No. 
Okay, um, let's take this 360. We got a bridge situation here, so Richmond. Oh, 301's working. Now we're on one. We gotta get off. We gotta get off. We're still on one. This is gonna be bad. I got a bad feeling about this. Uh, 637, 238. No, that's 95. Um, hmm. Right here at the Dutch Gap Conservation Area. Let's just take this old stage road, Ramble Drive, Woods Edge Road, McMinn's Memorial Park, back at 95. Uh, let's just go on one for a minute. Oh no, I got a bad feeling about this one. Let's take Rakefield Road West at 626. Oh dear. Alright, looks after Wood Cemetery, we take Church Road South. Well, now he's running at 36602. Take him back east. Oh no, we're right with Rogers Stadium, 301. Let's take it south. Um. Mm -hmm. What about the South Crater Road? Is that one? Probably. Let's get on it. Oh, we're too close to 95, man. Um, I don't know what to tell you. I don't even know where we are in the country. Um, you know what? This is probably better left to... Uh, let's just improv the thing. We'll just leave Baltimore right now. Figure it out as we go. How about that? Sounds good, bro. Alright. I guess that's what we'll do. Uh, I mean, I wish whoever was speaking for us was a better actor. Or at least, you know, 50% as good an actor we are, but... I don't know. Could you at least fill me in on where we were, where we left off, what state? Some Virginia state line. Alright, well, good enough. Good night. Except there's more segments coming up. Okay, we'll start the next segment. Hopefully it's... Anyway, never mind. Okay. Now, what in the holy heck is going on with the water at this prison? You got the episode starting with Rick washing his dirty-ass face in what looks to be clean water. They're sharing water skins. I mean... Herschel, man, I thought you were a doctor. This this is how civilizations fall. And I checked out the WHO and the UNICEF. And this is just the smallest of the diseases that can be caused due to poor water sanitation. And first off is diarrhea, which leads to dehydration and death. And just so you know, one gram of feces can contain 10 million viruses, 1 million bacteria, hold your stomach, a thousand parasite cysts, ugh, and a hundred parasite eggs. Arsenicosis, which is exposure to arsenic-laced drinking water, which causes skin lesions and cancers of the skin, lungs, bladder, and kidney. Are they testing for that? Cholera? And not the love kind, bacterial infection causes diarrhea, dehydration, and death. Fluorosis, uh, caused by 
high concentrations of fluoride. It can cause some... Um, it doesn't say, but it's not good. Now this next one, I hope you're asleep for it. Guinea worm disease. People can get this disease when they drink water contaminated with the guinea worm larva. Larvae mature into meter-long worms, eventually leave the body after a year, but guess what they leave behind? Debilitating ulcers. Gross. Intestinal worms, another one. Uh, malaria. This one that I can't pronounce, which is, looks like schizosomiasis, schizosomiasis, and that's another parasitic worm disease. Yep, and these are the nasty ones that you can be swimming in a lake and they'll get into your, through your skin. That just freaks me out. Ugh. Next one, trachoma. Poor water hygiene causes blindness and typhoid fever. So, what are you guys doing, man? It's not like the, uh, whatever's causing this thing, because I forgot from the first episode, virus or whatever, could mutate and start spreading by the water. Hello? Okay, guys, get on, get, get to work on that. Okay, if you're still awake at this point, I've got your back, because I'm holding in my hand the Gwinnett County Building Plan Review for Lawrenceville, Georgia, 30046 Ragging System Code Compliance Guidelines. So just close your eyes, man. Stop worrying. Because would you believe the requirements and permitting procedure? Racks and shelving, which require a, commit, a permit, A, are more than 7 feet above the supporting floor, which those racks were, hold more than 1,200 square, cover more than 1,200 square feet, excluding aisles. I don't, that, that looked like a pretty big store. Check. Uh, I have a storage greater than 500 pounds. Probably check. Um, number two. Racks and shelving that require design by Georgia Registered Professional Engineer. More than 10 feet above the sporting floor. Check. Occupy an area greater than 3,000 square feet. Probably check. Loads greater than 1,000 pounds. Maybe not. Okay. Georgia Registered Professional Engineer. Now, what kind of calculations go into making sure these things are safe? Well, let's get some math in tonight. So, we're going to do some calculations that demonstrate demonstrate the structural adequacy of the shelving. Okay, let's start with construction calculations for seismic designs of shelving supported at grade, and they need to comply with the IBC sections 1613.5, 2208.1, ASCE 7-05, Section 15.5.3, 15.5.3.1, and 13.3.1, as follows. 
FP equals SDX times LP times WP divided by R, where SDS equals, refer to item 5.h, IP equals 1.0, WP equals case 1, weight of rack, level loaded to 60%, 67% of its rated capacity, FP max equals 1.6 times SDS times LP times WP. FP min equals 0.3 times SDS times LP times WP. ACSC 7-05 section 13.3.1. And just so you know, the vertical distribution of seismic forces shall comply with AC ASC 7-05 section 12.8.3 and 15.5.3.3. Um, now let's get to some calculations if they're supported below grade. V equals CS times LP times WS, where V equals seismic base shear. CS equals 1.2 times SD1 divided by R times T two-thirds, where her fundamental period T is calculated, or alternatively CS equals SDS divided by R when it is not less than 0.14 times SDS. SDS comma SD1 equals, refer to item, item 5H, R equals 4 brace direction or 6 in an unbrace direction. T equals fundamental period of systems in two orthogonal Wait for it. Directions. LP equals 1.0, except for LP equals 1.5 for systems located in areas accessible to the general public. Or, for the general public, I think that's what he was. LP equals 1.5. WS equals, refer to the RMI specifications under 2.7.2. So, I think we know who's at fault here. It's not the zombies. It's either two things, a cheap store owner or someone like me that can't do this kind of math or the Georgia registered professional engineer who designed the shelving who's now a zombie. Hey, I just want to let you know the following is an early episode of the Sleep With Me podcast. All our episodes are at sleepwithmepodcast.com. These ones are a little bit rougher around the edges. Didn't quite get the, uh, we were kind of experimenting as we went along, trying to find the best way to bore people to sleep. I'm not sure if we've found it yet, but if you're looking for something to help you fall asleep, you can check these episodes out. They might not be as good as the current ones, or they might be. Your choice, go ahead and find out. But I just want to let you know. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope we help you fall asleep. Welcome to the Sleep With Me Podcast. I'm Dare Scooter, and I want to help you fall asleep. If you're up at night tossing and turning, mind racing, then you're in the right spot. The Sleep With Me Podcast wants to help you fall asleep tonight. I'm going to talk about a subject or tell a story that's just engaging enough for you to set your day and your troubles aside, but just boring enough for you to fall asleep. So, set your phone aside, snuggle in, close your eyes, feel your body sink down, 
drift away and fall asleep with me. On tonight's episode, another version of The Walking Dead, where we talk about this week's The Walking Dead, but only the boring parts. Not what you saw on screen, not anything interesting, but stuff that's dull. So we're going to cover Pediophobia, the great debate of Polaroid pictures, Rick's farm hat, quarantines, and Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. So, Sleep With Me presents The Walking Dud. In this week's episode, if I can name it, Rats. It's clear Michonne is not comfortable around babies. And I looked into uh, baby phobia, and apparently it's called, in America, it's called pediophobia, pediophobia. Elsewhere, it could be called pediophobia and pediophobia. So you got multiple options. And the question is, is Michonne have a baby phobia? Because she's clearly freaked out. Good old Wikipedia had um, two takes on pediophobia. One person said the fear of children academia specifically extends from adults' a distinct awareness of the capacity of children. Quote, children embarrass us because they point too cleverly and too clearly to our denial of personal, material, and maternal history. It would take me about two weeks to figure out what she was talking about there. And then we go on to uh, James O. Wilson, professor at UCLA's School of Management, who talked about um, the current climate of pediophobia in 1975 as a critical mass of younger persons will create an explosive increase in the amount of crime. Now, this none, none of this applies to Michonne, clearly. Her fear seems much more different and, you know, more sad. It's got to either be a more personal connection in her backstory or maybe a more just general knowledge of what this child has waiting for her. I mean, if I was there, that would probably make me cry. Sorry, I'm trying to talk into going to sleep and this is kind of sad stuff, but we all like Michonne, right? So... I'm not going to say she's pediophobic. I'm going to say she's a realist. And let's leave it at that. Well, next up, let's hit up the uh, age-old debate of Polaroid pictures and should you shake it like a Polaroid picture. Because we have our lovebirds up in their love nest, Maggie and Glenn. And Glenn busts out this hipster version of a Polaroid camera, snaps one of Maggie's sleeping. So, so cute. Got me thinking about Polaroid pictures, they're kind of a dinosaur now, and the history of Polaroid pictures. So, according to Wikipedia, my good buddy, uh, Edward Land, Edwin Land, unveiled the uh, first commercial instant camera called the Land Camera in 1948. And the reason he came up with it is one time he was taking his daughter's picture, Jennifer Land, and she said, Why can't we see it now, Daddy? So he set his mind to it, and he came up with the solution. 
And now kids today, man, they don't got to wait five seconds. They, they had their heyday. They were also used by police and firefighters to create an instant unalterable photo, unalterable, unalterable photo with digital photos. I guess the instant gratification factor died because it would take a few seconds. But that brings us to the debate because in 2000-something, Outcast came out with uh, Shake It, Shake It, Shake It Like a Polaroid Picture. Or Hey Now, I think was the song. But um, Polaroid, I can't believe they were still in business when the song was out, but they, they um, put out a press release saying, Do not shake it like a Polaroid picture. Of course, people didn't listen. That's what you do with a Polaroid picture. You shake it, shake, shake, shake it. And they said it would make blobs, and they said this was a holdover from the old pictures, which I think was the one Glenn took where you peel it away, then the photo has to dry before it develops, and so you would shake it to dry it faster. So it's surprising to me, because that's all I, I, I had the... I remember we, I don't remember a peel-away one. I remember the instant um, self-contained one, but we always shook it, shook it, because it was a Polaroid picture. Personal info here, when I was a young lad, and Polaroid cameras were there, and they had the instant disposable flashes... I decided for some reason to take a selfie, I guess of my eyeball or something. So I had the camera actually pressed against my face. Or I was just so not smart that I had the wrong side of the camera pressed against my face. And I put the trigger and the flash went off. It burnt my forehead to a crisp. I actually still have a little little scar. It looks like a birthmark. So a little personal side there. I mean, I think Glenn and Maggie should be shaking it like a Polaroid picture, if you ask me. Sorry, but I do. I mean, they should be shaking that guard tower. You know, save humanity, man. I don't care about your emotions. Anyway, uh, let's move on. Okay, then we get to uh, Farmer Rick here. And I was kind of like, man, what's up with Rick now? Because I'm always wondering what's up with Rick. I love him. Because all of a sudden Rick's got his... uh, farmer's hat which is no hat at all i'm like was rick rick a beatnik now was my reaction watching the episode and then i was like well well, i don't even know what beatnik means other than i remember reruns of dobie gillis with maynard g krebs and so it meant you wore a black turtleneck goatee sometimes sometimes chain and uh, beret and played bongos. So I looked up on Wikipedia, and I, didn't, I don't even bother. He, he's not a beatnik. And I was like, is he a hippie? Because a hippie is co-opted from the beatniks, because they called themselves hipsters once they started moving to uh, the Greenwich Village in Haight-Ashbury, the beatniks, which they, of course, co-opted from African-American lingo for hep or hip. And I was like, no, this is more of a, that's more of a countercultural movement. So, Rick's not really counterculture. And I was like, is he a peacenik? Mm, maybe part of this episode, but I didn't feel right. And then I put on my pop psychologist hat, as I have a tendency to do. I was like, maybe he's like a rageaholic or a anger addict, and which is a pop psychology term. It's not a real one, but according to my buddy Wikipedia. Person prone to extreme anger with little, no, 
or no provocation. And that, that doesn't quite fly because Rick's got a lot to be angry about. So then I tried to, like, tap my empty soul for some empathy, and um, I think what's really going on with Rick is, like, this fear of loss of control. Like, if he can't control his emotions, or at least his temper, I mean, there's not much else out there in his life now he can control. I mean, even a regular life, how much can we control? And now there's zombies everywhere, and people are dying. There's going to be this disease going through. Maybe maybe he's just going through this phase of like, man, I was really out of control, and that freaked me out. I don't know. I'm just busting out my pipes of pop psychology. All right, real quick, I want to talk about quarantine, because that looks like what's coming down the pike here, and it's probably not going to be pretty. So I was wondering, when did quarantine start? turns out, there's history of in the OT, the original Old Testament. It originates from Venetian dialect, uh, quaranta giorni. Hmm. Good stuff. Uh, means 40 days, though. And that's to do the 40-day isolation uh, they were using to keep people black death um, to see if they would have any symptoms of black death, which killed like 30% of Europe. And i got to tell you, that's pretty ingenious. You're keeping people isolated and kind of locked up to see if they're sick. I can imagine we'll be doing that one day with aliens, or they'll be doing it with us. But, Walking Dead fans, have you ever interviewed someone that's been quarantined? Because I can't imagine they enjoyed it. So let's stay tuned on this quarantine issue. Well, another thing happened in this episode was that uh, Karen met a tragic end. And after I felt bad for her and her boyfriend, was curious about who did it, the next thing that struck me was like, well, it's like Uncle Owen and Aunt Veru. I was like, oh, Uncle Owen. Who was Uncle Owen? So I rolled over to the Wikipedia for you guys. That's the Star Wars Wikipedia. Or wiki. And um, turns out he's a second-generation moisture farmer. What's a moisture farmer, you ask? Well, someone... Okay, I'm not going to be condescending. It's someone that uh, has a farm of moisture evaporators. What's a moisture evaporator? Well, it's a device comprised of any number of tall, res- tall, slender refrigerated pipes. When hot, moist air comes in contact with the frigid tubes, humidity, humidity immediately condescends into droplets of water that run down the tubes into underground storage tanks. A properly maintained moisture evaporator could usually collect enough water to sustain three average humans even on a planet like Tatooine. Regular maintenance was usually required. Patching droids were often used as counterparts to the evaporators, as the droids translated the binary language they spoke to the benefit of the operators. Okay, it's kind of interesting. 
Um, what else was going on with the old old Owen Lars? Well, he was born on Ator. That was the homeworld of his birth mother, Lars, who died when he was young. So his father and him rolled back to Tantooine, where they started moisture farming. His dad's name was Clegg. He picked up a second wife uh, by the name of Shimmy Skywalker, mother of Anakin. He freed her and C-3PO from uh, slavery. She would always talk about how much she missed her son, Annie. And I'm not talking about the girl in the red dress. But then, tragically, Shimmy got kidnapped by Tusken Raiders. Owen and Clegg rolled out to try to rescue her, but they had a trap waiting for him, and Clegg lost one of his legs. So they went home to recover. Next thing you know, Anakin shows up with his his lady, Padma, and talk about a disastrous first meeting with your in-laws. Your mom's kidnapped, and your stepdad lost his leg and didn't rescue her, so Anakin's not happy. He rolls in, finds his mom's toast, and he kills himself a boatload of uh, Tusken Raiders, and basically this is when he snaps and becomes evil. So that went well. He does take C-3PO with him, though. So we got that out of it. After that, uh, Clegg died from his injuries. And Owen married Baru, who I always thought was Veru with a V. But it's Baru. You know, they're enjoying their life as moisture farmers. And then Obi-Wan Kenobi shows up and says, Hey, can you keep an eye on this kid? I guess it could be two ways. He lied and said it was just this, you know, Luke Skywalker, or uh, Anakin Skywalker's kid. Can you keep an eye on him? Or everybody in the universe knows, or he just told them it's a Sith Lord's child. And, yeah, he might come looking for him, but I'll be living in a cave down the way if he shows up with the entire Imperial Army. But, I mean, if that's the case, it's really brave of them. And that says a lot about Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. And it really didn't do him very good in the karma department because they ended up burnt like toast. As far as raising Luke Woes, it wasn't easy because they were lying to him and he knew it on some level. They were telling him his dad was a navigator on a spice freighter and uh, someday he'd be coming into town and watch out for that crazy old hermit, Ben Kenobi. And I mean, any kid, if you tell him to stay away from a crazy old hermit, they're going to at least go and throw rocks at the guy's house or eggs or something. And as far as Ben's first, I mean, as far as Luke's first encounter with Ben Kenobi, and this, this is right out of the Wikipedia and it's gold, folks. It turns out Luke was with his friend, Windy Marstrap, out in the wastes, and they were riding Windy's pet dewback. I mean, I think I'm going to come up with a, a whole new segment called Windy Marstrap and his Dewback or the adventures of it. But anyway, uh, ended up they crashed the Dewback or fell off it. I mean, on a Dewback, it's not going to be easy to ride something covered in dew anyway. And they were lost and Ben Kenobi brought them home. And then Owen flipped out. He's yelling at Kenobi. 
and because he doesn't want Luke to go down the uh, path of, quote, the damned, foolish, idealistic Jedi Crusaders. And we know what happened. They got burned up by jerks. Yeah, this is real enlightening stuff. I hope you're asleep. To, to close out tonight's episode, I figured we'd talk about mending fences, but really what we're going to be talking about is building fences. And I guess we'll see which is a more apt metaphor for the rest of the season of Walking Dead. Are they going to be building fences, or are they going to be mending fences? Because the fences are about to get all fancy, I can tell. You know, construction-type boring stuff. Turns out Master Halco is a big industrial chain-link fence manufacturer, and they're pretty big on the prison fencing, so I think they probably had something to do with it. So I'm just going to read through um, setting up one of these fences in non-layman's terms. And I'm going to read it so it's going to be real boring. So if you're still awake, come on, man, use your imagination. Imagine this boring fence. And it's floating through your mind. Security chain link fence and gates carry the master format designation 32313.53. To develop a security chain link fence or prison fence specification, print the following step-by-step instructions to use as your guide to revise the selected chain link fence system specification. Step 1. Select the master health code 323113. Chain link specification. Galvanized chain link fabric with galvanized framework. Aluminum chain link fabric with galvanized framework. Galfan, that's a trademarked. Zinc, 5% aluminum mesh metal alloy coated chain link fabric with galvanized frame framework. PVC coated chain link fabric. You know what? I'll skip to step two. There are many designs and requirements for increasing the security level of chain link fence. Reviewing the following documents might be helpful. ASTM F2611, Standard Guide for Design and Construction of Chain Link Security Fencing, and the Chain Link Fence Manufacturers Institute document the tested and proven performance of security-grade chain link fencing systems. It's also ASTM F2781, Standard Practice for Testing Forced Entry Ballistic and Low-Impact Resistance Fence Systems. Um, step 3, Section 202, Chain Link Fabric. Some security fences are designed using a different bottom chain link mesh configuration than the upper chain link fence mesh. mesh, mesh. Select and enter the mesh size and gauge of the mesh sizes or gauges, height and selvage from separate chain link fabric selection table. To deter digging under a fence, consider burying the fabric 12 to 24 inches. If buried fabric is specified, include the requirement in the fabric material section as part of the fabric height as well as in the fabric installation section. Whoop. Step 4. Well, there's like seven more steps. Um, I'll just read some numbers. ASTM F1083. Revise 2.04 fittings to 1 thick by 1 inch wide. 
Revise carriage bolts to 3 8 diameter. Add section 2.04 tension bars. Section 2.06 6B barred tape. ASTM F1910. Specify only barred tape in compliance with ASTM F1910. Section 3.02 Framework WLG 2445 Section 3.0 F, I, and J 3.8 Diameter Carriage Bolt Preen all bolt threads to prevent removal For added security, specify 1.990 inch bottom rail and the requirement that the center of the bottom rail be held in place by a minimum 3 inch galvanized eye hook set in 12 inch by 36 inch deep concrete footing. Wow, there's more, but I'm going to skip it. I have a, a diagram. I'm just going to brace band with rail end. There's a terminal pros, truss and rod tightener, brace rails, rail ends, boulevard band, extend fabric into crushed stone, wire fabric to post, there's a girth strap, or loose cap, top rail, line post, the top rail is connected to the line post, the girth strap is connected to the, I'm sorry, just go to sleep, okay? Hi, welcome to the Sleep With Me podcast, the podcast that puts you to sleep. I'm Dearest Scooter, and I'm going to help you go to sleep tonight. If you spend most nights tossing and turning, mind racing, you're in the right spot. I'm going to talk about a subject that's just engaging enough that you'll be able to put your thoughts aside, but it's going to be just boring enough for you to slowly slipped off into deep sleep. Put your phone aside. Close your eyes. Snuggle in. Pull up your covers. And fall asleep with me. Tonight we have another segment of The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead, but just the boring parts. The parts they don't put on screen. The parts you don't read about on blogs. Parts you don't wake all, wait all week to hear about because they're incredibly dull. But I'm going to cover them here tonight and help you drift off into dreamland. So tonight we're going to cover episode four, The Walking Dud. Indifference. I think if Carol was naming the episode, she'd probably have named it Enter a New Dawn. And if, if we were naming the episode for Rick, uh... You don't have to like it, just accept it. Nah. But we're not going to talk about all the interesting stuff that happened. Because that's not boring. It was a good episode. Tonight we're going to cover some of the best places to get drunk during the zombie apocalypse. We're going to have a visit from our buddy Wendy Marstrap. We're going to cover seatbelts, pancakes, 
and men's room keys. So tonight's The Walking Dead. Indifference to the new dawn we can't accept or something like that. So, we're going to talk about Bob first. Uh, A lot was revealed about him in this episode. And what they didn't tell you guys is that, yeah, he was in two other groups before that died. And he was the last person to die. Or he made, I guess he wasn't the last person to die, he survived. And in each group he had a nickname, and it was called What About Bob? Because he had fallen in with like-minded people, like we all do, that liked to drink. And Bob was always the last person to leave the bar. Um, or the hole they were holed up in. And they'd all be stumbling out, and they'd be like, halfway down the street, and they'd be like, what about Bob? And two of those times, his group got attacked, and it was good he was what about Bob, because he wasn't there. Um, And we're going to take a step back to the second group, uh, according to my sources. You know, Bob had met up with one guy, for a little while after his second group died. He was telling them, you know, that he liked to hit the bottle. And the guy was like, you know, Bob, uh, doesn't really seem like that great an idea to get drunk during the zombie apocalypse. I mean, I get it. But, you know, and I, and I wouldn't mind, you know, tying one on. But wh- where could we get drunk that's safe, you know? It just feels like, you know, like I always wondered, the president, he can't get drunk, can he? I mean, what if he's drunk and something happens? And Bob goes, okay, okay, let me tell you some good places to get drunk. First off, rooftops. And he's like, back in high school, I used to get drunk on rooftops all the time and just watch the traffic go by. As long as you're in a city, in my experience, you can hop to one or two rooftops and usually get an escape route if you get overrun by zombies. Another great place, usually a lot of rookies like you will think trees. Trees aren't a good place, but if you can find in a nice rich neighborhood... A treehouse with a zip line, you know, that gives you an escape route. That's pretty good. If your treehouse gets surrounded, boom, you zip out of there, you're fine. Because another place people don't think to drink, and it's a little dangerous, cliffs. It's like you get halfway down a cliff over a body of water, and you could just booze there all day. Zombies come, they're going to fall right by you. Something really bad happens, as long as the water is somewhat safe, jump in. You swim away from the zombie horde. Another good place I've, I've hit the bottle a few times is a canoe. Just get out there in the middle of the lake. Make sure you have more than one option to shore the canoe. Go ahead and get, get after it. Just don't drown. And then Bob got all quiet. and He was kind of like, But let me tell you, you know, this whole zombie apocalypse has really made me think about my drinking and how I could really make it work. And I've got a dream I'm going to share with you. It's probably a dream that other people share, but I, I, my dream is to be alone and find a nuclear sub. And sure, it'll be hard to figure out how to run it by myself, but just think about it. It'll be the perfect place. Get it stocked up, set out to sea and go underwater. You know, you know, it almost makes me want to sing. And then Bob's eyes kind of glaze over. He gets dreamy looking. Ba da 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 da. Son, the liquor is always sweeter when you don't have to watch your back. My dream's to be underwater, far away from zombie attack. 
I'd have my own submarine, dude, parked right on the ocean floor. So wasted, I'm not having a clue, no. What more could a drunk ask for? Under the sea, under the sea. Boozing is better down where it's wetter, take it from me. Up on the land you worry all day. No time to drink the pain away. But submarine cruising, full timey boozing under the sea. Da 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 Bob's dancing around and he realized some zombies had already come in and eaten his buddy. And so he took off. And I'll tell you what, if you want to hear the rest of that song, go ahead and uh, review me on iTunes. I don't care what review you give me. It would be nice to have a good review. And go ahead and e- email me a screenshot just proving you have the review. You can scrub out everything. Uh, uh, email me at drscooter at sleepwithmepodcast.com, and I will give you the entire Under the Sea version just, just for giving us a review on iTunes. Thank you. Hi, folks. I'm Wendy Marshstrap, and I'm going to be hijacking a sequence of The Walking Dead every once in a while to talk about me, Wendy Marshstrap, and Dewey, my pet Dewback. You might remember me from Star Wars. I was good friends with Luke growing up, but as an adult, I've had plenty of adventures on my own, and I'm going to talk about them every week. Now, tonight I just want to talk about Moss Eisley. I know some... Jedi like to call it a hive of scum and villainy, but there's lots to like here. You like diversity? Well, we've got it. We've got people from all over the universe. We're one of the most diverse places anywhere. If you always wanted to meet a Furby or an Oompa Loompa, well, this is the place. And there's more people moving here every day. Do you like gambling? We've got palaces of gambling. Plenty of places for you to wager your money. Games of chance. Just like the town you call Prague, we've got an old town and a new town. Where you can see old stuff and you can see new stuff. You know what else we have? Bribery. Do you like to bend the rules or do you like to break them? Because if you do and you get caught, you can get out of it here in Moss Eisley. Do you like spice? We got plenty of spice. Are you a weapons collector or in need of a weapon? We've got plenty of weapons. If you always wished you could have a blaster that shoots in pink or green or magenta, whatever your favorite color is, we got one for you. Are you not a Jedi, but you wish you could get a lightsaber or one for your kids? We've got them in all sizes, folks. Do you like the environment? Well, here in Moss Eisley, we recycle both the gray water and our brown and yellow water. The gray water is when you wash your hands in dishes. The brown and yellow water, well, you know what that is. But we recycle it all. We purify it, we distill it, and then we get to reuse it. Yay. You've heard of the Dowager Queen, right? It crashed here with our first residence. You can come see the wreckage of the Dowager Queen, along with a museum and a gift shop. You can even take something home with you. Do you like art? Well, due to some deal with the Empire, or because he had a crush on a woman, 
our own Jabba the Hutt opened up his own art collection in a new museum where you can see artists plundered from all over the world. Well, those are just a few of the things that are great about Moss Eisley. And of course you want to stop by the cantina for a drink. But don't bring your droids. All right, folks. This is Dewey, my dewback, and me, Wendy Marstrap, signing off. See you soon. Next up tonight, seatbelts. And some just boring, random Wikipedia facts about seatbelts. They're invented by uh, English engineer George Cayley in the early 19th century. But in typical United States style, Edward Claghorn of New York got the first patent. And this is a perfect example of what's not good about Wikipedia. The next paragraph here says, In, in 1903, French inventor Gustave Desiree invented a special kind of seatbelt. That's it. That's that's the entire paragraph. No citation, nothing. Special kind of seatbelt. On to the show here. 1946, Dr. C. Hunter Sultan. He was a neurologist in California, Pasadena. And, you know, he started noticing that getting a car accident's not so good for your brain. And he came up with the idea of these retractable seatbelts, similar to what we have today. And he's credited with, you know, re- re- this reduction in head injuries um, by proposing the reta- retractable, re- retractable seatbelt. Uh, he also, you know, suggested other stuff, but they're like, eh, we'll just do those uh, seatbelts. Um in 1949, car manufacturer in America, Nash, had seatbelt as options, but Saab, from Sweden, uh, put them standard in 1958. And then we saw more and more uh, commonplace seatbelts. Now, um, since it's Christmas season, National Lampoon's Christmas vacation, let's talk about someone's possibly someone's dead, because the first three-point seatbelt was called the CIR Griswold Restraint by Roger Griswold and Hugh DeHaven. And then Niles Bolin, Volvo, he uh, put it on standard on Volvos in 1959. Uh, it was shown to be very effective. Now, there's always debates about this, these things. Are seatbelts, do they save lives? Do they, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, you know, I'm not going down the controversy road. I'm just saying under the sea a couple things that go. Um, but seatbelt laws in the United States... Uh, were adopted after, in 1970, Victoria, Australia, did the first seatbelt law. And, you know, everybody kind of got their, whatever, underwear in a bunch or whatever you say. But one thing I tried when I was reading about it, I was like, it used to be a buzzer on cars, they said, in the 70s and 80s, and I can't for the life of me remember what that buzzer sounded like. I know you're trying to fall asleep, so I'm not going to be bugging you with a buzzer. After people started axe-murdering people because of the buzzer, they put in that chime. Um, you do get the sense, um, you know, the car companies could really give a rats about us. A little bit about the legislation, though. Observational studies of car crash morbidity and mortality, the experiments using both crash te- test dummies and human cadavers. Oh, that makes me laugh. Thinking about human cadavers crashing on a Walking Dead episode. But, you know, they try to say that they they don't. In one trial... You know, they try to argue, oh, wait, well, they make you, seatbelts make you drive more dangerously. And they said that, you know, people were asked to drive around the go-kart in various conditions. Subjects that drove unbelted, and then when they got belted, they were driving faster. 
A 2001 analysis of U.S. crash data aimed to establish the effects of seatbelt legislation on driving fatalities, and they found they increased decreased fatalities by 1.35% for each 10% increase in seatbelt use. So it works. One other thing. Other statistical analysis has included, you know, I'm just going to cut it off there. Next up is pancakes. It's ironic that, you know, Rick threw a dead lorry under the bus for not making good pancakes. That was a sweet moment. And I really, uh, not to get into, I mean, I thought the acting was great between Rick and Lori. Or uh, Andrew Lincoln and Martina McBride, I believe. I'm sorry. I don't. Um, anyway, I thought the acting was great. But ironically, I found this great pancake recipe this weekend before the episode aired. Because me and my daughter always have pancakes on Saturdays. And I've been looking for them. This was by Martha Stewart and appeared in Everyday Food in September 2006. I had it this weekend, and no joke, it's awesome. It's uh, fluffy pancakes. And all you need is one cup of flour. All pro, all perp, two tablespoons sugar, two teaspoons baking powder, half teaspoon salt, cup of milk, two tablespoons unsalted butter, melted or vegetable oil, one large egg, a teaspoon of veg- tablespoon of vegetable oil, and toppings. We didn't have toppings, but if you want to keep them warm, you put your oven up to 200 degrees. And let's see, you uh, in a small bowl with together flour, sugar, baking soda, and salt and set aside. And then in a medium bowl, put together the milk, butter, and egg. And then add the dry ingredients to milk mixture. I actually did it in reverse just because of my bowl situation. Uh, whisk until moistened, but do not moistened. Do not overmix. Uh, make sure a few small lumps are fine, according to Martha. And then you heat up a large skillet. I mean, everybody should, at this point, know how to cook pancakes once they're mixed, but medium, I'm not good at judging. I was probably kicking it at medium-high. Oil up the pan with oil. She suggests folding a sheet of paper towel in half, moistening with oil, and rubbing the skillet. I just sprayed some olive oil on there. Again, I'm working on my sibilants, so I apologize for those whistly S's, because I know you're trying to sleep. Now, hopefully, you're dreaming of pancakes. And then you take two to three tablespoons of batter onto the skillet. She says to use the back of the spoon to spread the batter into a round. Mine kind of just did it. Fit two or three in a large skillet. Now this is this is good advice because I'm always like, when do you flip these things? And I'm always messing up. She says, cook until the surface of pancakes have some bubbles and a few have burst. About one to two minutes. Flip them, cook them brown on the underside, one to two minutes more. Transfer them to a baking sheet and put them in the oven, loosely covered in oil if you want to keep them warm. Or you can just eat them. So that's pancakes. And finally tonight, to really bore you, I was thinking about that men's room key that Bob planted in someone's eye. And then I started thinking about, you know, in my experience, what if I run across, you know, road trips, emergency bathroom runs in New York City or something. It's like... um. Yeah, what are things you've seen men's men's room keys attached to? A big spoon. It's pretty. That's pretty common. One at Burger King in uh, California. Well, wire, like rack. I think I've seen a knife once or twice, but probably was dull. I don't know if I've ever seen a lanyard, but I wrote lanyard down. Um, wood blocks. You see a lot of wood blocks, or you know, like I don't know if that was like a giant baseball pencil he had that he put in that guy's brain, or just a giant, you know. 
dowel-like piece of wood. Um, maybe, you know, one of those mini baseball bats you get when you're a kid when you whine. I mean, have they met, those been supplanted by bobbleheads at this point? And then I was Googling. I came across this uh, blog. It's defunct, I guess. I mean, it's still up, but they're not updated. It's called the Bathroom Key Chronicles. And they had some stuff on there. Metal door handle, kind of like one you'd see on a barn. A red metal shelf sign like you'd see at Target, like holding up the price. Uh, beat up big whisk, or they called it an egg beater. Wooden back scratcher. That's nasty. Uh, and then metal bookends from a library. And then I was thinking, yeah, ideally, well, I guess you gotta, you, you probably need to pick a side. Do you want something wood or do you want something metal? Um, and I mean, we'll leave that up for the pathologists or well, pathologists test this blood. So someone smarter than me, basically. You know, which, I mean, it would, you know, kind of, you know, people don't wash their hands. So it's like wet metal's kind of gross, but wet woods, you know, stuff could be living in there. So I don't know. I mean, I was hoping to have a longer list and, to, you know, bore you. Mm -hmm. I'm just looking around the room I'm in. You could have a men's belt, I guess. A shoe would kind of be nasty. Um, well, you should go to sleep, okay? If the pancakes didn't get you, let's be honest. I mean, I know you might be stressed, and that's why I made this podcast for you. You can't sleep. I've had insomnia, um, so I know how bad it is. But look at it this way. Whatever's going on with you, you're not failing to be boring. Like right now, if you're still listening, I almost like failing at failing. Like I'm failing to bore you. And even though, even by trying to be a downer about my failure, bore you, I'm not boring you either. So I'm like, I guess I'm trying to bore you with my um, neurotic tendencies. I don't know. But, you know, things aren't that bad, okay? Serious. I've been there, man. Uh, I'm just riffing now. I didn't have any of this down. But I, in fifth grade, I could not sleep because of this. this teacher was so mean to me. And I couldn't fall asleep at all any school night. No one bought it. And maybe this will help you fall asleep. This this worked once or twice for me. My father, you know, my parents, I'm like, oh, you know, I really have something. You know, you just don't want to go to school. But then my dad said, oh, you know, I've been telling people at work that you can't sleep. He said, one, one lady said, what I like to do is pretend I'm at the giant, top of this giant um, staircase, a grand, 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 long, long staircase, and I'm in this gown, and I'm just, 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 the staircase is almost endless, and I'm just des des descending in this flowing, flowing gown, down deeper and deeper, down on the staircase, and the gown's just flowing around me. Good night. Welcome to the Sleep With Me podcast. I'm Dear Scooter, and I'm here to help you fall asleep tonight. If you haven't listened before, the Sleep With Me podcast is a combination of engagement and boredom. I'm going to talk about something, and it's going to help you uh, put your thoughts aside or your worries aside tonight and slowly drift off to sleep. You can find us on the internet at uh, sleepwithmepodcast.com, on iTunes, the Sleep With Me podcast, and you can uh, tweet me, Dearest Scooter, at Dearest Scooter. 
I think it's just one at Deer Scooter. Um, and if you have a chance and you can review us on iTunes, I'd really appreciate it. And to say thank you, I'll send you the full version of Under the Sea, sung by Bob in the last Walking Dud episode. So just go ahead and tweet me or email me, dearscooter at sleepwithmepodcast. So go ahead and put your phone aside, lie down. Go ahead, I'll give you a minute. Close your eyes, pull those covers up, winter's coming. Sink in and fall asleep with me. And just so you guys know, we're going to be on a regular schedule now that I've got five episodes up and I barely kind of know what I'm doing with this podcast thing. And I'm going to try to uh, publish a podcast every Sunday and every Tuesday uh, that hopefully will get you through the work week um, for the time being. So that's our new schedule. And if I don't stick to it, you can yell at me. Tonight we have a new feature called Memes Strike Back where I'm going to give a meme, I'm going to turn the mic over to a meme, or a person from a meme. Um, you know, and a meme is, you know, the person has become a meme, meme, M-E-M-E, meme. You know, they became a meme without their um, knowledge or permission, which happens these days on the internet. So I want to give them a chance, you know, to kind of say, hey man, this is what I'm like, or this isn't what I'm like. Now you might be asking, what's a meme? And I could go into this in-depth um, description of it, which I'll, maybe I'll do it towards the end of the episode to help you fall totally asleep. But basically, if you've been on the internet before and you see a picture of a bear or some dude or um, a penguin or a woman, and it has black lettering, lettering above them and below them, that's a meme. And usually the black lettering on the top above their picture uh, is like setting up a joke and the thing below the picture is um, paying off the joke, kind of like a punchline. The first meme I wanted to give a chance to is my favorite meme. This guy's been making me laugh for so long. I, I love him. I love the people that make the memes for him. And that person is Scumbag Steve. Now he's running late. We were supposed to start the podcast two hours ago. Hopefully he'll be here. I decided to start recording because uh, I texted him. 20 minutes ago, and he said he was outside, but, he, you know, I looked. He's not. Anyway, um, if you don't know who Scumbag Steve is, go ahead and look him up on Know Your Meme. But uh, he's kind of a person, depending on what decade you were born in, you know, your grandmother might call him a troublemaker, up to no good. Your parents might call him a punk. Uh, or someone today might call him a douche. And you'll, you'll know him when you see him. Uh, I could describe him, what he looks like, but if you don't know, you won't be surprised. Oh, wait. Um, I think he just pulled up. I'll be right back. Okay, folks, uh, without further ado, I, I, we just had a disagreement about the paying for his parking, but uh, this is uh, well, my streets. Never mind. Uh, okay. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce Scumbag Steve. Yeah. And I'll be off mic because I only have one mic, okay? So, dude, this is like 2011. This is so 2011. It's stupid. What's up? What's up? Yo. Uh, this is uh, Wheezy, Wheezy B, you know? Um, Blake Boston, the original. Ain't no scumbag Steve. 
Oh, you want me to turn this towards my face? Yo, check out my gangsta, you know. Um, I'm here to represent all you haters hating on me. Uh, yeah. So this guy's got a list of stuff you guys keep picking on me. But you can't keep me down, you know. Real scumbag Steve cannot be kept down. Alright, uh, yo, yo, yo. What up with it? Uh, make fun a belief in Santa, but believes WWE is real. Man, you fools. Um, yo, WWE is real athletes, is what I'm saying. Anyway, like my jacket, swiped it from Goodwill. <laughs> yeah, through that. Takes date to Taco Bell. Makes her pay. Yeah. I mean, Taco Bell, what, what, what do you want me to do? Take her somewhere like um, Fancy and make her pay? You know, I save my dollars for that. Eat, eating greasy chicken wings, wipes hands on sofa. What am I going to wipe it on my gear? Buys new Jordans. Can't pay child support. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, yo, yo. I'm a single parent. I take that serious. I'm a good father. And that just happened one time. When these new ones, the new one, you just saw those new Jordans that were like, um, the limited edition. Uh, I can't remember which ones that were, but anyway, that, that one, no, I'm a single father, man. It's hard. Borrows your lighter permanently. Lighters cost like 40 cents, yo. I totally banged her. Just don't ask her about it. Yeah, stay out of my business. Get water cup at McDonald's fills with soda. Yo, like Boston, I'm like, you know, I'm like a cultural rebel. Taking down the man, the corporation. So stealing soda, I'm getting over on Mickey D's. I'm getting over on Coca-Cola. Mr. Pibdo, that's what that's what we used to be like put down. Expelled two years ago, still hangs in the parking lot. Dude, this is like four years or six years old. That was like in 2010, and my girl, she was still in school. Goes to high school parties. 25 years old again, yo. That was for my girlfriend, yo. Yo, I'm going to pay you back when my album drops. Uh, yep, that's so. Gives dollar, eats half the pizza. <laughs> Most of you guys just hate me because, um, what? I'm creative. Debit tar card decline. You got me, dog? That's That's what friends are for, right? Keep shining. Bro, I can't afford gas. Give me a ride. Buy cigarettes. Wait, you know, um, a while back I took this money class court order because I was back off my child support, okay? <laughs> and they told me about this envelope method. So I have an envelope for gas and I have an envelope for cigarettes. When the money's out in gas, it's out. So I can't help it. I can't pay you from an empty envelope. But my cigarette... Envelope is always full. Pukes on something. Disappears. 
I'm like the ghost man. The ghost. You a lot of these about how messy I am. Sorry about the mess in your kitchen. See you later. Yep. Helps your sister. Get undressed. Yeah. Buys pot from a 12-year-old. Okay, first of all, that was because I watched the episode of Breaking Bad and I wanted to kind of relive it with the 12. There was a kid in that one. And so what? One. Okay, these are a couple sad. This is a sad one. Want to buy these pills? Dad's heart medicine. First off, my dad, he wasn't around for me. It's a damn stress, though, was heart medicine. Makes fun of you for working at McDonald's, has no job. Dude, I got a job as being the real scumbag Steve. Like Boston, yo. Complains about all the leaves from my tree on his lawn. Yells at me for trespassing when I try to lake them, rake them. Stay out of my way. Stay out of my way from my car. Stay away from my house. Stay away from my kid. Arranges to meet you at 8 p.m. Leaves house at 8. Wait, wait, you, you podcast dude, did you put this in here? Yeah, people wait for scumbags. Wheezy B comes when Wheezy B comes. That's when the party starts. So don't tell me when the party starts because I start the party. Pulls out in front of you for making you slam. Pulls out in front of you making you slam on your brakes. No one behind you. Again, goes to my point. Wheezy B is the party. Wheezy B's in a hurry. Wheezy B don't wait. Wheezy B don't pay the man. Verbal. <laughs> Verbally insults you every day till you snap. Dude, I was only messing with you. I can't help it. People can't take jokes. People, It's like you haters out there. You can't handle real scumbag Steve, Blake Boston, yo. Wheezy B. You got to hate on me because you can't handle me. I can't help you can't take a joke. Is watch these these people always accusing me of this kind of thing. Is watching a movie with you he has already seen. Ruins by saying them a couple ruins the lines by saying them a couple signs before the actor does, or I sing the song, or I tell you everybody dies at the red wedding, or tell you that maybe Carol dies next walking dead, even though I didn't see you know, everybody's this just haters hating on Blake. I can't help it. I got the, I'm seeing the movies before they're made, yo. Borrows games from you. <laughs> yeah. Trades them in at GameStop to pre-order new games. Exactly. Why you sit? You got these old games sitting around your house, fool. Brings four-year-old to R-rated movie. Hits them when they yell. First of all, I'm a single father. I got to see the movies. That was like two years ago. Hitting. I wasn't hitting, I was tapping. Okay, a little tap on the head. I told her to keep her eyes closed. And ears. I even went to the 99 cent store. I got some Dora the Explorer coloring book and two crayons that I took from Arby's. But, uh, oh no, that was, uh, well, whatever. Can't help it. She wasn't paying attention to a coloring book. 
complained. Anyway, I'm a single father. Says he doesn't have to believe in God to be a good person. Is a bad person. Right? That's it. I, you know, I don't, I don't got time for this. I feel like this whole thing is set up to make me look bad anyway, yo. So, hey, you old old guy, come over here. Still laughing. You laughing at me, huh? <laughs> oh, oh, yo, folks, I'm going to kill this because I'm going to mess this fool up. Like, wow, that was great. That was the uh, ladies and gentlemen. He's already gone. Uh, he made me pay for his dinner and his gas. Uh, but that was the Blake Boston Wheezy B, the real scumbag Steve, here in my studio. And my stomach just growled because I was I was so I'm so beside myself. He uh Wow. Um that was great and I hope you know he he put set you haters straight straight set you haters straight because maybe I just have low self esteem as a thing. And I'm taking it out of Blake, which is probably right, man. He's all alpha dog. Anyway, I want to, if you guys are still listening, because maybe Scumbag Steve wasn't the best thing to put you to sleep, but uh, I'm just going to read you some straight from Wikipedia, some boring stuff about memes. A meme is an idea, behavior, style that spreads from person to person with, within a culture. A meme acts as a unit for carrying cultural ideas, my sibilance is bad, sorry. Symbols or practices that can be transmitted from one mind to another through writing, speech, gestures, rituals, or other imitable phenomenon. Phenomena. 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 I'd have to look up if there's a difference between phenomena and phenomenon. Because I'm not, you know, again... Like Wheezy, I'm not smart as Wheezy B or smart people. Supporters of the concept regard memes as cultural an analogies or analogs. Because that's analogs to genes in, in that they self-replicate, mutate, and respond to selective pressures. The word meme is a shortening of mim something mim meme uh, Greek. Uh, which means imitated thing. And it was coined by the British evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins in the Selfish Gene, Selfish Gene in 1976. I think, is that guy, um, Richard Dawkins, I wonder if he I had a, seen a book um, about God recently. I wonder if it's the same guy. Uh, concept, evolutionary principles, cultural phenomena again. Proponents theorize that memes may evolve by natural selection. Now, we just had uh, evidence of natural selection in the house here um, in a manner analogous to biological evolution and obviously survival of the fittest. I mean, you didn't get more fit than Weezy B. I mean, he was just kind of, that was almost like his defense was like, um, because I was, I was listening like, wow. I mean, his defense is kind of... Um, of his behavior, he didn't seem too um, apologetic because he's saying, you know, this is the way I make my way in the world. It's clear he's a single father. And, you know, if you can, I mean, I guess I can kind of see, like, like 
almost like when people defend illegal downloads, one of them is like, oh, well, these companies always make a ton of money. That seems to be his defense, soda defense, which, I mean, personally, I've always thought, thought it's kind of a scumbag move when people ask for water and, but, and then get soda. But then I'm like, oh, maybe it's just because I'm chicken. And I guess that's what some scumbag Steve would probably say to me. After he hit me in the back of the head, he'd just call me a fool for paying. I wonder what it would be like to be his best friend. Or, I mean, if he has, he, he probably has gone through some best friends, but I wonder if he has a best friend. Uh, I wish, I'll try to get him back. If you guys enjoyed this, let me know. Dear Scooter at sleepwithmepodcast.com or dear, at Dear Scooter on Twitter. Um, I'm just gonna, if you're awake, I'm going to try to get you down here. I feel the study called Memetics arose in the 1990s to explore the concepts and transmission of means in terms of an evolutionary model. Criticism from a variety of fronts has challenged the notion that academic study can examine memes empirically. I guess like if you go to Reddit or Cheeseburger, I mean you can see, is that empiric, empirical? How many upvotes something's got or how many views? Because Steve might be the king. Um, there's a lot more here, but, you know, I have a little... Um, Guys, I have something amazing because I just want to save this as a cookie for for if you can't sleep. I guess this I guess this is an award award reward for um, not being able to be not being bored. I guess as a reward for listening to me and me being a failure at boring you to sleep, I have some unbelievable news, and that is that um, I actually have. So the person that was just here, Scumbag Steve Wheezy B, um, I just have a huge Scumbag Steve Wheezy B, Blake Boston-related announcement. And it's probably something most of us suspected or knew all along, um, but it's going to break on this podcast, and I'm going to turn the mic back over to the real, real, to the man behind Wheezy B, I guess. So, ladies and gentlemen, oh, hold on one second. Can I, can, I, can I use your real name? Can I use your real name to introduce you? Oh, you, okay. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Weezy B, Blake Boston, Scumbag Steve is back. Yo, yo, yo. Folks, uh, my name is Sir Charles... Danforth, and, uh, oh, where, where are you from? Can you tell them what where, where, where country you're from? Because I don't, who gets you? I'm from, uh, the, uh, Trans-Australia. Trans-Australia, it's a small country. I have a mixed, uh, but I've, I'm, I've folks, I'm, I'm, I'm an actor, and I wanted, you know, one of my heroes and the person I based Blake Boston, you know, I, I am the real Blake Boston, Wheezy B, and Scumbag Steve. And, you know, I, I based it on uh, great character actors, but I was particularly inspired by um, Borat, 
um, because uh, I just found that I found the movie just so darn funny, and um, so this was not a meme in the technical Dawkins sense because uh, as a character actor. I've been behind this the whole time. I've wrote most of the memes, and then it kind of caught fire. But I have about 1,100 different email addresses. And I created this character from the um, inside out. Um, oh, one second. Yeah, can you can you talk about... Um, just talk about, like, yeah, what's behind... What, what did you want to express with Scumbag Steve? Other than it's clear you're trying to be self-promoting, but... Um, you know, it's such a brilliant... Um, call, go, go ahead. Okay. Um, yes, thank you for your compliments, sir. Uh, and I'm, I apologize for the 2000... Whatever, making fun of you. But, you know, in 2011, when I... About 2010, when I was coming up with this character, uh, it was first struck me, even before that, before, in the midst of the banking crisis and, and such... Um, my heart was heavy for today's youth. And um, I just wondered, like, what is the future for today's youth? And, 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 and you talk about, they were talking in this election before Barack Obama was elected, uh, you know, about Main Street and Wall Street. And there was this Occupy movement that came up. Um, right, on, This was all happening in the past few years. And the inequity of riches in, in, in the, the first world and first worlders living in third world conditions. Um, these are all things that Blake Boston, I feel, as its creator, speaks to. And we can no longer... We need, we need more Blake Bostons in order to overturn this paradigm because... What Blake Boston represents to me is a kind of internal revolution that um, we need to dominate for ourselves. I, 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 I guess I'm losing my point here. I'm, I'm, I, my brilliance, I, I, I can't even describe it except in character. So, so I, I'm not doing myself justice because because I've created this cultural revolution. In, it's implanting in your subconscious. The metaphor of Blake Boston in, is in of itself a metaphor, and I, I don't want to tarnish it any further by by attempting to put it into just simple English because um, but I, I will say that yes I, I appreciate all, all the fandom of Blake Borsman and the anger that the outrage I'll, I'll just tell you this. why don't you turn the anger you have it at my character Blake Borsman scumbag Steve turn it outward against anger you have turn it against the banks and the government don't hate on scumbag Steve because your hatred of him rep represent, represents you, you got you gotta go man this is you just ruined scumbag Steve for me um, 
I hate you. Just get out, get out, get out of my house. Yeah, this, I know this is a small closet, and just get out. Um, oh, jeez, folks. I'm totally sorry about how this podcast went, because I, I'm going to go get, I'm going to try to get so drunk right now and try to not remember this, because I, I had one thing in my life that was sure to bring me joy was scumbag Steve and now this what does he say he was from Trans-Australia or something what a jerk I, I you know what scumbag Steve is real as Santa man and you know from this podcast that I believe in Santa and I believe in Blake Boston and Wheezy B and that guy was probably lying so let's just say that there is a real Blake Boston Wheezy B is real Beantown Mafia is real and don't let that don't listen to that guy. He was probably like a character character actor, like like I don't know, Borat's not real. Sasha Baron Cohen's real, but what if Borat was real? Okay? So I apologize and go to sleep, okay? And just close your eyes and don't let this worry you because things like Blake Boston you know, but that that's something you can think about. Like you don't gotta worry about work. Or bills. It's more fun to just laugh at Blake Boston, right? Like, remember that, like that one? <laughs> oh, that's the worst when people try to... Remember that time? Uh, that one's so funny. I guess I wasted the whole podcast because since you can't see the things, it's like almost like I was doing a podcast about a comic strip and you don't have a comic strip in front of you. So uh, now I'm just going on pointlessly rambling, hoping you fall asleep and then then you'll be thankful for this podcast. So if you are asleep, I'm glad. And if you're not, I'm sorry. Good night. Hey, good evening, and welcome to the Sleep With Me podcast, the podcast that puts you to sleep. Have you been tossing and turning at night, unable to stop your mind from racing and just close your eyes and drift off into dreamland? Well, I want to help. So I'm going to combine boredom and engagement and talk tonight for about 15, 20 minutes. And all you have to do is listen. And as things are slowly going to get more and more boring, and you're slowly going to get more and more relaxed and drift off into sleep. So go ahead and put your phone aside. Snuggle in under your covers. And get ready to fall asleep with me. As always, you can find us on the web at sleepwithmepodcast.com If you need to email me, it's dearestscooter at sleepwithmepodcast.com Or you can hit me on Twitter, at dearestscooter If you have a chance and you can review us and rate us on iTunes, that'd be great. And make sure and let me know by email or Twitter um, or signal fire or something. And What I'll do is I'll send you a bonus episode of Bob from The Walking Dead singing his Dream Song, Under the Sea. And tonight we have another episode of The Walking Dead, where we discuss the boring parts of The Walking Dead here. Not the stuff you saw on TV, not kills or escapes, but pretty dull stuff. Tonight is um, Walking Dead, we're talking about Walking Dead Season 4, Episode 5, which I'm going to call Peas in a Pod. It's good to see the governor back in the house. 
But tonight on The Walking Dead, we're going to cover... First, I'm going to talk about some of my thoughts about this episode, just real quick. And then we're going to talk about Sasha and Herschel, Faith, Belief, and Santa Claus. Then, you know, I'm going to, I scoured the internet for more jokes about spaghetti since Herschel was in such a jovial mood there. We're going to talk about the hazards of a dirty home or a dirty office. And then we're going to cover some versions of the Bible. So, thanks for coming, and I'm going to do my best to get you to sleep. There was a lot of interesting stuff in tonight's episode, or last night's episode, or Sunday night's episode, I guess, because it's Tuesday when I'm recording this, but uh, there's child soldiers, fruit leather, and obsession with brushing teeth. Um, a couple things that came to me that I didn't have time to research for this episode is if you snort antibiotics, do you think they go into your system faster? Like it, like if you can't inject something, is snorting it the second fastest way to get it into your system if you grind it up? Just a question to think about. Another thing is, who cut those trees? And with that slapstick, I mean, I loved that slapstick moment with them trying to mend the fences. Um, not very effective, guys. Rick and... The watch and time was something I thought about expounding on. Um, but it seems like a, a maybe a, just an ongoing metaphor about Rick that's above my head, so I'm not going to cover that. Um, if I could memify someone, uh, I was really afraid Glenn was not going to make it in the episode. And it, since last episode I was talking about memes, it made me think, man, it's like, good guy Glenn gets the girl, dies. So... Maybe I'll try to memify that later and put it up. Uh, let me look through here. Just give me a second. Oh, one other thing about the episode. I don't know if you ever remember. I mean, of course you remember the show ER. Um, not the original ER. Something about putting you in stitches, which George Clooney was on, by the way. That was a comedy. But then the ER that was on NBC every Thursday night, I believe. For a few seasons, I, I was a pretty avid watcher. And it seemed like, and I'm probably mispronunciating this word. Uh, like, but when you put a chest tube down, I think it's called intubate or in, in, intubate, I think, or something. I, I think for like two or three seasons straight for every episode, that was the first thing they did is either order a chest tube or intubate. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Take take it or leave it. So the, the biggest thing that stuck out to me is this, this was really a Herschel episode. And, you know, Herschel's this man of faith and belief. And then you had Sasha as someone who did the numbers. But in this whole interplay with Herschel protecting the children and self-sacrifice. And it's, it's ironic for two reasons. One, it gives me a little bit more evidence that Herschel is probably the real Santa Claus. Um, but, you know, I don't have enough proof yet. All of these struggles that happen to be just going on at the prison are actually going on in the North Pole. So right now we're going to check in on the North Pole and what's happening during this crisis with The Walking Dead, The North Pole Chronicles. If I had a cool, eerie introductory song, it would cue now. But just close your eyes, even though they're already closed. Close the insides of your eyes, your imaginary eyes, because we're trapped. Chief, it's Rupert reporting in. 
I've decided to put an end to this Christmas debate, Chief. I know you guys have been putting a lot of work into this Operation Christmas Blitz, and you know I'm not nonviolent. God, you got no problem with violence, Chief. And I feel like I've expressed my opinion about the logistics. That's too early for this to work. There's not enough prep. And you seem to put, have put your boat down, Chief. I know you want to use a big night to try to save as many people as possible. But you're not going to be able to save everyone. According to the computer models we've been running, it's not even close you're looking at maybe saving 3 to 4% of the surviving population. I know you want to hear this, and no one else is going to stand up to you and say it, Chief. But I do feel I need to remind you that we're a place that survives on faith and belief. And that belief is in us and in you. And it's a luxury the Southerners are slowly like losing mental capacity for. And I'm not trying to sound condescending, but we both know the North Pole is powered by that belief, literally and figuratively. And the energy behind that's waning, Chief. I visited the source. I'm not sure we can last for two more eves this year's and next's. And what we got people down there need something to believe in too we need their belief but they need to believe let's get something to keep them going chief one more year one more month hey call me Pollyanna but I think we're the thing we can give them something to believe in that's why as of today I've geared up for a full population Christmas, we're going to go traditional and visit all survivors. There's going to be presents for every kid. It's just, of course, Chief, we're going to throw in some weapons and survival gear for the parents or the adults or the caretakers. But we need to let them know we're still here. We still care. And that Santa is coming to town. As your proxy, I accept full responsibility for these decisions. But Chief, while we have the resources and the energy, we need to bring Christmas back from the dead. Rupert out. Alright, spaghetti jokes. I got these at um, jokes.com, one joke, and jokesforus.com. They'll be in the show notes. I think jokes.com might be owned by Comedy Central, but I'm not sure. And this first joke's called An Order of Spaghetti. A doctor was having an affair with his nurse. And after a little while, she got pregnant. And, of course, the doctor didn't want his wife to find out. So he gave the nurse some money. He told her to go um, move back in with her parents in Italy and just have the baby there. And she was like... Well, how, how am I going to let you know the baby was born? Obviously, this joke was written, even though I found it on the Internet in probably 1970. Uh, how will I let you know the baby's born, she asked. And he replied, just send a postcard and write spaghetti on the back. I'll take care of everything. Not knowing what else to do, 
the nurse flew to Italy, went and had the went moved in with her parents, and the doctor just went back to his normal life, I guess. And after a few months, he was working his office one day, and his secretary comes in, and she's like, "Doctor, your wife's on the phone. She, she's she's." She's she's out of control. She needs to speak with you immediately. She gets on the phone. She's like, "Dear, there's some something strange here. You got this bizarre postcard from Italy. I don't understand what it means. Is there some kind of uh, men, mental patient after you or something?" The doctor says, "Just relax, relax. Wait home. Wait till I get home. You know, I'll take care of it." Thinking, "Okay, I got myself a baby." So the doctor goes home. His wife hands him the postcard when he gets in the door. He reads it, and he drops dead of a heart attack. And as they're trying to revive him, she calls 911. The medics come. They're trying to get him back. And they're like, well, what, what happened to this guy? And the wife picks up the card, and she reads, Spaghetti, 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 spaghetti. Two with sausage and meatballs, two without. Okay, here's some more. These ones might be funny just because they're cheesy. This was a lot of offensive ones on there that I, I deleted. There's a couple just barely dirty offensive ones, but I know you guys could take that. Did you hear about the Italian chef that died? He passed away. What do blondes and spaghetti have in common? They both wiggle when you eat them. What do Italians eat on Halloween? Fettuccine Alfredo. What would you get? I, could, I can't understand this joke. What would you get if you crossed pasta with a snake? Spaghetti that wraps itself around a fork. Uh, terrorists have hidden bombs in tins of alphabet spaghetti. If they go off, they could spell disaster. What do you call? <laughs> Sorry, I could regulate that laugh. What do you call a fake noodle? An impasta. Where did the spaghetti go to dance? The meatball. I'm, I'm three-quarters Irish, so... What does an Irishman get after eating Italian lasagna? Gaelic breath. It's not funny either. What is the dress code at the pasta convention? Bow tie. Knock, knock. Who's there? Pasta. Pasta who? Pasta pizza. We're hungry. This other one's kind of long, and basically the punchline is something about, uh, yeah, never mind. You guys don't want to know about it. Okay, this next one's, in this next segment, I was just wondering, I mean, besides who was cutting up that wood that they put out there, and what kind of horrible planning went into putting that protecting fence up, you know, Rick's out there farming, and, and meanwhile, Carl was living in this office, that was a total pigsty. I mean, if Lori was alive and it was normal day, non-crisis mode, they, she, Rick would have lost custody of Carl. I mean, there's papers all over the floor. He could slip. It, it just—it was just one thing that stuck out to me. Not in a, a fanboy way, but it's just like it, Rick's so edgy. Because, Carl. What have you been doing for the past three days? Clean this mess up, man. Pick up some of these papers. I had a list of hazards for children in dirty homes and offices, but, I mean, it should be straightforward. I mean, there's papers everywhere. Come on, man. 
I don't know, maybe I'm just being picky. Oh, and I also had a quote from Florence Nightingale. The connection between health and the dwelling of the population is one of the most important that exists. The connection between health and the dwelling of a population is one of the most important that exists. Florence Nightingale. So at some point in the episode, Herschel had a Bible, and I, I didn't. I was like, "Huh, I wonder." You know, there's all these versions of the Bible, and I wonder what version Herschel was holding. So I started doing some research, and I was like, "Hmm." I mean, I guess I can guess why there'd be different versions of the Bible, but. I started to do some research, and it's like um, a rabbit hole I'm not willing to go down on this episode because I'm trying to help you fall asleep, and I don't want to stir up any controversy or start anybody's blood boiling just because it, it seems like some people have an agenda about different versions of the Bible, and I was just trying to... It wasn't quite boring enough. So instead of that, I'm just going to... There's a lot of versions of the Bible. So sit back, and this is just going to be like... Bibles jumping over a fence, and I'm going to go through the list. So picture those Bibles jumping over a fence. The first Bible is the American Standard Version, 1901. Then there's the American King James Version, 1999, Modern English. The Amplified Bible from 1965. That's very 60s. Amplified Bible, man. An American Translation from 1935, also written by the guy who wrote An American Tale, probably. The Art Scroll from 1996. It sounds like a New Wave band, but I think New Wave was before that. I don't even really know what New Wave is. Like Devo. I don't know, is that New Wave? An American Translation from 1976. The Berkeley Version. 1958, Rebellious, Bible in English, that's very Wikipedia, 1949, The Bible in Living English in 1972, kind of like performance art Bible, The Bishop's Bible, 1568, torturing and doing mean stuff to people that don't read it, Catholic Public Domain Version, 2009, Keeping a Public Domain, Children's King James Version, 1962, Christian Community Bible, Clear Word Bible, Clear Word Bible, I like that, Complete Jewish Bible, 1998, Contemporary English Version, 1995, Concordant Literal Version, 1926, 31, and 66, Coverdale Bible, that one just sounds cool, and it's from 1535. Maybe from David Coverdale, of Coverdale Page Days. The Dabhar Translation, 2005. The Darby Bible, 1890. A proper Bible. The Douay Reims Bible. And the Douay Reims Bible, Chalonier Revision. Easy English Bible. Easy to read version. Bible. These are Bibles for idiots. The emphasized Bible. <laughs> that must be for, like, boring people or something. Or I guess, maybe not boring people, like people that are, I don't know, 
English Ju- Jubilee Bible 2000. English Standard Version. Ferrar Fenton Bible. It's like a all-country band or something. Geneva Bible. Probably good with numbers. God's Word. Why would you need another Bible if you had God's Word? That's only that's a good one. Good News Bible, 1976. I remember hearing stuff about that. I think I, I've seen a few copies of that in different places. The Great Bible, the Bible that thinks too highly of itself. The Holman Christian Standard Bible, guy had the gall to name the Bible after himself. The Inclusive Bible, this is from 2007. I would guess it's probably politically correct, since maybe there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe it's just like a Bible that says, hey, come on over here, buddy. You want to play with our group? International Standard Version, 2011. That was a dominator on the Internet. Jerusalem Bible, 66. Jewish Publication Society of America Version. Judica Press. Oh, he got another person naming a Bible after themselves. Julia E. Smith Parker translation. Now, it could be posthumous. Like, people loved her so much, they named a Bible after her. 1876. King James 2000 version. 2000. Remember, like, Leonard 2000? Wasn't that a really bad Bill Cosby movie? Usually if 2000's in the title and it comes out anywhere near 2000, it's pretty bad. Because I think, like, the first Death Race, was the first Death Race 2000 named Death Race 2000? And that was a good one, and then they came out with one right around then? I don't know, anyway. The King James Easy Reading Version, King James Version, King James 2 Version. This King James gets a lot of reboots. The Knox Translation of the Vulgate, the Lamsa Bible, very Eastern a literal translation of the Bible. So you got a Bible that's a translation of the Bible. Hmm. Lesser Bible, very modest. Or maybe like someone else named it. I don't know, that's the Lesser Bible. Those people, they read the Lesser Bible. Well, you know, most people that read the Bible, I mean, there's lots of choices, so I'm not hating on anybody. I'm just, I'm just reading this list. The Living Torah, Matthew's Bible, he got spanked for losing that, I bet. They bust out the switch. The message. Also, probably M. Night Shyamalan's next movie. The message. Modern King James Version. King James Reboot, another one. Modern Language Bible. The Moffat New Translation. Murdoch Translation of the Western Pishitu. Or something. That's, um... Sponsored by Fox News, Murdoch. New American Bible, New American Standard Bible. New Century Version, New English Bible, New English Translation Bible. New International Reader's Version, 1998. The 90s were a good year for Bibles. New International Version Inclusive Inclusive Language Edition, 1996. That predates political correctness, too, I think. The New International Version, 1978. New Jerusalem Bible, 85. New Jewish Publication Society of America Version. New King James Version, 1982. New Life Version. 
New Living Translation. New Revised Standard Version. Now that is some words I don't know if they belong together. New Revised Standard Version. Can the Standard Version be new and revised? New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures. The Orthodox Study Bible. Quaker Bible. Recovery Version of the Bible. Revised Version. Revised Standard Version. So you can have the Revised Version, Revised Standard Version, the New Revised Standard Version. That's like 89... 1885 was the Revised Version, the Revised Standard 52. Yeah, it must be some big 30-year thing. New Revised Standard, 1989. Revised Standard Version, Catholic Edition, 66. Does not come with birth control. Revised English Version, the Scriptures. That's probably what, I mean, if I couldn't, if I don't got God's Word, I might go with the Scriptures. Simplified English Bible, the Story Bible, the Taverner's Bible, to read at bars, Thompson's translation, today's new international version, the Third Millennium Bible, came out in 1998 though, I wonder if they were worried about, um, what was Y2K, the Tyndale Bible, Tyndale Bible we could call it, updated King James Version, a voice in the wilderness, holy scriptures for mountain men. Common English Bible, Webster's Revision, Westminster Bible, the work of God's children, illustrated Bible, Wycliffe's Bible. I'd make some Wycliffe gene thing, but these came out in 1380 and 1388. Young's literal translation. So that's literal, but only in Young's opinion. And that's going to do us for tonight. Um, I hope you had a good night's rest now. I hope you believe in Santa Claus, because I do, and I believe that Herschel really is Santa Claus if you're still awake and positive. I mean, think about the way he was acting in this episode. Good evening, and welcome to the Sleep With Me podcast, the podcast that puts you to sleep. I'm Dear Scooter, and I want to help you fall asleep tonight. Now, the Sleep With Me podcast is something I made for people that have trouble getting to, get, getting, getting to bed at night. You know, if you're tossing and turning or thoughts are racing, I've been there. So this is for you. And basically, tonight I'm going to talk about uh, Season 4, Episode 6 of The Walking Dead. But I'm only going to talk about the boring parts. Not stuff that happened in the episode. And it should be engaging enough for you to listen and enjoy for a little while, but it'll slowly get more and more boring. And hopefully you won't be thinking about work or your relationships. You'll be sound asleep. Now you can find us on the web at www.sleepwithmepodcast.com 
And we do need your help. If you can review or rate us on iTunes or let someone know about the podcast, I can't sleep at night. I think it's like 99.9% of the world. Uh, it seems like what I'm searching on uh, Twitter. Um, and if you do, let me know and I'll send you a bonus episode. Bob from The Walking Dead singing Under the Sea. And I'd really appreciate it too. And you can reach me on Twitter at, at Dearest Scooter. Dearest Scooter. With some sibilance. Hope that's not bothering your ears. And you can get me at sleepwithmepodcast.com. Just email Dearest Scooter at sleepwithmepodcast.com. And thanks for listening. Tonight we're doing Live Bait, Season 4, Episode 6 of The Walking Dead. And here's here's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to answer two questions. One, why do pirates wear eye patches? Or why are so many pirates patch-worthy? No, patch-necess... whatever. And why did the governor burn down Woodbury anyway? Other than he's stark raving mad. We're going to talk about Gorabelli and the founder. We're going to talk about Hotels and motels, but mostly Holiday Inn. I was thinking, I, 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 I was going to give you some legal advice that's not legal advice and talk about living wills and DNRs, but I just decided that's way too depressing if you can't sleep to be hearing about that stuff. Plus, it's kind of politically charged, and I don't want to get anybody um, bent out of shape, so we'll skip that. And we'll talk about some ingredients in a, a product that was featured multiple times on this episode. So settle in, put your phone down, pull those covers up high or low, make sure your eyes are closed and lights are out. I won't scare you. And get ready to fall asleep with me. Okay, so what's up with the eye patches and pirates? Um, those of you with moderate intelligence are more intelligent than me, so middling intelligence might know the answer to this, but I think I had probably been told it and already forgot it, because I was like, when I was looking it up today, I was like, wait, okay, can't, the pirates couldn't have suffered that many eye injuries comparable to the population of that time, could they? So I looked up on the web and I found this great article on mental floss about it. You know, basically it does back that, but it has nothing to do with mi- missing eyes, it has to do with the ability to see above deck and below deck. According to Mental Floss, Jim Sheedy, a doctor at the Vision Performance Institute, he told the Wall Street Journal, you know, that the eye, it can take up to 25 minutes for your eye to adapt when going to bright light to darkness and darkness to bright light because it requires the regeneration, regeneration of photopigments. So pirates, you know, were always going up and down deck and they never knew when someone was going to... Stab him in the chest with a cutlet, cut cutlass. Getting stabbed with a cutlet would wouldn't hurt at all unless it was piping hot. But so they would switch it from one eye to another when they were going up and down below deck. Now, metal floss, they don't mess around. So they did note there's no first-person sources for this from history that stated as fact. I mean, there's no question that that technique would work, and they said that Mythbusters tested it on an episode and determined it was plausible, but they couldn't confirm it. There's no historical sources. But 
Certain military and FAA manuals do recommend holding a hand over an eye or covering an eye when you're turning on bright lights. So it, that, that makes sense, man. Pirates are smart dudes. And what about our pirate? The governor. He was so nice this episode. But we're not going to get into that because that was interesting. We're going to get into why would he go and burn down Woodbury? I'm not sure. I'm sure there's a lot of theories out there that make perfect sense. But they don't have the inside scoop like I do. It was The real reason he burned it down was he was hiding something. And it was related to a hobby he had that predates the zombie apocalypse. And he didn't want anyone to find out about this hobby. And God forbid Michonne or Rick found out about it. And one other, one thing kind of runs parallel to his hobby is that we learned is that the governor's got game, man. I mean, he's the only person that's had multiple partners other than uh, Lori, who's not with us anymore. And, I mean, if you imagine, he probably had partners before that. I mean, that they were in bed. I, I, I was pretty surprised by that. But anyway, so the governor's a sexual person. Let's leave it at that. And this is what has to do with his secret. To pass time, both in his miserable cubicle life, and then once the apocalypse hit, he was writing pirate erotica. And he, I guess he, he was really good at it. You know, he didn't fall into, like, easy cliches like, the pirate's booty, or dead man's chest, uh, and like One-Eyed Willie, obviously. Uh, he created this character, this lustful hero named Flynn Darkbeard, and Flynn was like half Earl Flynn, the tip of the cap there, the tip of the pirate hat or whatever. And half like a Bluto from Popeye. And the governor, he's churning out books of this erotica. You know, it's getting him through the days. I mean, and he was just as productive once the zombie apocalypse, once, once the zombies hit. He didn't just give it up, but he'd follow good old Darkbeard's Traveling around the world, seducing women, stealing gold, seducing women. And he had this take on it that he was a man women would both fear and desire. Take what he wants. If it wasn't for the zombie outbreak, we could he could have been looking at, you know, a seven-figure deal for the next Twilight or self-published and been like E.L. James and the Fifty Shades of Grey. He had this whole side of Flynn Darkbeard, this sensitive, vulnerable side. You know, he showed to the women, probably right before he hit him or something crazy. But um, I think this is probably why he burned Woodbury down. Is because can you imagine Rick and Daryl and Michonne reading through this, like getting into the governor's bedroom? I mean, that would be a laugh. Oh, hello, my lady. They'd, be do, they'd probably dress up for him as Halloween, even though, as far as I can tell, they don't celebrate Halloween. But so that's why he burned down Woodbury. 
he wears an eye patch because he's got no eye. But that that answers those questions. Next up, Gore Belly. Now, most of us remember it from being a kid and their tagline and their commercials. Gore Belly, which was stolen by Menon in a big lawsuit, but a lot of you guys might be too young to remember. Gore Belly, but it sticks with you. In your head, I can hear you thinking it right now. Gore Belly. But the founder of Gore Belly was this man, Hans Zimmer Gore Belly. He was uh, Italian-German heritage, obviously. He was a World War I vet that fought in the trenches, and the, the food that he had to endure inspired him. After the war, he became a pioneer in food preservation. Okay, mostly chemicals that turned out to be cancerous, but at the time, it was breakthrough stuff, and he kept inventing stuff up until like the 1960s, almost every shelf sta stable convenience product had to go through a Gorbelli patent. And so in the 1960s, though, he sold out to, I don't know, one of the big, big agricultural firms. I don't know if it was ConAgra or ADM or some precursor, one of those companies, but for a bunch of dough, obviously. And then he kind of disappeared off the food preservative a-list, if you will. But I was always obsessed with him. He's like my white whale as a child because I had a sensitivity to food preservation chemicals. And I wrote, oh, about 10 years ago maybe, I wrote a musical about him because I looked into what he'd been up to. And he was one of those evil geniuses. And inspired, this musical is kind of inspired by Urinetown. Gorbelli was this evil scientist in the musical um, and allegedly in real life. Gorbelli states LLC or whatever before you start suing me. So Hans Zimmer Gorbelli is this evil scientist. And he gets hired by this faceless corporate big box store in the family that runs it. And it's called Alsmart. A-L apostrophe S. M-A-R-T with the double smart thing in there and what Gorbelli had done they want you know they're like do you have any evil ways that are really cheap to increase productivity and Gorbelli had created this machine and I don't know how it works because I'm not an evil genius but they would pull souls of the nearly departed and it can insert them into like entry-level workers and it would up their productivity by like 47 percent and what Corbelli realized is, for some reason, celebrity souls, for some reason, celebrity souls would up the productivity to like 68, 72%. So somehow, and don't ask me how, some kind of magic, science magic, he's downloading these celebrity souls into regular human workers at Al's Mart. And everything's going roses is a test run here and somewhere in Illinois. And this is right around the time that uh, Princess Di passed away and JFK Jr. And up until the experiment, he didn't think the souls could 
become sentient inside the human host. They're just there to up the productivity with some kind of celebrity mojo. So this is all in musical form, which I'm not going to do to you tonight. But, you know, so the crazy thing, the twist, my wacky twist there was that uh, uh, Princess Di got downloaded into, like, more of a middle manager type store manager. And Dodie and JFK Jr., they were just um, janitorial staff. And it was all their first day at work. I mean, Princess Di had gotten some kind of two-week corporate training. And, you know, there's like a song, like the Almart Shuffle. That was like the orientation song. And I, I don't have any experience in musical or music. I mean, you've heard me sing if you've listened to other episodes. But the highlight was, you know, Dodie was still, Dodie and JFK Jr. You know, there's some slapstick and yada, yada, yada. Dodie's not having this working for the man thing. And then he realizes that he's in love with Princess Di. That's his, his woman. And meanwhile, she's a total corporate stooge. And everything goes wild. And then it basically ends in a song, which, of course, I don't have the rights to. And for some reason, I don't even know the name, so I've put it in the show notes. And, and even when I was writing the musical, I'd be like, what is the name of that song? But it culminates with, like, Dodie, JFK Jr. in some sort of great battle. And they're standing triumphant. And Dodie rips off his, um, his uh, what do you call those things, like vest, apron vest for Al's Mart. And he's singing this song that culminates in, Dodie doesn't work here anymore. I, I, I don't know whose song that is, like Joan Jett, or it's probably someone really cool because I, I remember the song, but Dodie doesn't work here anymore. Billy Idol? I don't know. So... That is a ton of stuff about Hans Zimmer Bradley, or Hans Zimmer Gorbelly. You don't need to know. What else don't we need to know? So, the word Holiday Inn came up on this episode. And I don't know if they paid for it or not, but I was like, oh, let me look into it. Does the Holiday Inn have a checkered past, like Gorbelly does? Well, no, it doesn't. It was founded by... Kemmons Wilson, he was from Memphis, Tennessee, this is all via Wikipedia, and he had just had some Clark Griswold, National Lampoon-esque, horrible family road trip to D.C. with all these dirty motels, and he decided to do things differently, that he'd be able to do it. And so in 42, he opened a motel, and they named it Holiday Inn as a joke, after the uh, Bing Crosby Fred Astaire flick. Or, I guess, as with Wikipedia, it's contradicting itself, but in, it, 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 whatever, doesn't matter. Then he partnered up with Wallace e. Johnson, some big shot, and they built. They decided to build three more motels. So they covered every road into Memphis, had a Holiday Inn at it. Pretty sm- smooth guys. And it looks like they were really good friends, because... When Johnson passed away, Wilson's quoted as saying, The greatest man I have ever known died today. He was the greatest partner a man could ever have. So, pretty sweet thoughts. In 56, 1956, there's 23 Holiday Inns, and seven more opened that year. In 57, 
Wilson franchised the chain, and he wanted everyone to follow the tenant, that it should be standardized, predictable, family-friendly, ready, readily accessible to road travelers. Oh, and clean. I was like, I don't see clean in there. So, thanks a lot for the homogenization, bro. The, the places are clean. They got me. And they usually have a pool. Back in the day, they did. They they were called the Nation's Innkeeper. Not like that other company that leaves the light on for you. I like that one better, but... Uh, they branched in some other stuff. It was crazy to learn. You know, they had, in the 60s, like, uh, campgrounds, and they were called uh, travel parks. They opened some nursing centers, which couldn't have gone well. They owned Continental Trailways, the bus, Delta Queen, and they even had a television production company that syndicated country music shows. Eventually, in the 80s, they started hitting up against some uh, corporation corporate challengers for that uh, part of the market. So, you know, they lost some of their dominance, but they also had... MC Suites, Crown Plaza, Homewood Suites, Hampton Inn, Milford Plaza, the lullaby of old Broadway. If you watch WPIX, you'll get that reference. In 88, they were bought by Bass Beer. And then eventually they were sold off to Intercontinental, or Bass acquired Intercontinental, spun it off. I don't know how all that junk works. And then... They did a reboot in 2007, and they tried to relaunch the brand without motels, just hotels. But one of the things they were famous for, and I don't know if I actually even saw one of these signs, but was their great signs, which were these big signs. I'll put a picture up in the show notes, speak with, sleepwithmepodcast.com. And it was like one of those really cool neon signs. It was green and had like arrow that lit up and a star that lit up. And its, it's lettering was like all cur cursive with, you know, lights up. I mean, that that's still cool. I think neon rules. You can quote me on that. They said he, that Wilson picked out the, sign, the colors of the sign because his mom liked those were her, his favorite colors. Of course, in 82, as soon as um, Wilson either stepped down or retired or whatever, the corporate stooges were like, all right, let's get rid of these signs. It cost too much money. And he said it was the worst decision they ever made. And he loved the sign so much he had it engraved on his tombstone. And I mean, I wish I could have one of these signs. And uh, I guess it was like a while where there were no intact signs. In 2006, somebody found a complete sign. It was disassembled, but it had everything. Then Minnesota, they found one, and it was restored to its glory. And that one is on display at the National Save the Neon Signs Museum in Minot, Minot, North Dakota. North Dakota's a great state, by the way, but I haven't been to that museum. But if I'm in North Dakota again, I'm checking it out. There's also... A sign they found in Las Vegas that stands outside the new American Sign Museum in Cincinnati, Ohio. Maybe I could get to there. There's a sign now. Another intact and operating sign is at the Henry Ford Museum in Dearborn, Michigan. And a private collector in Kentucky has one. So that'll be my first stop. If there's a zombie apocalypse, I'm going to get that sign. 
And that's like really one of those classic things. I guess it's kind of ironic because uh, it was this Ameri- piece of Americana that was actually cool, created by a company that was trying to homogenize and standardize motels. And then that kind of attitude killed the sign-off because probably, like, not everybody's going to keep all their lights lit. Things are going to get dirty. cost a bunch of bread. So what created the sign also extincted it or caused it to be extinct for you English majors. As I said earlier, I have about six pages on living wills and do not resuscitate stuff. I'm not going to go through it. I'm not going to put you through it. Let's just look at pepperoni sticks or those type of meat sticks you get at uh, at convenience stores. What's in them? And this is from Wired Magazine. Beef is one ingredient, and they say it's it's beef, but the U.S. Department of Agriculture categorized beef into eight grades of quality. The bottom three, utility, cutter, and canner, are typically used and they call it from older steers with possi- partially ossified vertebrae, tougher tissue, and that's all they could get out of the company that makes this particular pepperoni stick. Partially ossified vertebrae. I don't even know what that means, but nasty. Mechanically separated chicken, next ingredient. That's that pink slime we've seen, the chicken pink slime. Corn and wheat proteins. Yeah, we got plenty of that in the U.S. of A. Lactic acid starter culture. Let's say it like ferments. It it ferments the sausages like salami and pepperoni, because it uses bacteria and sugar to produce lactic acid, which lowers the pH of the sausage firming up the meat and hopefully killing all bacteria. Dextrose, which serves as food for the lactic acid starter culture. Salt, binds the water molecules, leaving little H2O for microbes and preventing spoilage. One Slim Jim gives you one-sixth of your day's sodium, so especially if you're on the run. I don't know how many calories are in it. I should have looked it up, but I didn't. But, you know, salt and calories. Sodium nitrate cosmetically added because it combines with the myoglobin and animal tissue to keep it from turning gray. It also inhibits botulism. But six grams of the stuff, according to Wired Magazine, the equivalent of 1,400 Slim Jims, can kill you. So that's not good either. Hydrolyzed soy breaks up larger soy protein molecules into their constituent amino acids, such as glutamic acid. Typically, the process results in MSG, and that's why it tastes so good. So that's it for this episode. I don't have any boring lists. I mean, if you stay awake through that Holiday Inn nonsense... Um, you know, just relax. 
Why don't you try doing something like where you squeeze your feet, squeeze your toes, your calves, and then your kneecaps, and yeah, squeeze your kneecaps and hold it and let it go. Now you're drift on the sea. And go ahead and pucker up your face and be glad no one can see you and release. And make your biceps real big and strong and hold and release. And when you release, why don't you breathe out? And if you're sleeping next to someone, they're going to kill me. Okay, squeeze your butt cheeks and hold. And hold. And hold. And hold. And release. Firm, firm butt. You owe me for that one. Um, what else can we squeeze? Triceps. Don't overextend your elbows. Okay, squeeze those. And release. Okay, now give yourself a big hug. Tell yourself it's going to be okay. We all got worries. And if you if you doubt that, I'm really serious about creating a community of people to help each other fall asleep. I've searched on Twitter. If you search insomnia, it's crazy. So if you really can't sleep, get up out of bed. Go on Twitter if you use that and say, hey, I can't sleep either, man. What are you do? What are you trying? This lame podcast said it was going to get me to sleep, and now I, not only can I not sleep, I'm singing Gore Belly. So see if you can find some other tips to help other people out if you think I suck. And get some milk. Or read a book. But know that insomnia and sleep problems won't last forever. And you just got to get through tonight. And things are going to get better. Okay? Good night. Warning. Do not listen to this podcast while operating heavy machinery or driving a motor vehicle. This podcast is designed to put you to sleep as soon as possible by boredom. Operating a vehicle or machinery could result in dismemberment or death. Otherwise, welcome to the Sleep With Me podcast, the podcast that puts you to sleep. If you're up tossing and turning at night, mind racing and stuff like that, you're in the right place. I'm Dear Scooter, and I'm going to talk to you tonight, and it's slowly going to get more and more boring, and you're going to fall asleep. All you need to do is put the phone, your phone to the side, and the speakers, or facing you, or put on a Bluetooth speaker or whatever, and just listen to the sound of my voice, and I promise I will do my best to get you off to dreamland. That's what the Sleeping With Me podcast is here for, to put you to sleep. If you find something you like or you don't like, email me, feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com. Tweet me at Dearest Scooter. Just let me know if something works, something doesn't, because I'm, all I'm trying to do is bore you to sleep. Pretty simple. And we'll, we'll start out, if this is your first time, it's going to start out a little bit interesting, and you might learn something tonight. But go ahead, you can find us on the web with tons of sleep tips at www.sleepwithmepodcast.com. 
And if you can review us or rate us on iTunes or let a friend know or a stranger, it'd be great. And if you do, let me know and I will send you a bonus episode from The Walking Dead where Bob sings Under the Sea from The Little Mermaid. And tonight we're covering Season 4, Episode 7 of The Walking Dead, The Boring Parts. Tonight we're going to cover Metaphor and Similes, Quicksand, the fine actor Kirk Acevedo, and we'll even touch on a little bit of Shakespeare. So sit back, get under those covers, and get ready to fall asleep. As I was watching this week's episode, I noticed I found myself saying, metaphor alert when different things happen because I thought they are metaphors for things in the show. And then I realized since I'm of below average intelligence, I might not have been using the word metaphor correctly. And then I was like, is metaphor... I know metaphor and simile, I learned, and I was pretty sure simile is the like and as. But I was like, are these things appearing in this episode, are they metaphors or something else? And uh, so I did some research, and a metaphor is a figure of speech that describes a subject by asserting that it is, on some point of comparison, the same as another otherwise unrelated object. It's kind of like an analogy. It's a figure of speech. Um, And it's also similar to similes, allegories, hyperbole, or hyperbole, or hyperbole, if you're not an idiot like myself? Or is it a motif? Or is is this just imagery? And one of the prominent uh, metaphors this article on uh, Wikipedia, I believe, pointed to is all the world's a stage and all the men and women are mere players. They all have their exits and entrances. And that's from Shakespeare, As You Like It. And it says, you know, it's a metaphor because the world's not really a stage. It's kind of a, they're speaking figuratively. So, and then, you know, like, a simile is like, like or as. So, what were some of the things that came up this episode that I thought was, was that a metaphor or what? And one thing was the lake. It came up a couple times in that episode, and the governor initially was like, ooh, is there fish in there? Or, you know, kind of slimy creatures are in there. They're like, no, this lake is dead. It's placid calm, kind of comforting possibly, but dead. And then by the end of the episode, it's undead. It's got that dude down there all freaking out and total uh, governor madness. So that one, I guess, is kind of like an image. It's, I mean, does the lake, is it a metaphor for the governor or his state of mind or the entire world? Like, that it might seem calm. I guess it is kind of like the governor. He he does seem calm a lot of times. He's cool. They say he's got ice in his veins. So, but inside, is he dead? Or is he undead? I don't know. The uh, second one is the old leak in the ceiling. That was one that got my attention. I found myself scribbling down. It was, and it, could that be a simile? Like, the governor's mind's like a leaky faucet or a leak in the ceiling. But, you know, they pay people a lot more than to, to write these episodes than me. But it seemed like it, it was something that is just annoying, the slow drip. And you have something so easy to fix, but the governor hasn't fixed it. Even Martinez is like, dude, why don't you, why don't you fix that thing? Or, Here's some duct tape, bro. And even when the governor goes to fix it, he doesn't get around to fixing it. 
So is the governor's is that going to, is that one of the things that slowly drove him insane? I don't know. Or is the governor insane? I'm bringing up a lot more questions than answers here. We also had Alicia and Tara, and they're busting out some metaphors or something. The first one was, uh, I didn't know if this was a sexual innuendo, and I meant to look innuendo up. I don't even know what that means. But, uh, you know, she said, like, something about big guns versus Smith or Wesson's, her preference. But I found myself singing for the other, and I don't know if it's a metaphor or uh it's definitely not a hyperbole, but an allegory is like kind of that's kind of like a parable. But when um, Alicia was getting her hand, the cut in her hand thing is, oh, that cuts cuts deep, and it's like I just wanted to bust out the first cut is the deepest. I don't know if I was going to sing the, the Cheryl Crow version or or what, but and the, the lyrics I sung, it's kind of a sad song. Um, not that it had anything to do with this episode other than I was projecting it and singing it to those two women that were falling in love. But it's like, I would have given you all my heart, but there's someone who tore it apart. And she's taking almost all I've got. But if you want, I'll try to love again. Baby, I'll try to love again, but I know. The first cut is the deepest, baby, I know. The first cut is the deepest. Because when it comes to being lucky, she's cursed. And when it comes to loving me, she's worse. But when it comes to being loved, she's first. And that's how I know. First cut is the deepest, baby, I know. So it's like, kind of, I, I guess in some sense the governor could sing this because he's never going to recover, it seems. And it seems like the singer of this song is like, I'm going to try to recover and love you, but I'm probably not going to love you like I love this person before you. So in some sense, that doesn't make sense for the girls, but for the governor, he's trying again. But wherever he's been cut by his dad or his brother or the world, there's really he's not coming back from 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 the first cut, which was the deepest, or maybe it was the second or third cut. Who knows? And what's up with that? You know, halfway through the episode, he switches guns and he's got that assault rifle thing that. Maybe that's the gun that's evil, like it's possessing the governor and making him crazy, because as soon as he gets that gun in his hand, that's when the bad shit starts to happen. And then, I'll, I'll get into this more at the end, but then there's also the crown, and uh, they're on the roof, and he's like, you know, maybe I'll share the crown with you. For me, that was the, his breaking point, and what he was saying he didn't want was that he doesn't want to wear the crown, and... You know, there's the old saying, heavy is the heavy is the head that wears the crown. And I'll talk about the end of the episode. But it seems to me that in these episodes, and I love David Morrissey, I love the governor, so maybe I'm too pro-governor. But he, he seems tortured because he knows what needs to be done and because he's capable of doing it. Like in the episode before, he was kind of like, when he was talking to the little girl, she was asking him about his past camps or something. He said, the man tried, and he, he was trying to protect us. You know, he might have been doing wrong or evil, but it was to protect us. And So it's like, and at the same time, the governor can't resist it. And then once he goes in, he goes all in. Um, all, or that Martinez goes all the way into the pit. But So I don't know. Like I, I really am glad they took this breather and as someone online pointed out, 
something that I was already thinking was like it's kind of like the tail section on Lost and when they departed and hung out with those guys. And I was also like, man, Bob, that's in the prison, would have loved this camp because they are hitting the sauce that day hard. I'm like, man, they got a lot of booze. Like they had actually, I mean, they only had a six pack of beer. Then the next thing you know, they got bottles of beer, bottles of booze. And I'm like, man, Bob, if you knew it, be like, Bob, you missed the best party ever, bro. I got off track there and I don't even know what I got off track about, but, uh, so yeah, I was off track, but I'm off track and uh, if I can remember, I'll come back to it, but quicksand got a zombie quicksand pit there blocking the road and quicksand, at least when I was a young man, that was like one of those things when you were playing in the woods about, I don't even know. Well, probably for me, it was like seventh, eighth, ninth grade, but probably for most kids, it was like second, third, fourth grade. You're always worried about stumbling into a, a quicksand pit and either being lost or, or being the hero and saving your buddy from a quicksand pit. Or like, man, like I didn't get travel much as a kid, but I'm sure people that were traveling, I'm like, well, be careful. You're going to Europe or somewhere like that. They might have quicksand there, man. You're going, going to the Ohio? Is that one of the states with quicksand? So I looked up about quicksanding. Quicksand is a colloid hydrogel consisting of fine granular materials such as sand, silt, clay, water. It forms in saturated loose sand when the sand is suddenly agitated. I guess this is a metaphor too. Like the governor's like, quicksand. <laughs> I'm really stretching. Or what about motif? Uh, Motif is uh, a word I had to look up, too. It's a recurring symbolic element. Now, quick, quicksand might not be the motif, but the the lake could have been a motif. And worms and loamy soil. But anyway, back to the quicksand. You know, quicksand can form in standing water or upwards flowing water, like from an artisan's spring. Liquefaction. Is uh, I, I live in the Bay Area, and that's a buzzword out here because of earthquakes, and that's when uh, a specialized case, case of quicksand, when an earthquake increases the pore pressure of shallow groundwater and the saturated liquefied soil loses strength, calling buildings or other objects to sink or fall down. Quicksand is a non-Newtonian fluid for all you brainiacs. I don't know what that means. Probably can't drop it out of a tree. It has a solid form, gel, but a minor change in the stress on quicksand will cause a sudden decrease in viscosity. You know, they're always talking about viscosity on uh, motor oil ads. Quicksand itself is harmless, and this was proved on a Mythbusters episode. I will put that in the show notes. I think it was season two, but it's harmless. A human or animal is unlikely to to sink entirely into quicksand due to the higher density of the fluid. Uh, continued or panic movement might cause you to sink deeper. I mean, that's what they always told us in the adventurers' stories or whatever. It's like, you know, just stay still, stay calm, and then grab a branch or your whip or, or the horse or whatever. It said that uh, another thing, according to Slate... Quicksand had its heyday in the 60s when 3% of all films showed to someone sinking in sand, mud, or clay. But 
I guess it became a trope of adventure fiction, so it fell out of, um, and trope's not my word, of course, I'm reading that, uh, it fell out of favor. Uh, the uh, episode of Mythbusters was called Quiller, Killer Quicksand, and yeah, they said that since it's denser than water and the density of the liquid, the greater the buoyancy of objects within. So Adam and Jamie got into a tub of quicksand and were entirely safe, and they floated about waist high. So they said anyone who's going to die, it's going to be from the elements, like dehydration or exposure, or maybe like rats or zombies or something eating your head. Any more about quicksand here? No. Well, we got a birthday alert here. Someone joined the cast this past couple episodes. His name's Kirk M. Acevedo, and he's one of a character actor, I guess, would be what you'd call him. He, he always seems like he brings something. I, I always find I enjoy him, and I think he's a good actor, and I think he always he brings a certain gravitas, if I knew what that meant. I'm sorry, Kirk. You, you, you're, he does a great job, and he always, he always brings something extra to his roles, and it just happens to be his birthday tomorrow. He was born uh, November 27th in Brooklyn, New York. He's 5'10". Oh, I just said he was born in Brooklyn, and then uh, this IMDb says he was born in the Bronx. Hung in, out in New York City. He's Puerto Rican Chinese descent. He got his BFA from SUNY Purchase, found, found, founded a theater company called the Rorschach Group. And now in the interest of falling asleep, I'm just going to read through his IMDb profile. 2014, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. He played Carver. 2013, Walking Dead. Mitch Dolgen. Blue Bloods, Jave Tic 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 Tac Baez. Person of Interest, Timothy Sloan, also 2013. Law and Order, SVU, 2005 to 2013. Eddie Eduardo Garcia. And DA investigator Hector Salazar. Man, maybe he's playing a. Uh, like a doppelganger. 2013, CSI New York, Boyd, James Boyd. CSI regular, also James Boyd. The Mentalist, Christian Dos Santos. And one of those episodes is called Red Dawn, which is a great 80s movie. Prime Suspect, Detective Luisto Calderon. Collision Earth, 2011, Dr. James Preston. Who could forget him as Charlie Francis on Fringe? I can't. 2009, White Collar, he played Ruiz. Charlie Francis again. Cold Case, he played Dylan Noakes. 2007. 2007, The Darkness Video Game, Jackie Estacado. 2007, The Black Donnellys, Nikki Cotero. 2006, Invincible, he played Tommy. 2006, Five Up, Two Down, Santo. 2006, 24, the TV series, George Alvia. He's only on one episode. I would have figured 24 would have snagged him for a whole season. Numbers, the TV series, Gino McGinty, 2006. 2006, The Running Man. Oh, that was the episode of Numbers, Gino McGinty. 2005 to 2006, Law and Order Trial by Jury. He, 
reprised Hector Salazar, DA investigator. The New World, 2005, he played a century. NYPD Blue, 2004, Scott Grafton in Take My Wife, Please episode. 2004, I Paradise, Manny Marquez. 2003, Fastlane, Nick McCusick. Oz, that's another seminal role for him. Miguel Alvarez. Band of Brothers, he's played Staff Sergeant Joseph Toy. Another great movie. Third Watch, Pauly Fuentes. Dinner Rush, he played Duncan. Bait, he played Ramundo. 2000, The Visit, P Prospective Parolee. 2000, In the Weeds. Kurt, 2000, Boiler Room. Brooker, Broker, oh, Broker. <laughs> that movie was a breakout for Vin Diesel's career. Sentinel, 1999, Ray Thin Red Line, another, I think he won an award for that one. Private Tella, arresting Gina in 1998, he played a caller. 1998, Witness to the Mob, TV movie. 1997, Kirk and Carrie, a short, he played Kirk. Played Bernard in the New York Undercover series, and Roman and Joey, Ramon and Joey Claudio. And a lot of these are New York shot series, so you see a lot of these repetitive New Yorker, New York-based actors in them. Uh, a lot, I, I, that's something I actually enjoy, and they were in, uh, well, let's not go down that road, we, but let's just finish this up. The Promised Land, he played Bernard. Tag, You're Dead, he played Ramon and Tasha in 1994. Joey Claudio, Law and Order 1996, Richie Morales. Swift Justice in 1996, Mark, he played. And 1996, The Sunshine Boys. So if you're still awake, I want to just touch on um, that, that concept of heavy is the head that wears the crown. The actual real quote um, is uneasy lies the head that wears the crown, and that's from Henry VI, part two. And it was the middle of a three-part thing. But what's interesting is that uh, in just this plot summary I read, I remember... Um, Unfortunately, when I when I was in college and I got to Shakespeare and Chaucer, that's when I realized I wasn't as as smart as I thought I was, and I really struggled to understand a lot of the meaning and the language. And I was always impressed that the, the professor who was Mr. Giannini, I think his name was, how he could, and the and the kids in the class that were actually very bright, like how they could pick out such stuff from Shakespeare and, and such. Such, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I was, I was, it was kind of depressing. I was like, man, I'm really not. I thought I was some kind of brainiac, and I'm not. Not to say I don't have my skill set. I'm boring, so I got that right. But if I guess not, if you're still listening. <sighs> anyway, what was interesting when I was reading here was that it said. Uh, it's a history play by William Shakespeare, believed to be written in 1591, set during the time of King Henry VI in England. Uh, Henry the Part One deals with the, the loss of England's French territories and the war stuff leading up to the Ro War of Roses, and Part Three deals with the War of the Roses. But Part Two, 
which is where heavy is the head that wears the crown, or uneasy lies the head that wears the crown, focuses on the king's inability to quell the bickering of his nobles, the death of his trusted advisor. There was a trusted advisor. I guess you weren't, if you throw someone in a pit of zombies, and I really trusted advisor. The rise of the Duke of York and the inevitability of armed conflict, which is what's going on in this episode. Another couple things from the back when we were talking about metaphors. It's like, uh, is this a simile or a metaphor? It's like the governor's crazy as fuck. Now, you could be like, well, how crazy as fuck? That's kind of a term. But then it wouldn't, is it a metaphor? Because that's actually more of a statement. Like, dude is crazy. Or, I don't know. So, if you're still listening, I'm going to read you some Shakespeare from uh, Henry the the Fourth or Henry the Sixth. It's from one of those because I have contradicting information I'm looking at as I speak. So, be lucky you're not you didn't have a moment like that recently where you're. And sometimes we need to learn that we're we're not who we think we are, and. It, it, it goes down to this. I mean, and the governor is kind of like, I wish I wasn't who I think I am. Or I wish I had choices of who I, who I am. And all the, the little young little girls asking about good and evil. And then there's this whole seven thing with the punishment for people's crimes. And is there good people and bad people in this world, in the world of Walking Dead? I don't know. You're not a bad person for not being able to sleep, and you shouldn't be being punished. So let me help you here get to sleep. With the ex- This is the double, triple, extra boring part. Because I'm not an actor. I'm not Shakespearean. Well, anyway, okay, so kind of settle in. How many thousand am I... In- oh, what's interesting? Okay, sorry. If you The little meaning I could dredge out of this quote is that he's having trouble getting to sleep. So, I guess there's some sort of kismet, or what was that Michael Eisner term he liked to use about how businesses, I don't know. Anyway, maybe I'm meant to be here and you're meant to be listening right now. And maybe you'll fall asleep tonight and save the world, because you're well better rested. How many thousand of my poor subjects are at this hour asleep? Oh, sleep. O oh, gentle sleep, nature's soft nurse, how have I frighted thee, that thou no more wilt weight my eyelids down, and steep my senses in forgetfulness. Why I rather sleep, liest thou in smoky cribs, upon uneasy pellets stretching pellets stretching thee, and hushed with buzzing night flies to thy slumber. Then in perfumed chambers of the great, under canopies of costly state, and lulled with the sound of sweetest melody. O thou dull god, why liest thou with the vile and loathsome beds, and leavest the kingly couch, a watch case, or a common larum bell? Wilt thou upon the high and giddy mast? Seal up the shipboy's eyes and rock his brains in the cradle of rude and imperious surge, and in the visitation of the winds who take the ruffian billows by the top 
curling their monstrous heads and hanging them. With deafening clamor in the slippery clouds, that with the hurly death itself awakes. Canst thou, O partial sleep, give thy repose? That's my dog shaking its head in the other room. And in the calm and most stillest night, with all appliances and mean to boot, deny it to a king, then happy low lie down. Uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. Uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. Well, you're not you're not wearing, wearing the crown, so go ahead. Go to sleep. Okay. Good night. Warning. Do not drive or operate heavy machinery while listening to this podcast. This put the Sleep With Me podcast is designed for one thing and one thing only. To put you to sleep. So... If you can't sleep, you're in the right place. I'm going to, this is Dear Scooter, I'm going to talk to you tonight. I'm going to tell you a little story. And you're going to listen, and the story's going to get more and more boring as I go on. And you're going to fall asleep. And that's it, simple. So just take your phone, put it near your bed, get in bed and pull up the covers. And you can put whatever worries or thoughts you have aside. Your mind's not going to race because you're just going to listen to me. And I'm a pretty boring dude. And I'm going to talk you into sleep or submission. I'm going to lull you into submission, I guess, essentially. Uh, You can find us on the web at sleepwithmepodcast.com. If you have any feedback or you want to get a hold of me, you can send it to feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com. You can hit me on Twitter, at Dearest Scooter. And I put sleep tips on Twitter and on the blog, too. So just to supplement this podcast. And if you have anything to say, you can review or rate us on iTunes or let me know. I'm here to try to help you fall asleep, and that's it. And tonight, we're having another episode of The Walking Dud Special Edition for Thanksgiving, because it's for Thanksgiving. I'm recording. I haven't even eaten my Thanksgiving dinner yet, uh, or started drinking, even though that might... My normal state is kind of whacked anyway. Um, so, yeah, tonight, this is a spinoff from The Walking Dead. It's the North Walking Dead North Pole Chronicles. And I'm going to have this every Thursday for you through the holidays as a special treat because I love the holidays and I love The Walking Dead. And I'm just, I've been curious what's going on with Santa Claus. I mean, maybe Herschel's Santa Claus, maybe not. But what's going on with the North Pole? During the zombie apocalypse, I mean, is there Christmas? Um, so thus far on the episodes, we've covered this guy named Rupert, and he kind of seems like Santa's right-hand man, and he's decided that they're going to go through and go ahead with um, with Christmas. So without any further ado, The Walking Dead, The North Pole Chronicles. Chief, it's Rupert here. I'm recording another uh voice message to send out to you we haven't heard from you but as as usual holidays we've made the list checked it twice we've mapped out the route for the big night since the population's so much lower but the situation is so much more dangerous it looks like every computer model has returned that we will have no problem successfully 
delivering presents to the entire remaining human population. But, Chief, this is where we get into some problems. First off, this naughty or nice, we have the list, it's checked. But this whole naughty or nice thing, is just, it's a different ball game now. Uh, I mean, you know, there's been those of us that have always argued there's no good people or there's no bad people. or, And I know, I know you have your spot for forgiveness and and for punishment. But uh, just an example, you know, we've been working with the Krampuses. They're going to be essential in protecting you while you deliver the presents. So we made a couple forays into some uh, human areas, and the Krampuses would attack a lot of the human population. Most people are naughty to some degree because they're competing for limited resources in order to survive. And people, I mean, we've been watching, reports have been coming in. I mean, in their sleep, when they're awake, these people have been doing what in the past would be considered bad or evil in the name of survival. Not everyone. There's still pockets of truly good people there. But it's become this giant, even grayer area than before the zombie apocalypse. And we're going full delivery to all all humans, good or bad. But this is where I've been plan- I've been working specifically on the plan for each household, as we're still using that vocabulary word, but chief, you know, there's pockets of people in different, you know, sizes everywhere. And I've been trying to figure out how to do it. There's going to be casualties. We lost one elf the last time we were down there. He turned which was unexpected, so I think that all humanoids, not just homo sapiens, are going to be affected by being bitten by these zombies. So the Krampuses, the Bell Snickles. So we have a three-stage plan for each household, in quotes. And what we're going to do is we're going to go in with a... First thing is we're going to send in a, a sleigh. It's got about... Four times the bells is the normal sleigh because it's going to be unoccupied with reindeer. And it's going to circle an area a few meters away from where we're, we're our actual planned landing site. So that's stage one. It's to draw any free-walking zombies towards that sound and create a distraction. Also, we're not going to be using in the critical mission delivering the goods. I, don't, I can't justify using the reindeer because the reindeer could go down. It could ruin everything. I mean, even if we have, you know, double backup power propulsion, it, this seems like a, a, they'll be out of harm's way. They'll still be meeting your traditional desires in a different way. It's a, this is a different world we're dealing with, Chief. So reindeer, step one, creating a distraction. Step two, uh, we're sending in a group to secure to secure the present delivery zone. It's going to be two Krampuses and four Bell Snickles armed. And they're going to go in. They're going to clear out any zombies. And they're going to secure the present zone against zombies and, unfortunately, against humans. We won't be using any 
be defensive measures only as far as the humans go. And hopefully non-lethal, non-lethal measures, of course. But, I, I mean, I've got, as I always say, I've got a bad feeling about this. i got a bad feeling. I mean, you're not even here, Chief. We're trying to, I mean, the big day, it's turkey day. But, okay. So that's stage two. Secure the area. Kill any zombies. I mean, we, I'm afraid for you, Chief. Going in there. So I'm just trying to make it as safe as possible. I, I, a, we've designed some armor for you. We've also been working with a zombie concentrate. Um, so you'll be covered in that. Luckily, your suit's red already. So they won't be able to smell you technically. Technically, the house will be secured, so you're going to go in. And step three, deliver the goods. Now... I know you're not going to want to hear this, but I think I'm going to be the one going in this year, Chief. You're you're not here, and I don't know if we can put you at risk. I can, I, as your second in command, I think that's part of my duty is is to do that. So I'm planning on going in. We can discuss it when you return to the North Pole, but for the time being, that's the plan. And we don't have a total breakdown of presence. We're not getting a lot of letters to the North Pole, clearly, that we usually do. Uh, we've been monitoring some of the kids' discussions and stuff, and they're still we're, we're working out the exact presence. But we're going to have a kind of survival kit um, and per two adults. The, 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 the best part about the kit, Chief, is that we've been working the hardest on. So we're going to have a map. Uh, specifically for different the different areas we've plotted out. This is we've got a giant uh, workforce elves on this, and it's going to have um, within it's sticking to walking distance. But it's going to have any uh, other camps or survivors nearby. Uh, we're going to use like a kind of heat map type thing to kind of specify their good or evilness. And, you know, people that are more evil or have done more heinous acts, I mean, most people are going to want to avoid them. So we're going to mark that out. Any, It's tough with the zombie hordes because they're, they're mostly, mo- mostly in motion, but any, you know, ho- old hospitals, convenience stores will have all that um, on the map. And so that's one thing is this map. We're still we're still t- tweaking it. We're going to have similar to what you're going to be wearing, uh, um, but in a spray form, uh, a zombie spray that the people can spray all over themselves. And they won't be undetectable, but they'll be the detectability if they're quiet and don't draw attention to themselves will be pretty low. The zombies will take them for another zombie. We're going to have... A supply of water purification tablets, and also uh, remember a couple of years ago that was a big deal about those camping stoves that you could use any sticks or stones, or sticks or leaves. Uh, a really effective camp camping stove that can also charge uh, devices like has a, a couple plugs, a USB plug. I don't know if people are using phones and stuff for flashlights and to entertain young ones, and. Uh, you know, also a regular standard plug and to, to the specific country. 
So they can boil water, they can cook food, and they can charge devices. It generates a lot of heat. So we've got that. Also similar to the plan with the, the reindeer and the bells, we've got a small, um, basically a sound grenade. It's like a speaker. It's about the size of a, a hand grenade. And you can throw it. And you just press a button when you throw it. And it creates a, it's a very high decibel speaker. And it, we've got kids singing on it or people yelling. And we've got about, I think it can run continuously for uh, six hours, generating loud noises. It uh, comes with a, a thing you can roll out to charge it with uh, solar power, or you can plug it into the stove. Um, again, just as a distractionary measure. And another thing we've had a huge workforce on is something similar to chain mail, but we're making out of these car carbon nanotube filaments. It's going to be basically chain mail, but carbon chain mail. So it's lighter, more breathable. And each person, you know, if there's a family of four, we've got their measurements pretty much dialed in. They'll get uh, something that'll cover about 90. 6% of the body, I, I don't know the exact statistics, Chief, but basically you're talking about uh, socks, leggings, it's an undergarment, shirt, and a hood that you can pull over. So the only thing supposed to be a face, and we haven't figured out anything for the face yet. We don't have something on tap for, for protecting the face, but we figure it's uh, bite resistant. You can't, it's similar to like back in the day, the chain mail that people that deal with sharks is wearing you could potentially uh, get a broken bone depending on the strength of the biter but it, it seems to be impenetrable even with uh, sharp teeth we've tried metal teeth so we got that going I, I'm I, you know I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to brag chief but uh, you know I love shark week and I was like why can't we do something like shark week with the uh, the chain mail so anyway moving forward there's also uh, the last thing we, we have on tap now, of course, a weapon. And I don't know, you know that guy Adam Savage from Myth, Mythbusters? Well, he was on, remember there was that big zombie TV show a few years ago? And they would have a talk show after. He, he was on there one time, he was talking about something spring-loaded, just shoot into the brain, simple. So I played, you know, the engineers that, and they've designed something that's dead simple. All it is is... Um, it's kind of like a pike, but it has a, a spring-loaded tip, and you press something in the handle, boom, tip pops out. It very, it's a you know industrial spring. The spring's protected, and boom, pops some brains. You know if you got multiple people, and you can just keep thing. It's it's got a a spring-assisted handle to retract it, so you can retract it and hit another person. Or just use it as a pike, but that was, um, he's no longer with us, Mr. Savage. Unfortunately, I checked the database. He is a, I, th I believe he's a zombie still move, moving around. Uh, you know, they had secured the island of Alameda, I think was where he, he was based out of at least the show. And there's actually still a vibrant community there. They blew up all the ways in the, but anyway, he, he was. He was wandering. I think he might be in um, 
somewhere in Oakland, he, he, and he's still, I guess, not alive, but undead. But, you know, if, um, if I might take him out just because I really liked him, take him out of his misery, but then, what, that's this chief, this is just depressing. Um, and I really wish you were here. I haven't heard from my wife. And Christmas is coming. And I don't even know if I can. I can't feel your shoes. I can't feel your shoes. I can't feel your boots. I can't feel your suit. But I can't let you go out. And so that's where we're at with things, Chief. Rupert, out. And that's it for tonight's Walking Dud North Pole Chronicles. Make sure to catch us next Thursday. And I hope you've fallen asleep. I mean, actually one night that's not too hard to fall asleep is Thanksgiving. Because of the copious amounts of turkey and food and family. But I'm thankful that I'm having this opportunity to help you fall asleep. And I'm thankful that you're listening still. I'm sorry that I didn't bore you to sleep because technically I should be talking to like your subconscious, but, or maybe I am, maybe you're asleep. And th th I guess that's how I'll end it because if you are asleep, I'm very thankful that you fell asleep and you'll be able to bring some positive energy to the world tomorrow. So, good night. Warning, Sleep With Me is a podcast designed to help you fall asleep. Therefore, it is unsafe to operate heavy machinery or drive a motor vehicle while listening to Sleep With Me. Welcome to the Sleep With Me podcast. I'm Dear Scooter. I'm going to help you fall asleep tonight. What we're going to do is talk about uh, the season finale of, uh, or the mid-season finale, as they call it now, of The Walking Dead. Uh, too Far Gone, it was called. And I'm going to talk about it in a boring way. I'm going to talk about kind of boring aspects of the episode that are, are stuff I picked up on the episode. And it's going to help you fall asleep. That's all you have to do is put on this podcast, get in bed, and press play and just listen to my voice. And hopefully I'll pull you off into dreamland. And you can check out our website for more episodes and sleep tips, www.sleepwithmepodcast.com. You can also hit me up with any feedback, feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com. And I'm always on Twitter. It's at Dearest Scooter. So let me know what you think. And give me any ideas of stuff that's working or not. And with that, let's get off to sleep. And tonight's Walking Dead is going to cover the Walking Dead Season 4, Episode 8. I believe. I'm probably wrong. I wish I should have wrote that down before I started recording, but I apologize. Uh, too Far Gone. I'm going to talk about the governor and metacommunication, lemmings, and a little controversy. We're going to talk about Bob's box. And finally, we're going to get to uh, a little bit of history about Highway 34 and northern Georgia waterfalls. All right. So metacommunication was the first thing. When Governor was kind of giving his speech at the beginning of the show, he was uh, 
saying, you know, I don't know how to talk about this, but I, I need to talk to you guys about something. And that's um, very revealing to me about some more of the governor's backstory. Because it's like, okay, this guy's been in couples counseling. Or maybe workplace-ordered counseling. Because uh, that's just a technique you learn. Oh, oh, if you can't talk to someone you, and you're in a relationship with them, you need to talk about the inability to talk or talk about talking. Um, I mean, I can picture the government's like, honey, I need you to just sit down. Um, I don't know how to tell you this, but every night that I've been going out into the shed to uh, work on fishing flies, I've really been writing pirate erotica. And uh, I really haven't figured out a way to tell you that, and it's not... It's a love of mine. I, I love writing pirate erotica. Um, and it, or, you know, maybe it's, I don't know. I can't imagine someone being married to the governor, so maybe he wouldn't be sane enough to say, hey, let's sit down. But that's something called metacommunication. You could use it uh, on your own. But I just thought, I, I, it just stuck out to me. Next up is uh, Lemmings. And I guess maybe this is the wrong place for it, but it's like, why do all these people follow the governor into their slaughter? And someone on Thanksgiving that I had Thanksgiving dinner with just happened to be talking about this Lemmings er, controversy that I hadn't heard of. And that Lemmings really don't commit suicide. They follow each other off a cliff and they're led to their death by the one in the front that's not smart enough to stop in time, and then they all push over the edge. So it's really not an apt metaphor for people following the governor, but it, it's just an association I had this week. So, And I was like, oh, I hadn't heard about that. And he said that, um, I, I think he had he, said, you know, some company was filming a nature documentary, and they staged a lemming suicide, and then they got busted for it. And I looked it up on the internet, and lo and behold, on uh, Snopes.com, it's true. It was Disney in a 1958 documentary called White Wilderness. And those dudes induced the lemmings to kill themselves and jump into the sea. Um, lemming suicide, according to Snopes, is fiction. They do not hurl themselves into the sea. Sometimes their population is explode. And then they migrate to somewhere that's lesser density and they can fall off cliffs and stuff like that and drown. But they're not deliberate suicides, just accidental deaths from the lemmings being in unfamiliar areas and crowded and pushed from the sides and stuff. Disney's White Wilderness was filmed in Alberta, Canada, not a native lemming habitat with no outlet to the sea. They imported lemmings that, according to this, they bought purchased from Inuit children, and then they placed them on a turntable, and basically they only had a few lemmings, and they tried to use uh, camera tricks to make it look like they had a whole crew. I guess they uh, also faked the lemmings. I mean, they didn't fake the death. They got the lemmings to run towards the cliff, cliff and jump off it, which is pretty messed up. Uh, wow. Next thing I noticed uh, about this week was... Uh, Sasha goes and catches Bob, and he's like kind of in a corner with a box, and kind of looks sweaty and stuff. I was like, man, what, what's bro? What's he doing with this box? Is he the guy making? Is he making rat art, wall art, and or was he drinking? It didn't seem like he was drinking. 
just because it didn't it didn't seem like it. Got me thinking about the box in Pulp Fiction. There was always that big like, what's in the box? Is it? Uh, let's see. I went out to Cracked, and they said, "Oh, you know, there's a lot of theories. A popular theory was that it was Marcellus Wallace's soul. That was the most, the biggest one." Mysteries of Cinema, a movie blog. He talked about, uh, you know, was it cash? Was it gold? Originally, it was supposed to be diamonds. A Pandora's box full of evil incarnate. A magic mirror that shows ultimate desires. The Ark of the Covenant. I saw that's pretty funny. And yeah, the Marcellus Wallace one goes that he sold his soul to the devil. And he's trying to get it, either buy it back or have it delivered to the devil. And that's with the 666 and the beauty and the glowing thing. Um, and that he's got a cut in the back of his neck. And But all that was um, put to rest by Quentin Tarantino, who just said it's, it's a MacGuffin, which is MacGuffin, which is a, a phrase uh, from Alfred Hitchcock, but that's been used in stories for a long time. It's just a diversionary plot device, like an object that is the catalyst for the action. Or, as the Mysteries of Cinema says, a focal point for the activity of the characters, site of idle speculation for the fans, but has no real significance, like Maltese Falcon, Rosebud. But if you think about it, if you can switch it out for something else, I think I read somewhere, then it's a MacGuffin. So it's like, oh, it could be it could be Marcellus Wells' soul. Could also be gold. Rosewood could be a sleigh, or it could be a teddy bear. But really, it was an orange light. Uh, I guess uh, Roger Avery said that, you know, in, in the script it was diamonds originally, and that was too predictable. So then they decided to give it some mystery, and someone was like, oh, well, what if it opened and we had an orange glow from a light that he put in there? And Avery says he thinks that was a mistake because then it went from becoming anything at all to something probably supernatural. But it is cool to speculate at things like that, I remember, and give double meaning to the story. But in this case, no, just a MacGuffin. Okay, Highway 34, Georgia State Route 34. Uh, the governor says, you know, there's a prison right there north of Highway 34. Highway 34 is real in Georgia. It's at the Alabama state line, southwest of Franklin, and it continues, uh, wait, it's a 43.6 long state highway that runs west to east through portions of different counties I can't pronounce, and it connects uh, southwest of Frank Franklin with the Peachtree area. Begins at the Alabama state line, southwest of Franklin. Continues to Alabama State Route 22, curving fashion, heads northeast to an intersection with the northern terminus of State Route 219. Continues northeast into Jackson, concurrency with State Route 100. The two routes cross over the Chattahoochee River, Chattahoochee River. And then they diverge, 34 goes northeast and through Bushhead, Shoal State Park, Turner Lake, Heard Wetsley Cemetery, 
Coweta County. Goes by the Emory Chapel Cemetery. Be a lot of walkers there, probably. Passes Mountain Lake. And it kind of does that. Uh, also, another thing about Georgia, they came up with some waterfall, beautiful waterfalls in Georgia. Maggie talks about her favorite waterfall. Maggie talks about the largest waterfall in Georgia. Amicaloa. Cal. Amicaloa. Kaloa. Amicaloa Falls is what Maggie talks about. The highest waterfall in Georgia. Third highest east of the Mississippi. It's four times the height of Niagara Falls Horseshoe Falls. It's located on Amicaloa Creek in Amicaloa Falls State Park. Accessible via trails, several trails, bridges, and parking areas. They can go in at the top or the base of the falls. And go up to 600 steps to probably see the top of the, between the top and the bottom. And it connects with the terminus of the Appalachian Trail on Springer Mountain. Sometimes people say it's the tallest east of the Mississippi, though Crabtree Falls in Virginia and Glass Mine Falls in North Carolina are higher. But according to this, uh, it is the tallest cascading waterfall. So yeah, that does sound like a nice spot for a Maggie and Glenn weekend getaway. And a nice memory that she'll hold of her father with her moving forward. And just close things out tonight, I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling like this has been a great episode, maybe because it was such a crazy episode of The Walking Dead. So if this is your first time testing this out, get, give another episode a shot. Or let me know if it's not terrible. I'm just trying to bore you to sleep and I can't even succeed at that. It's kind of soul-crushing. Uh, but what I will do is uh, go over some MacGuff, famous MacGuffins, uh, according to TVTropes.com. Famous types of MacGuffins. And let's just read through. Yeah, we're just going to go through some MacGuffin subtypes. TVTropes.com. Accidentally broke the MacGuffin when someone breaks the MacGuffin when he needed it. Like Back to the Future, I guess. Artifact of attraction. If the object itself is inherently irresistible. Romancing the stone. Clinging MacGuffin, an inversion of this trope. Its most important attribute is the person who has it wants to be rid of it. Hmm, uh... I don't got one for that. Dismantled MacGuffin split into several parts and hidden in different places. Plot coupons are almost most often this type of MacGuffin. I think a James Bond type movie? Egg MacGuffin. Oh, that's a trick. Egg MacGuffin, that's an egg. Fee free sample plot coupon. The MacGuffin is given or found with zero effort compared to subsequent ones. Going to see the elephant. Taking a trip with no serious purpose. The reason for the trip may be the MacGuffin or not. That would be National Lampoon's Vacation. Hostage for MacGuffin. The heroes have the MacGuffin. The villain has a hostage and wants a MacGuffin. Traja. I'm dying. Please take my MacGuffin. The character has the MacGuffin. She dies after giving the MacGuffin to another character, usually the heroes, and asks them to take care of it. That kind of dude did that with Carol and his kids. 
Just eat the MacGuffin. The MacGuffin is a lot more trouble than it's worth and may well just be destroyed. Living MacGuffin. A living being free who serves as the MacGuffin. Jewel of the Nile. Another romancing stone. Turns out the Jewel of the Nile's a dude. MacGuffin full of money. The MacGuffin's a large amount of cash. MacGuffin delivery service. The good guys get to the MacGuffin just in time for the bad guys to steal it from them. Bad guys win. Temporarily. I think that kind of happened in Hangover. MacGuffin escort mission. The good guys get to the MacGuffin early on and transport it somewhere without losing it. MacGuffin girl. MacGuffin's transformed into a living being, usually a girl. Weird science. MacGuffin guardian. The monster that guards the MacGuffin. Maybe smog and uh, the desolation of smog coming out. MacGuffin location. MacGuffin isn't a thing or a person, it's a place. MacGuffin melee. When the group's searching for the MacGuffin, find at the same time and a fight breaks out. Raiders kind of happened, but... MacGuffin title. The MacGuffin's right there in the title of the work. That uh, Maltese Falcon. Uh, that cheated though, says as an example before. Memento MacGuffin. The MacGuffin holds a sentimental value to one or more of the characters. Mineral MacGuffin. A gem, jewel, or rock that holds great power in spite of the name. May or may not be an actual MacGuffin. Mock MacGuffin. A MacGuffin that turns out to be worthless. No MacGuffin, no winner. Neither side has the MacGuffin in the end. It's been destroyed, lost, or discovered to be fake. That'd be one I will ship in Goonies. Pirate Booty. Older than a briefcase full of money and even more likely to be stolen. Or Goonies? Plot Coupon. A common manifestation of video games, an item that the player must acquire to advance the plot but serves no other gameplay purpose. President's Daughter. MacGuffin's a living person and is in danger, held captive, or being actively hunted. Contrast with Living MacGuffin. There's that movie Bound, was it? Um, William Neeson says, I'm not the kind of man you trifle with or something like that. Ransacked Room. What the bad guys do when the suspected good guys already have the MacGuffin. May also include ransacked luggage, tearing of the grounds, or even destroying a room or building. Soundstone. MacGuffin's a sound rather than a thing, and the thing must be used to produce the sound. Stolen MacGuffin Reveal. MacGuffin was actually a fake or stolen before the thief got it. It's like a lot of art movies, maybe. Art theft movies. Timeline altering MacGuffin. An otherwise unimportant item from the future that, if left in the past during time travel, will have serious consequences. Uh, Back to the Future 2. Marty's Sports Mag. And that's everything for tonight. Um, listen, I was here for you. I'm not, I'm not at my best A game tonight, but doing my best to keep being boring. And that's all that counts is uh, trying to get you to fall asleep. So, good luck. Hey, good night. Welcome to the Sleep With Me podcast. I'm Dear Scooter, and I'm... This is the podcast that puts you to sleep. And you might be wondering, okay, what is this? You're trying to be funny or something? No, this is literally a podcast designed to help you fall asleep tonight. All you need to do is get in bed, pull up the covers, 
close your eyes and, and press play. So if you're driving your car or, you know, run a forklift or something, this probably isn't the time to listen to this podcast. And how, how, how the Sleep With Me podcast works is I'm just going to tell you a story tonight. It's going to start off interesting. and It'll be interesting enough that you can put your thoughts aside about what you're going to do about Christmas or whatever's worrying you or whatever's racing through your mind. And you can just listen to the story. And it's progressively going to get more and more boring to the point where you're not following anymore. You're off in dreamland. And I'm pretty confident that I can bore you to sleep. So confident, in fact, that this is what I'm willing to offer, is that if you listen to this podcast for a few nights and it's not working, you're still not able to get to sleep, email me or hit me on Twitter. It's uh, dearestscooter at sleepwithmepodcast.com or feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com and it's dear, at dearestscooter on Twitter. And I'll work with you one-on-one and we'll find out the reasons you can't sleep. I'm not a therapist or a sleep coach. I'm not trying to sell you anything. But I'll work with you one-on-one over email or social media or whatever. And we'll figure out what, what sleep sleep tips work for you and what we can do. And, and the reason why is, yeah, like I said, I'm not starting a sleep consulting business. I'm just a guy that tells boring stories. But I've been there. In fifth and sixth grade, I couldn't sleep. And... Everyone told me it was my imagination or I was doing it for attention. And those are some, I mean, painful memories when you can't sleep and then you got to go to bed the next night and you can't sleep. And so I'm trying to, I guess, pay it forward, use my power of boredom for good. So that's my motivation and that's why I'm here for you. And I hope this podcast helps you fall asleep. We're on the web at sleepwithmepodcast.com. And I put sleep tips on there. And if you have any feedback, you can email me, feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com. And you can also find us on Twitter, at Dearest Scooter. I'll put sleep tips up on there, too. And you can comment or email or comment on anything. Let's work together to help other people that can't fall asleep. And tonight, we have our holiday uh, series, The Walking Dud North Pole Chronicles. If you're missing any episodes, it's at www.sleepwithmepodcast.com slash North Pole. And it comes from the fact that I'm watching The Walking Dead and wondering if Herschel was Santa. Started, I, got, I got concerned about what was going on up there. Was Santa okay? If Herschel's not Santa, yeah, what's up with Santa? Is there going to be Christmas this year? I mean, if I was, you know, on The Walking Dead. I'm, but, you know, is everybody okay? Is Mrs. Claus a zombie? So this is my attempt to look into some of that. And it's been following the journey of Rupert, who seems to be Santa's right-hand man. And he keeps uh, some sort of mission log about what's going on and how he's trying to update Santa on the progress towards Christmas. So let's check in and see what's up with Rupert. The Walking Dead, North Pole Chronicles. Rupert Log, 12-6-2013. I don't see why I'm even doing this log since you're gone. We got the news Sunday night that you died. Or you turned, I'm not even sure. I don't have many details. And I still don't understand why. Like why you why you went down there to help southern worlders. 
why you put everything at risk. I don't think it was worth the risk and the cost of losing you. And I know when you lost your son, it changed you. And that might have been your motivation to go down there and help help these people. I can't claim to understand it, Chief. And I'm not I'm not the man you are. Uh, but I'm, I'm lost now. I mean, I was holding out hope or planning that Christmas delivery. And what's the purpose at this point? I mean, is there a reason to go on at all? I mean, there's, oh, let's hope. Like, hope for what? It's point seems pointless to me. And then there's vengeance. Like, yeah, I want to kill some of these or kill these animal zombies. There's very little holding me back from just throwing my wife life away. In your honor, we're going to go through with this Christmas. I will fill in for you, not step in your shoes, your boots. I will fill in and make sure these deliveries are made. Uh, even though I barely have a will to do so. I mean, I think I think about you, and I guess what you what you would do in my situation if you were you and you were also me, which barely doesn't make any sense, but it all. You know, maybe it makes reminds me of those nights when we'd sit around, going through the naughty and nice list, and drinking the cocoa spiked with that peppermint stuff. The the hooch the elves would would make up, and I'd be telling you, this kid's naughty, chief. He's no good. But, well, these these kids aren't going to learn anything if you give them a present. Like this, these borderline kids, we let's push them on the naughty list. And you try to clear off that whole naughty list. We go back and forth and drink. And... I mean, you'd be, come on, take a risk on these kids, Rupert. And I'd be, well, you took a risk on me. I got nothing to say. You know, I'm washed up loser. And you took me under your wing, or under your reindeer, I guess. <laughs> Time to joke, but. And I'd always say, you know, what? why me, Chief? Why me? Well, I'm not even good at being a follower, much less your right-hand man. You'd laugh. Oh, 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 oh Rupert. Oh, oh. You look away. You say, is, it, is there anything more delightful, more magical than the laughter of children? Rupert, this, this is what powers the North Pole. You can feel it in your heart, can't you? My family's been doing this for thousands of years. And that's for that laughter. It's what keeps me alive. It makes every day worth waking up. And, you know, you, you try to give me a smile. You know, I'd look away. Huh. And I think, is, is the laughter worth it to go on? 
Maybe it is. Maybe, maybe just a little bit of laughter is worth it. What if you're right? Hmm. Or what if at this point it's even more? I guess I made fun of hope, but what if that laughter is a hope for the kids that they don't have to always worry that this laughter isn't going to be tainted by fear and panic that their parents, their family, that one day they could laugh and, and breathe without having to worry about the next five seconds. That this terror could come to an end. Well, it's a good talk, Chief, because now I'm no turn. There's no turning back now. I'm not gonna let you down. I'm not gonna let those naughty kids down. I'm not in the face of this. I'm not losing you, Chief. It's almost the end of our episode, but I kind of wanted to imagine like a, a drunken Rupert a couple hours from after he recorded this, just kind of reading through, a, if you're still awake, this hopefully will help you fall asleep, reading through a list of Christmas cookies or, well, that's what I'm going to be doing, uh, backstage alert, uh, but, you know, just a drunken Rupert thinking about his favorite Christmas cookies. And hopefully you can just picture your little Christmas cookies running at a fence and jumping over it in your mind, and that'll help you fall asleep. We're printing Alabama fledged pecan chewies, alafajores, almond chocolate bars, almond cookie strips, almond cream spritz. Remember those almond snow cookies that lady in Nebraska used to make us chief? In the Amish, they had those ginger cookies. I don't know what country had the Anis Tulis cookies, but... And the Anzac biscuits. What was that? That was where uh, the shark hunter guy or whatever was from. Apricot foldovers. Remember Audrey? She had that chocolate zucchini nut bread. I always had a crush on her chief. Aunt Henny's holiday eggnog chiffon pie. Aunt Jackie, her pecan tarts. I don't know who had those molasses cookies anywhere. Banberry tarts. The Bassler Brunsley. What about the Bassler Leclerc? Remember when we were in Germany, the Berlin Kronosconer? Or the Burberly? The bird's nests. The Abyssal Chotitos. Black Raspberry Wuglash. Bonbon cookies. The Bordeaux fudge cookies. I know I used to drink too much of that wine, Chief. The bourbon balls. Rum balls. Buckeyes, those peanut butter balls. Butter jabak. Gingerbread. Who doesn't love a gingerbread house? 
Butterscotch haystacks. California walnut jewel squares. Canadian flag cookies. Candy ginger shortbread. Candy cane cookies. Candy cane crisps. Candy cane snooker doodles. Carmen almond wafers. Carmen apple cookies. Caramel candy bars. Carmen explosion truffles. Cardamom print wafers. Cathedral windows, chief. Cherry nut balls. Cherry thumbprints. Chewy Noels. Chinese almond cookies. Fortune cookies. Chocolate chip Mexican wedding cake. Chocolate cream cheese roulage. Chocolate Florentines. Chocolate gingerbread. Chocolate peanut butter cookies. Christmas tree cookies. Christmas tree sandwiches. Cinnamon spiced crisps. Coconut bonbons. Cranberry almond biscotti. Crim de mint squares. Danske scum counter. Danish Christmas cookies. Donna sugar cookies. Oh, Donna. Double chocolate kisses. Dreamsicle cookies. I didn't like those, Chief, but I remember you had a soft spot for those. Were those in, uh, those were in Georgia. Clothespin cookies. Edible cookie ornaments on a tree. Eggnog. Eggnog snickerdoodles. English cherubs, those things were so cute. Eskimo snowballs. Fudge. Farigaman. Festive Nutella biscotti. Finger clutching. That was stuff. Was, what about the in Finland? Finnish chestnut cookies. Florentines. Oh, remember Gail had those raspberry almond cookies. She was in uh, South America somewhere. Gingerbread. Halfways. Hamantaschen. Hawaiian oatmeal cookies, chief. Remember those? Hazelnut, I think they had in there. What about the Hecker and Lose coaching cookies? The hickory nut ones. Oh, snowballs. Hot buttered toffee. Hot cider. Oh, Hungarian Keefley. Hungarian nut foldovers. Hungarian nut rolls. Those Hungarians. They're the jam. Icebox cookies, chief. That's it. I can't go on. I'm sorry. Chief, goodbye. Welcome to Sleep With Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep. And you heard that right. I'm Dear Scooter. This is a podcast designed to help you fall asleep. 
the way it works is I'm going to tell you a story in order for you to put your thoughts aside or whatever you're worrying about, whatever your mind's racing about, presents or bills or life, and just listen to the story. And slowly, the story's going to get more and more boring. And hopefully you'll become more and more relaxed and drift off into sleep. That's the goal, and it, it, it's, it sounds pretty easy. Just get in bed, pull up the covers, close your eyes, lights are out, just press play, and I'm going to try to send you off into dreamland. And I'm so confident in my ability to bore you that if this podcast doesn't work for you over a couple nights, doesn't help you fall asleep, and the sleep tips on our website don't work, www.sleepwithmepodcast.com email me and let me know or, or find me on Twitter it's uh, at Dearest Scooter on Twitter and Dearest Scooter at sleepwithmepodcast.com is the email address and I'll work with you one on one and try to figure out how, how you can get a good night's sleep and I'm not here to sell you some sleep coaching sessions or I'm not a consultant or a vitamin salesman I'm someone that can relate. Uh, As an adult, you know, I have trouble getting sleep sometimes. And as a kid in fifth and sixth grade, I had insomnia. And it was one of those memories like no no one believed me. They were like, oh, you're imagining it. Oh, it's pseudo-insomnia. You're just being dramatic or whatever. But, you know, I felt all alone and trapped every night. It was kind of like a living nightmare. So that's why I'm here for you. I'm boring. That's my superpower. And I'm trying to put it to good use. So that's this podcast. And if you like it, let me know. If there's something we can do better, let us know. Dearest Scooter at sleepwithmepodcast.com. Or if I'm mumbling my words, just try feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com. All right, let's get to sleep. Tonight, I'm giving you a made-up story. I just made up the other night helping someone fall asleep in person. I mean, it was a a, a young young child, not an adult, but uh, it's just a Christmas story, and I don't even know if it makes any sense. And it's called "The Elf Nobody Knew." Once upon a time, there was a young elf, and he was kind of a, a, a like a lone wolf type elf. He was alone, but and forgotten but not abandoned just kind of no one he was just kind of a plain plain run-of-the-mill elf he had a solitary job and he liked to spend his time alone like he'd play with the squirrels and he'd build snowmen and snow women and dance with them and then the squirrels would grab their carrot noses and run away and he was you know a little bit nervous around people or elves people i mean people man so he, uh, he spent most of his time alone, and because he worked alone, he didn't know a whole lot of people. And he would go out deeper and deeper into the pine groves and meet all these different squirrels. And his job was really essential to Christmas Eve. So the closer it got to Christmas, his anxiety would get stirred up, and he'd spend more and more time in the woods with these animals and his snow men friends and women friends and you know that would help him relax and unwind well this one day he brought a ton of carrots he made all these snowmen and all these squirrels were there 
and he was chasing them around with the the carrots, and uh, he took a tumble, and he slid down this ravine. He was tumbling, 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 and pop, his ankle broke, and he's lying there at the bottom of the ravine, and he's, he doesn't know where he is. He tries to stand up. He's barely stand up. He's like, help, help, help. And I guess none of the squirrels saw him or they couldn't get down the ravine because no one responded. And, you know, for a little while he started to cry. And the sun was starting to come down. And he was starting to get cold. And he didn't, he didn't know what to do. His ankle hurt. It started swelling up. And then again, he's like, you know, is there, hello, hello, is there anybody out there? And finally, uh, like some deeper wood squirrels came. And they came along and they said, oh, oh. And he said, hey, I'm hurt, I'm hurt. Uh, and I can't get up. Like, is there any way you can help me? And the squirrels were, not just you should know, if it's not obvious to us, that squirrels and animals can communicate. You know, who else teaches a reindeer. Uh, so they're talking, and I was like, oh, man, like, where are you from? He's like, oh, the North Pole. And they're like, oh, that's a big city. You know, we try to stay away from there. And uh, he's like, well, that's where I'm from. And they're like, well, you shouldn't some of your people come looking for you? And he's like, yeah, I hope, but um, what am I going to do? I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm getting cold. And those are the uh, squirrels, you know, they're bringing them some wood. And luckily, you know, every elf has to take this survival course. And he was a little confused. He didn't know, to, but he could start a fire. So boom, he starts a fire. And the squirrels brought him some nuts, even though they weren't the most tasty nuts. You know, he cooked them on the fire and ate them. And he fell asleep, and the squirrels kind of watched over him. And in the morning, he said, well, what's your name? Like, no one's come looking for you. We've been looking, listening. He said, my name's Eldo. And the squirrels were like, oh, wait a second. You're, you're Eldo? Eldo the elf? You know, we heard about you from the squirrels in town, man. They said you're like the hilarious he said really you're like yeah you can set up that whole snowman town like they're always bragging about how much fun it is like where do you think we could do that down here now little kind of like looks at his ankle and rolls his eyes and, oh man sorry sorry well anyway we'll go into town and we'll tell them Eldo's missing and I'm sure they're going to send you know a whole, whole bunch of mess of people and Eldo's like well are you, you going to leave me here by myself like, yeah, yeah, well, you'll be fine. We know. we got to keep together. The squirrels go off. Naldo's there. And Naldo's getting a little nervous. You know, hours are ticking by. And then he hears this thing. And he's like, oh, man, is that that abominable snowman I always heard about or what? And he sees this bear trudging through the woods. The bear looks at him. Looks at the fire, sniffs at the air, comes a little closer, sniffs at the air again. And he goes, you weren't cook bear goes, you weren't cooking any salmon, were you? Doesn't smell like it. No. He's like, oh I love salmon. I would have asked to share some with you. So mind if I sit down by your fire and I'll, oh no, 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 go right ahead. And bear's like 
there's something else I smell in the air. There's a, there's a storm coming tonight. It's like, you live out here? I was like, no, no, I hurt my ankle. And then uh, talked to some squirrels, and they're going to the North Pole to uh, get me some help. They're like, oh, too bad. Well, you might freeze CF if they don't get here first. The bear's like, I'll take you back to my cave, and I'm sure the squirrels will be able to follow. You know, I'll go down, pick us up some salmon. You can cook it. We'll have a nice, you know, nice evening. And, uh, you know, maybe you listen to some of my poetry. Maybe not. I don't know. By the way, what's your name? I'm I'm Barry, the bear. And he's like, oh, I'm Eldo. Eldo the elf. Like, oh, my goodness, Eldo the elf. He's like, those squirrels are always saying, man, I wish we had Eldo down here. Like, those elves up on the top of that ridge near town, they got this guy. He comes out. Pets them, plays games with them, brings them snacks, like high snacks with high fruit, beta carotene snacks. And, uh, oh wow, it's a pleasure to meet Sheldon. Come on back. So they head back to the cave, and meanwhile, squirrels have got to town, and they're on the edge of town, and they they spot a couple uh, elves walking and say, oh, hey, 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 we got an emergency here. And I uh, say, oh, what's up? Wait, wait a second. What type of squirrel are you? Like, oh, we're deep wood squirrels. Not like the squirrels around here. It's no, you know, it's a little bit different in our fur and stuff, but basically the same creature. And I'll go, okay, well, we've never seen seen your type of squirrel before, but what's up? And they're like, oh, we got an elf down in uh, the ridge down there, and he needs some help. I'm like, oh, dear. What, oh, what elf? We haven't heard about any missing elves. The squirrels are like, "Well, his name's Aldo. He's, you know, you know who Aldo is, right?" And the elves look at each other like, "Hmm, Aldo. I don't know about. It. Do you know anything about Aldo?" And these elves were the suspicious sort, obviously, because they weren't. They're like, "Are you sure he isn't one of those um, deep woods elves? You know, like a troll?" And the squirrels are like, "Well, I don't think he's a troll. Like trolls are." Uh, you know, wider. This guy's got candy cane uh, tights on. I've never seen a troll in candy cane tights. They're like, well, maybe he's a crafty troll. Maybe you're crafty squirrels. Maybe you should just run along. There's no Eldo the elf. And squirrels are kind of like, hmm, stumped. And they're about to go look for more elves when they sense the the storm's coming. So they got to run back to, uh, like, we got to go save and make sure, we got to find some shelter for Aldo, man. And they run back. And meanwhile, these elves, they just go back to town. And, you know, night falls and Aldo's safe, you know, reading poetry with the berry. And 
Deepwood squirrels are looking for him. Meanwhile, uh, it, it's the, that was the 23rd. It's the 24th this morning. And, you know, all the elves are in prep. Going down all these checklists. There's a lot of stuff you had to double check the night, Christmas Eve day. And Santa goes out and he's like, okay, let's do a dry run in the sled, in the sleigh. So, you know, he gives it the whole heat, you know, heave ho, and they get ready to launch. And there's too much friction. And sleigh, the reindeer can't get the sleigh up to launch speed. They can barely, barely move it. Santa's like, what the, what are you Get where's the chief? You know, he calls for his chief of staff or whatever, and the elf comes over, and he's like, "What in the Sam Hayes going on here? You know, this this is the big night. The sleigh's it's not not running at speed." And the elf starts going down his checklist. Some hmm. Okay, we got the lighting, reins checked, diesel checked, dingo check. Oh, sleds have not been checked. Have not been sharpened or uh, waxed with the special magical lubricant. And I say, well, who well, well, tarnations in charge of that? And he goes, I don't know. Well, let's see here. Eldo the Elf. He goes, well, go. Where is this Eldo the Elf? Is he? He doesn't have an apprentice or something. He's like, oh no, he's uh, he's he's our lone man. It's a pretty easy job and kind of boring the rest of the year. So, um. I don't even remember this Eldo. Go go to his house and wake him up. He's probably on some kind of 23rd bender or something. So the elves run to Eldo's house, a pound on the door, and uh, no one answers. And and uh, Eldo was renting a room from this old woman. She finally, what, what, what's going on? And go, where's this Eldo the elf? Wake him up. She's like, oh, Eldo. He's like, he lives here. Oh, and she goes, oh, that's that young man's name. Um, he's a quiet one. No, he's not here. Oh, well, let him in. We're on authority of Santa Claus. Let us into his apartment. We'll get him out. And they go in. You know, I don't know if it's a considered, I mean, if it's just cause or not in the North Pole, but they go in and Eldest Bed's unslept. I go, jeez. Oh, and then they just start running through town like this mob of, Elves are like, you know what, anybody grabbing people, you know where this Eldo the Elf is? Uh, and finally they just happen to run into the couple of elves that ran into the Deepwood Squirrels the night before. And they say, oh, wait a second, did you, did you just say Eldo the Elf? And they're like, yeah, we need this darn Eldo. We can't, the night's not going to go through without him. And uh, they're like, really? Because we were in the woods talking to these deep with squirrels and they said a elf had hurt his ankle and fallen down a ridge and that his name was Eldo. But, you know, we never heard any Eldo. We figured it was like a, a troll in disguise or something trying to, you know, get in for the, the big feast, you know, on the 26th. And, uh, oh, yeah, we got to get in there. Call a search party. We, we got to, we got to get this elf. And they report Santa. Santa turns out this Eldo's hurting in the woods. So they organize a search party. Meanwhile, this Eldo's chilling in the cave with Barry, kind of enjoying himself, working on his ankle, eating salmon. And then all of a sudden, this, you know, high powered elf 
snowmobiles and choppers descend on the cave. And uh, they, like, charge into the cave using all sorts of heat sensors and stuff. And they find the Elf of the Elf, oh. And he's like, yeah, like, we, we need you. It's the 24th. And he's like, well, I've been down here. I sent for help. Uh, no one came. And he's like, my ankle's broke. Like, okay, we'll take you back. And they, you know, put, you know, whatever you call it, stabilize them and make sure there's nothing wrong with them. Throw them in a helicopter. They got the top elf uh, EMT staff in there slapping them together. Boom, land them right at the sleigh. And, uh, you know, now there's like a huge crowd gathered and the story's kind of gone from like the boring story I'm telling to like, this legendary elf was attacked by a bear and fought 50 bears, slapped him with salmon and read him poetry till he fell asleep and then escaped. And then his leg was bitten off. But anyway, Aldo gets right to work. He's like, jacks up one side of the sleigh, starts running like a whetstone or whatever you call it, sharpening it up on the sleds, puts his special mix of uh, different nanomolecules or whatever on the on the slide, checks up the other side, you know, does the same thing. Meanwhile, even Santa's watching him, like, and Eldo's, like, really a focused dude, like, takes great pride. Like, just one a person you can just watch work. You can tell he, like, he loves it, and his attention to detail is unprecedented. And uh, after he's done, he checks on the sleigh, and he's kind of humble, you know, he's trying to ignore the crowd, and Santa looks at him. He says, Slay's all set, sir. I apologize for, uh, you know, getting hurt. And then Santa takes a knee and then kind of scrunches down so he's like a little bit below Eldo's height and says, you know what, son, I'm the one that should be apologizing. And he, he says, I'm sorry for not appreciating you. My name's... Chris Kringle, and he goes, Eldo the Elf, and they shake hands, and uh, Santa looks around, all the elves start looking at each other, and they're, they're ashamed, even Santa kind of, and, uh, you know, all the elves get in line, they start shaking his hand, apologizing, like, I'm sorry, and Santa goes, from this night forward, starting on the 26th, it's like every elf... Every day needs to do a kind act for a stranger or for an animal and learn their name. Because there's no more Eldoing of Eldos or whatever. I don't know. I'll think of something. I got a lot on my mind tonight, but this 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 is not who we are. And we've almost forgotten the spirit of Christmas. And he looks at Eldo and goes, Eldo? Would you like to come with me tonight and deliver presents to the children of the world? And Eldo's like, well, Santa, I've never heard of it. You want me riding the sleigh, like not a backup or something? So I want you to ride right next to me with a cup of cocoa. You'll see all the continents of the world. And the joy of all the children. It's like Santa's starting to sound like Walter Cronkite all of a sudden, but Aldo's like, well, well, my goodness, Santa... I don't think I've earned this right. And he goes, oh, yes, you have. I need to earn the right to sit next to you in that sleigh. And I hope to do that over this next year. And with that, 
Eldo became a part of Christmas history. And it's kind of important parable. Is it a parable? I'm, I guess, yeah. Um, people are easy to forget. <laughs> uh, people are easy to forget. I don't know. Um, but that's the story of Eldo, the elf. And I guess it, it, it can only make it more boring with uh, listing some parts of slaves. So if you're not asleep already, sit back and listen to me go over some parts of the McCormick Deering Western type sleigh. First part is the benches, of course, that's where you sit. Then you got the uh, bench band, you got the bench plate for the king bolt, bolsters, bolster plate. Bolster end band, braces for the tongue, braces for the tongue, bolster pin or stakes, you could choose either. You got the cart shoe, cart shoe is connected to the cart runner block, which is connected to the cart bench block. You got the clevia for irons in the short reach, clips for the raves. Draw rods for the rollers, draw pin for the double tree or tongue, hammer strap on pole, the king bolt connected to the queen bolt. I guess it wouldn't be the queen bolt, it would be the. Well, never mind. You have the tongue, the raver, rave blocks, yeah man, rave blocks. Roller with fair, fair, fair rules. Runner. Runner Wood River Block. Runner Nose Band. Runner Nose Plate on the inside and a Runner Nose Plate on the outside. Stark Pin. Staple for the front bench. A hammer Strap Book Bolt. Block on top. Wear Plate on top. Bench Block. Hey, welcome to Sleep With Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep. I'm Dearest Scooter, and I'm going to help you fall asleep tonight. That's what this podcast is for. It's sole purpose, sole reason for existence. And how it works is I'm going to tell you a story, and it's going to hopefully take your mind off of whatever's keeping you awake, whether it's your body or your work or your bills, whatever. And you're just going to listen to my story, listen to my voice, and as the story goes on, it's going to get more and more boring, and eventually you'll fall into dreamland. And I'm pretty confident in my ability to bore you to sleep. I've been told I'm excellent at it. And if you know you try this podcast a few times, it doesn't work. Try out the sleep tips that are on our website, sleepwithmepodcast.com. If none of that works for you, email me and let me know. And what I'll do is I'll try to work with you one-on-one -on -one to try to find some other way to help you fall asleep at night. And this isn't me trying to sell you something like sleep coaching or uh, sleep development or like a 
natural herb or anything. I, this is free. It's out of concern because I've been, I've had insomnia, and I still have trouble falling asleep some nights. So, and the clock's racing, and then I'm like, man, I'm never gonna get to sleep. It's it's three o'clock now, and then you know I've been there, and I've got a superpower. It's boredom, and I'm gonna use that for good. And the good is helping you fall asleep. So all you have to do is get in bed. If you're not in bed right now, like hold off on this podcast because if you're in your car, you might crash your car. So wait until you get to bed. Get in bed. Curl up, you know, put the covers on, whatever, your mask or turn out the lights, close your eyes, get comfortable and press play and fall asleep with me. If you need to get a hold of me, it's Dearest Scooter at sleepwithmepodcast.com and on Twitter at Dearest Scooter. Or if, you, if I'm not pronouncing Dearest Scooter clearly enough, just feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com. And, you know, so if you can't sleep, let me know. If there's something you like or don't like, let me know. Let's start a conversation. I'm open. There's only one rule here, and that's helping you fall asleep. And tonight we have a continuation of our one of our holiday series. It's uh, the Walking Dud Chronicle, North Pole Chronicles, where I've been just looking into what's going on at the North Pole during the zombie apocalypse, pictured on the walk TV show The Walking Dead. You know, I'm like, man, what, is Santa impacted by the zombie apocalypse? And if so, you know, what is going on? And unfortunately, last week we got some bad news. Turns out Santa has died. In the zombie apocalypse somewhere, he was down helping some people in the real world. And thus far, if you've listened to the episodes, if you haven't, his right-hand man, Rupert, is trying to follow through on Christmas. And that's where we are right now. And we kind of check in on Rupert's uh, captain's logs, as the best word, some kind of recorded message he's leaving for Santa in the past. And I don't know who he's leaving him for now. So tonight, another episode of Walking Dud North Pole Chronicles. T-minus 14 days. We've been having triple shifts going at all the factories. And, Chief, this is Rupert. And last night, the Algamated, Algamated or something, whatever they call themselves, the Woodworkers Union went on strike. And throughout the day, we've had people walking off of work, uh, work stoppage, whatever you want to call it. None of the other unions have struck, so people are just calling, elves are just calling in sick. But I don't know how, this is not good for the plans for full bore Christmas with all these survival gear and toys we've been working on. We're close. But I can't say we're going to make it. And, you know, and I'm, I don't know what's going to happen because the workers now, they're angry they're exhausted. People are working doubles and triples. And I, I don't know what the hell to do. Um, I mean, I've tried talking to the union, talk to, you know, trying to get the, the different political elves involved. And they're calling me the anti-Santa, like I'm some sort of anti-Santa. Anti like I'm ruining Christmas. That's what part of their strike is that I'm moving out without you. And I've got the wrong vision for Christmas, and this would never, you would have never done anything. And maybe they're right, you know. I mean, what happened 
after they went on strike last night, I hit hit the bottle, got wasted. I went out to the picket line. I grabbed a couple of those elves and gave them peace of my mind. So maybe I am a monster. I don't know. I know they would never do this to you, Chief. And that you, if even if something I remember, what was it, 2003, when that elven flu swept through in November, late November, and you had guys working three, four days in a row for you, dropping. They were dropping, and then they just picked themselves. They'd have some water or whatever. Five minutes passed out on the factory floor. They'd get back up and go to work. But for me, nothing. I remember in the 70s uh, hearing about those, like, what was that, the Elven, Elven, Elven Liberation Army. It wasn't that. That's just, that was, that was the rich white people. But whatever it was, those Elven terrorists, and they were saying that you were, you know, warmonger and, uh, you know, abusing their rights or whatever. You got that turned around, no problem. But I, I, I don't know what to do, Chief. See, our options are work, work the current workforce harder so we make our quotas. That's going to increase, you know, mistakes. More people are going to walk off the job. Uh, we'll be cutting it close. So that's option A or whatever. I pee, the other option is B, appease them and cancel Christmas and then maybe they follow me moving forward. They're saying I'm putting people's lives at risk unnecessarily. I've even heard stuff that's my fault. You're you're gone. So I appease him and say, okay, you know, this is this is your problem now. I'm Rupert's washing his hands of this. I'm gonna go kill me some zombies. In the name of old Chris Kringle, because I don't I don't want to be I don't want to be doing this. I tried to tell him that when the one I was strangling last night. Say like, I don't want this. I just wanted to be your second hand man. I could force him to work. Uh, is option three. I could start arresting them. I haven't looked any of the laws, but I'm sure I could force them to work somehow. You know, get the bell snickles out and, you know, threaten threaten their their lives. Or, me, oh, you know what I could do? Threaten them with deportation. You're going to work or I'll send you down to su- southern lands with the zombies. Good luck with that, elves. Huh? You want to make a toy uh, train? Or you want to fight a bunch of zombies. Your choice. Go ahead. Other option is I make some kind of fancy speech. I, I've been working on one. You know, quoting stuff from... Quoting you. But I don't have a lot of good written quotes. But, you know, I don't know. Some fancy speech where I inspire everybody. But they, I mean, look at me. I'm a monster. I'm a ugly. It, giant warts on my face. Uh... The fact is, Chief, that nobody wants to move on and accept the fact that you're gone. You know, that a lot of people don't even believe you're dead. They think I'm making it up. The news reports are false. Otherwise, they say, you know, who are you? How do you know what, what Santa would want? Who are you to, to put forth a vision for Santa? He's gone. You know, no. Like, we can't let go. And he's the last in the lineage. Mrs. Kloss is a shut-in. She won't leave the house, and so no one talked to her. Um, uh, and I told him, we don't have a choice. We can't, we can't drop the ball here, folks. Christmas is coming. 
As they say, the goose is getting fat. I mean, not anymore because there's not a lot of fat. I guess there maybe there are some fat gooses if they're wild around food stuff. But anyway, I, 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 I don't, I don't, I mean, I wish I was like you, Chief, that I had the way with words and the elves love me. I don't know what, what, I, what I would do. If, I mean, if you were here, everything would be fine, even with the zombies. You'd go through with it, and everything be gold. But me, I, I'm I'm just Sergeant F up here, and no no one wants to buy into my system. I mean, you did come up on the be the beacon, unfortunately, so I know where you are. You're not moving, so maybe that's what I'll do. Just come get you. Bring you back here. Yeah. I'll bring you back here, and we'll give you a proper burial. We could people speak. I mean, it's not something I want to do or face, is that you really are gone like that. But you deserve a, a funeral. You deserve to have your wife there and for people to talk about how you impacted them. You know, as Chris Kringle, too. I mean, I, I've got a lot to say. Uh, be nice, I guess. I mean, could have, like, I could make, like, a slideshow, or we could put together some kind of video slides. If you'll, there would be a lot of crying there. I bet you that's even not me, though. I'm not going to cry. But, you know, some, those elves will be crying. We could have Nog and... That'd be wrong to have Christmas cookies. You could have your favorite foods, Chief. You can celebrate you. Or at least suffer together that you're gone. Maybe that'll do it together if we just... say goodbye to you. Maybe that'll work. So, that's where we're going to end, end tonight's broadcast, Chief. Is you know, we're gonna. I'm gonna go get you tomorrow. Man, I'm gonna go get you now, maybe. Um, just in case, Chief, I want to practice some of my speeches. This is kind of boring stuff, and uh, I'm, I'm not much of a speaker. But it's like, uh, Elven gathered elves gather round. See, I'm trying to sound more studious, you know, and listen to my tale. Of the children of the world. For naught we travel not to the stars of the heavens and the sky. It is our duty to leave this land and go nether regions forth. The forefathers of Chris Kingle have gifted upon the the gifting ability, the ability to be gifting. And that is a sacred duty. Whether there is a Santa Claus or not, we've accepted these striped, well, you guys wear those striped things, and shoes with bells on them. And those come with a coat of honor. Who is it ye who wears that 
in a hat to act like a brat and sleep on a mat on the eve of Christmas. It is not right. As the makers of the presents, we need to make sure they're delivered. And the world awaits us. Its breath is bated. Is there Santa Claus still? Or not? Or was he just a legend of the old world that has now gone away? And what if the reindeer's tears freeze as they watch Christmas Eve come and go? What say you to that? Do you want reindeers with frozen tears? I could rhyme with tears and, and deers and beers and layers, but... I do not purport to speak for Santa Claus or Kris Kringle. I speak from my own heart or something like it. And the fact of the matter is, we have a job to do. And so that's kind of my speech so far, Chief. I don't have any quotes from you. I was like thinking like, once upon a time, Chris Kringle said, is it better to give or to receive? Giving, you know, something like that, Chief. So I'm working on that. Yeah, so that's the kind of speech I'm going to give if this dragging your dead body up from the south doesn't work. But maybe I'll still give a speech like that. Your funeral, I'd, I'd hope it'd be more... Hope it'd be more real, because that one's kind of loads of BS. I don't even know what some of those words mean, but I don't know. I'm going to watch. Uh, oh, you know what? I'll fly down. It's going to take me a few hours. I'm going to watch some Miracle on 34th Street, some bets, and uh, uh, you know, I'll put some more movie, movies in the queue. And I'll see, you know, I'll come up with something for you, Chief. I'll come up with a speech worthy of you. I guess it's maybe, my, maybe it's just actions that make me worthy of you. I don't know, but I know that you sleep the slumber of a man with a fuzzy coat and furry around the coat. You sleep a deep slumber. You always did. Your eyes would close and you'd snore and you'd drift off. Good night, Chief. Hey, welcome to Sleep With Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep. And I'm Dear Scooter, and this is exactly what this podcast is for, is to help you fall asleep. I'm going to tell you a story tonight, and I'm going to hopefully help you put your thoughts aside about the holidays or work or whatever's going on in your life or whatever's keeping you up. Just listen to the story, and it'll get progressively more and more boring, almost like a, a bedtime story. And that's what I want, to, want you to do is just... Get in bed, curl up, put your covers or whatever, and press play, and I will slowly talk you to sleep, kind of, with this story. We're on the web at www.sleepwithmepodcast.com on iTunes. If you can rate us or review us on iTunes, that'd be great. Or I'm on Twitter, at Dearest Scooter. If you need to get a hold of me with any feedback, it's uh, feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com. If for some reason this podcast doesn't work for you, I want you to try it a few times because it's kind of a different type of podcast. 
But if it doesn't work and you're still up at night, just email me, feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com, or let me know on Twitter. And I'll work with you one-on-one to try to figure out a, a better way to help you sleep, like wh- what's going on. And I'm not a therapist or a sleep guru or vitamin salesman or anything like that. I'm just a dude that doesn't sleep good and can tell boring stories. So reach out and I will try to help you out, okay? So that's it. This is a Sleep With Me podcast and let's get to it. Tonight we're going to be doing something a little bit unprecedented here. I have no notes. I just have the beginning of a story and it's a story I told once to someone about uh, two summers ago, even though it's a Christmas story. So if this works and you like it, me winging it, let me know. Uh, email me or let me know on Twitter. And if you hate it, it's like too boring or not boring enough or whatever, let me know too. So tonight, to put you in the Christmas mood as we have been on this podcast, this is the year Rudolph's nose broke. And Rudolph, he, it, this was started in July. Um, Rudolph was about... In human years, he was about, uh, like, uh, I guess on, like, like, not even human years, because stuff, the North Pole's operating on all these different wavelengths, but we'd say he was about uh, 18 or 19 years old and just starting out his adulthood. Um, you know, he was a child worker, which, even at the North Pole, uh, is pretty unprecedented, but whatever. It's a summer um, that reindeer follow, you know, it's like off-season for the NBA or whatever, so they're following, you know, specific workouts. That's what the reindeer games are. Uh, you know, once you hit a certain age, you start coaching prospective reindeer. So Rudolph's also a coach in some, uh, you know, like Olympic development leagues for soccer or Little League for baseball. And he's always on the lookout for new talent. And, of course, you know, with his nose so bright, reindeer loved Rudolph, man. I mean, he was like celebrity but another thing people loved about him is he's very he's a nice guy like down to earth connecting he didn't think a lot very highly of himself he just kind of you know he, he enjoyed the celebrity but you know part of it he didn't enjoy so this is one summer you know Rudus nose was still like it's kind of under his control but you know every once in a while do that thing like on the movie where it just lights up out, out of the blue and everyone would have laugh or clap or cheer so just July, and one morning Rudolph wakes up. He's wicked, wicked sick with some um, summer reindeer flu or something. He's coughing and sneezing, and he just can't get out of bed. And uh, you know, he's Rudolph is a single dude. Um, him, him and Clarice, I think it was that. that then they never got married. Let's just say that. So you know, different. You know, fans of Rudolph were bringing him, instead of uh, chicken soup out there, they have um, walrus soup. So he's eating, the, and he starts feeling a little bit better, but he's like, you know, a, a doctor comes and checks him out. He's like, yeah, you just got, you know, there's nothing we can do. It's the flu. And he, Rudolph's like, you can't give me some antibiotics? He's like, dude, how many times I got to tell people the flu is a virus and not a, a but anyway, no, we can't give you that. And Rudolph's like, what about that? Uh, Tammy, Tammy flu stuff, and the, the doctor's like, Rudolph, just ride this one out. And he's like, is there anything else? 
Rudolph's like, I've been having these terrible nightmares when I'm feverish and that something bad's happening to me and I'm trapped in total darkness and, uh, metaphor alert, and I can't find my way out and uh, I'm totally lost in, in the pitch black and I can hear people calling for me, but I can't find my way to the voice. And I said, okay, yeah, that's perfectly normal for the fever. Take some, uh, take some uh, ibuprofen and usually what I do personally when I have the flu, this is the doctor speaking, not me, uh, you know, I take uh, some Benadryl and some ibuprofen, and I just sleep sleep through. So Rudolph takes his vice and uh, take, takes a bunch of allergy medicine, and he goes to sleep. But he sleeps for like four or five days and doesn't show up to work. And people, you know, they come check on him, but everyone's like, oh, he's just sleeping. You know, a couple of his girlfriends have checked on him. And... He wakes up at five, four or five days, and he, he's, like, lost a lot of weight. He just feels like he's been sweating. You know, sheets are soaked and stink. Um, but he feels like, you know, his fever broke. He feels like a weight's been lifted off of him. And so he goes and takes, you know, takes a bath in this, uh, you know, ice-cold river and gets out and flies a couple laps. And he's like, oh, I'm feeling pretty good, but something feels different. And he goes back to work. And a couple of days go by before he realizes, uh, and he seems like something isn't right. I, I, I can't figure it out. And then one day, uh, he's coaching like a reindeer game, similar to baseball. Um, they call it, um, what would they call it and what would they do? Uh, uh, arena antler, antler arena bowl, they call it. And you throw a ball off your antlers and catch kind of more like rugby, I guess, than. And Rudolph's just, you know, ref and coach, and he gets hit in the face with the, the, uh, it's like somewhere between a football and a soccer ball. It gets hit pretty hard. He's like, man, he's dazed, and uh, everyone's like waiting. Usually if something like that happens, his nose goes off. It doesn't go off. Rudolph gets home. He's like, maybe that, he's like, that was weird, my nose. And he sits in his bathroom or stands over, you know, whatever reindeer do in the bathroom. Strange that the reindeer would, I mean, if they have a home, that, that you'd assume they have a bathroom. And they do, because I've verified it. But he looks at himself in the mirror, and he's like trying to get his nose to go off. It's not working. He's like, man, come on, come on, it's concentrating. He, he has like a little um, magic word he says, which I can't tell you because it's a magic word, it's secret. Uh, but, you know, he has this magic word, and he's saying it in the mirror, and nothing's happening. And for a few days, he just keeps it to himself. But, you know, at once a month, Santa likes, Santa's like, especially this particular Santa who's, um, I don't know what number he is, like 422nd Santa or something, whatever. He, he's very, he, he wishes he was in the military. So he's got all these monthly, you know, red alerts or whatever you want to call it, full dress rehearsal. And they do it and, and you know, he randomizes it with, like, different scenarios, and he comes up with a blizzard scenario for uh, August. So they get up, and they, they call in Rudolph, and Rudolph's like, oh, man. And, you know, he tries to get his nose to go. It doesn't go. And Santa's like, what's going on with your nose, Rudolph? So uh, I don't know, Santa. Stop. I got this fever and flu, and it stopped working. Ooh, Santa's panicking, man. And he's like, okay, okay, you need you need to go home. You're on... Uh, paid leave, you go home and uh, 
or in fact, you need to go to the hospital. Well, let's just get you into the hospital and let's figure out what's going on with this nose. And I was like, I feel fine. Like, maybe it's just like a temporary thing, you know. And they, he's like, nope, go to the hospital. And Sam's meeting with his advisor. He's like, what you, how are you guys going to figure this out? Like, what, you know, you need to figure out what's going on with this kid's nose. It's never not worked. I'm like, Santa, you know, we, we don't want to, we've been saying this behind your back for years, but it's like, I mean, his nose is bright. But we've got this LED technology that we could put on every reindeer. Um, we can make it red. And it'd be pretty close to, uh, I mean, there's been long strides in these LED lights. And, and you know, we could pretty come pretty close. Not exact lumen, lumens of Rudolph's nose, but but close. Santa throws his head down. Well, I, you know, it's not about the light, just the light. It's about tradition. Rudolph. Red-nosed reindeer. That's what people... We're not going to fake a root up. You, you you, get together and figure out what's going on with his nose. What, what, how does his nose work anyway? Nobody's ever filled me in on this junk. And they're like, you know, it's magic, Santa. Um, you know, just like a lot of other stuff in the North Pole that we use magic for, or that's imbued with magic properties, you know. We know how... We know his nose works, but we don't know how it works. And it's kind of self-contained. We've looked at it, and it's all in there. Inside his nose, some sort of magic. I don't know if it's like a fission or fusion or like a a fairy in there in the lights. Maybe. They, and I don't know if it's such a great idea to open up. He's like, "Well, give him some X-rays." Blah, blah blah. So they give Rudolph a battery, a battery of tests here. Like you know, they're X-raying him, gamma raying him, MRIs. I mean, they got other technologies up there. Uh, you know shooting lasers that you know night vision technology whatever and they can't Rudolph's nose just comes up as a as a um just a nose uh which the scientists can't understand like how's a normal reindeer nose which is i don't know if it's cartilage you know his nose wasn't any wetter or drier than usual they're stumped they test his blood you know do everything and nothing's working and so then Santa calls in, like, the elves that do work with a lot of magic, having to do with the sleigh and all that kind of stuff. The big debate is whether he should cut his nose open or not. And for the most part, it's like, no. I mean, that the benefit is we fix his nose. The downside is it could nuke the North Pole or never work again. Or, you know, with some sort of fire beast in there, um, then we're not going to cut his nose open and... Now it's, you know, September, nothing. So they send, you know, there's a certain branch of elves that are home, into homeopathic type stuff. So they send Rudolph off to, uh, these are like these monk elves. And I, I can't get into the whole elf backstory, obviously, but they live off in the mountains, you know, sequestered. And they have a lot of healing healing stuff. So they try different, kind of similar to Eastern uh, mysticism type stuff and as well as actual, you know, plants and, you know, non-commercial medicine, which, I mean, elves use a lot of anyway. I mean, they do have the technology to copy uh, Western pharmaceuticals. But so they go through this whole thing and meditation and Tai Chi and Rudolph's, you know, he's kind of into it, but, you know, he's kind of like freaked out and he's not telling anybody. He's trying to maintain a brave face and 
Um, not only freaked out because everybody's, you know, in his business and he can't sleep, you know, they're observing him all the time. But this one thing that, he, you know, made him special stops working. And so he's starting to get depressed, even though this meditation is helping center him and he's learning some stuff. He's like, so finally, uh, you know, Miss Claus sits down with him and she can tell, you know, she's, she's got that whole mothering instinct going. And she says, uh, Rudolph, you're, you're sad, aren't you? No one, has anyone asked you how you're feeling inside your heart? And he says, no, I, I don't feel good, Miss Claus. And she says, okay, well, you know, when, when you're no stop working, what was going on? And he said, you know, talking talk about the flu. And he's like, you know, I, I was having these real bad dreams that I was trapped in darkness and I couldn't find my way out. And my nose, I, I guess now I know my nose didn't work, but I was, you know, in total darkness. And people were calling for me, or and I couldn't find it. I couldn't find them. I couldn't find my way out. Miss Clausen, hmm. She's like, Rudolph, uh, you have noticed you never settled down with anyone. I'm sorry to change the subject, but I've always been curious. You know, what happened with you and Clarice? Like, how come that didn't work out? Rudolph's like, I, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's hard, the pressure I have from all these fans. And I don't know, Clarice had a lot of jealousy, and I... I and saying I'm always being too nice and I need to spend more time with her and less time kind of with these chairs, you know, all the stuff I do because of my fame and all the stuff I put, you know, I guess I work too hard and and then part of me is a little bit selfish, Miss Claus, you know. I, I, I like the attention, especially from the does. I mean, I'm, I'm a reindeer and Miss Claus, okay, you know, I'm not judging you here. This is just... I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, if we can get to the bottom of it. And Rudolph, this next question might be a little uncomfortable, but, you know, with all these does and Clarice that you've spent time with, like, have any of them ever given birth? Like, do you know if you have, if you have a son somewhere that you don't know about? Like, how, how, how do, how, do you, how do, you know what I mean? And Rudolph's like, huh, you know, I never really thought about it because uh, having kids freaks me out. I mean... Like, part of me is like, what if my kid has a red nose? What if he doesn't have a red nose? You, you know, what? It, it seems like I lose either way. And I don't know how good a father I am. I mean, I feel like I coach these kids and I do all right. But, you know, the idea, kind of freak, that freaks me out, you know. I'm not ready to be a parent. Miss Claus pats him. She says, oh, you'd be a wonderful father, Rudolph. Um, she said, well, I think you need to maybe spend some time in darkness, so, you know, go off, spend some time alone and, and figure this out. Of, what if your nose never works again? And what if we, what if you don't ever work for Santa again? I mean, you could probably just be a regular reindeer. Like, could you live as a regular reindeer? We're going to leave it here right now for tonight because Rudolph's going to kind of go on a, on a journey of uh, internal struggle next. And I don't know what's going to happen because I'm I'm just kind of making this up. But I'm really curious, and I don't want to drag things out and then force it to a conclusion early. I think Rudolph really needs some time to um, uh, this fancy word that I just heard somebody else use, discern things, and figure out if, if he can live as a normal reindeer. So we're going to leave it here tonight, and uh, I just want you to close your eyes if they're not closed and. 
Just listen to the sounds in the room that you're in. The sounds of the outside. Maybe it's real quiet, but can you hear something? Anything? Like my neighbors moving around. Um, and walking. What's one of those footsteps? Is that Santa up on the rooftop? Wait. Might be some dogs barking or cars, but can you hear? It's almost imperceptible sound of the sleigh bells. It's almost like it's an illusion. Is, is it there? Are the sleigh bells or not? I remember when you used to have to take that hearing test? You'd have to like move the um, one of those things called tongue depressors or raise your right or your left hand. Did anybody else like get anxiety about that? And then, sorry, hear, would you hear fan noises or not? And what about when, I think, I don't know if it was an almost famous or what, but they said, you know, whenever time your ear rings, it's some cell dying that does that frequency. Is that true? Is that why you're not hearing the sleigh bells right now? They're off in the distance. You're kind of floating, looking for the sleigh bells. Welcome to Sleep With Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep. I'm Dearest Scooter, and I'm here to help you fall asleep tonight. And if this is your first time at the podcast, that's all this podcast is. This is kind of a, a sleep tool where I tell you a story, and it starts out interesting enough that you can concentrate on my voice and not think about whatever's keeping you awake or your to-do list. But the story gets more and more boring as it goes on, and that way you can drift off into dreamland. If you're listening to the show right now, I want your, I want to hear from you. Email me, feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com, or say hi on Twitter, at Dearest Scooter, and let me know what you think, or tell me your story. What's keeping you up at night? And if you like the podcast, but it's not getting you to sleep, I kind of have a guarantee that I'll bore you to sleep. And if I let you down on that, email me, and I'll, I'll, see what I, I'll try to work with you and see what else we can come up with to help you get, some, get a good night's rest, because I've been there. And I, 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 my goal is to help people. I have a, I guess I'm a boredom superhero, and I'm I'm here for you, and I want you to pay it forward. And if you guys, if you listeners, can do me one huge, huge favor, and review or rate us on iTunes or both, I would really, really appreciate it. And as always, you can find us on the web www.sleepwithmepodcast.com, and we have sleep tips on there and. Obviously, as I said, on Twitter, at Dearest Scooter. And if you need to email me, feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com. On with the show. Tonight, we're continuing our North Pole Chronicles, the Walking Dud North Pole Chronicles, where, you know, we imagine what's going on in the North Pole during a zombie apocalypse. Because, I mean, when I'm watching The Walking Dead, that's one thing. You know, you're wondering, is Herschel Santa? Then you're like, well, if he is, what's going on at the North Pole? If he's not, what's going on with Santa? And that caught my interest. That's that's what this story's about. You can find previous episodes uh, at www.sleepwithmepodcast.com slash North Pole. And, you know, spoiler alert, bad news, Santa's not with us anymore. They just had a, a elf strike and Santa's funeral. 
hopefully they're going forward with Christmas, so let's check in and see what's going on. Rupert Log, 12, like 15, 16, 17, something like that, Chief. Uh, believe it or not, things are going good. We had a wonderful funeral. You would have loved it. We had eggnog. We had cookies. We actually had a uh, uh, eggnog fountain with glass reindeer, and the uh, eggnog was coming out of their noses, like, and they were all laughing. And I know well, it wasn't my choice, but it was a controversy, you know, laughing reindeer at your funeral. But uh, for the most part, people seemed to like it, Chief, and everyone had a lot of nice stuff to say. I'm sure you were watching, so I'm not going to rehash everything, but, you know, we showed how much we love you, basically. I said it there. I said it. I love you, Chief. I loved you when you were alive. And now that you're dead, I can say it without um, feeling embarrassed or self-conscious, unfortunately. But whatever, Chief. So things are going great. Um, we've been running full bore. The elves have been working extra hard. We've got even the extra, we've got the toys for the boys and the girls all made, all the survival equipment. And I almost want to tell you like what the boy and girl presents are. So we just concentrated on one gift, but I don't want to ruin it. We also threw in some stuff for the adults, like chess and playing cards and stuff like that. But, oh, I want to tell you what the presents are so bad, but I can't do it, Chief. Uh, another thing that uh, our um, we're having a prep team, and they've been going out and scouting all the locations and leaving notes uh, that say Santa's coming. Christmas Eve, as usual. So try not to kill us. Uh, kind of describes the plan. It says stay in this location if you can. If not, I mean, we're not sure we'll be able to find you, but if you hear some noise, you know, be on alert. But also be aware it could be Santa Claus coming to deliver some presents and, and survival goods. So we got that going, Chief. Uh, and, yeah, I, I can't believe the elves, uh, they're really uh, coming around on me. Um kind of like they seem to support things um i guess they got that christmas spirit christmas fever but uh you know since i'm filling in for you they want me to like wear wear a santa suit and obviously you know my body type i'm you know like a bean pole and i look like a complete fool in in a santa suit chief you know, the elves, they, they, I don't even know if they actually want me to wear it for anybody but them. They all started, as soon as I put it on, everybody's, even Mrs. Claus, cracking up. And they started calling me Jack Skeletor, uh, presumably from Jack Skeleton from that Halloween Christmas movie. And the fact that, I mean, I know my face is Skeletor a little bit, but... I don't know. They're just having fun, Chief. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna kill any elves about it. I mean, maybe. But boy, I, I didn't know all the work that went into being Santa. You know, you think it's. You know, I love you, Chief, and I knew you did a lot of work. But you know, it also kind of seems like a glory job. But you got all that going in and out, and I mean, I'm in. I'm in tip-top shape, but I. I mean, I, all that top-secret stuff and. Navigation. I, I thought everything was automated these days, but it turns out you're still a traditionalist on some level. But I'm excited for the challenge, Chief. Um, what I'm not excited about 
what I'm not excited about, Chief, is in addition to this uh, prep team, the elves have set up this kind of starting tomorrow, like this goodwill, Santa goodwill ambassadorship or some something. I don't know what we're calling it, but, you know, there are some pockets that, you know, you knew, we, there's been some new ones we've discovered, um, secure pockets of survivors, um, fairly secure. And we've tracked the ones that seem like they're run by good people. And, you know, when we're ma- when doing all that mapping as part of the gift. So we're going to visit them, which I don't know how I'm going to pull that off because, you know, they're going to put me in a fat suit. I mean, not a fat suit, Chief, uh, a body adjustment suit. And they want me to sit kids on my lap and, and tell them stuff or whatever, you know, listen to them. I remember that dude in uh, Christmas stories calling saying the kid smells like tapioca. I gotta listen to these whiny, smelly kids. Yeah, I, I don't know, but for you, Chief, I'm gonna do it. I'm a man up. And it's a little bit, I've been trying to practice. It's a little bit embarrassing knowing that you're listening, but it's like, okay. <clears throat> okay, Chief, here we go. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Oh, little Jenny. I'm not there yet, Chief. You know, oh, oh, oh. The elves, I mean, whatever I was doing before, they said I was scaring them. So I don't, I don't know, Chief. I'm working on it. All right. I got, I got a week or something. Yeah, I'll test it out in these uh, survival camps. But yeah, it's, it's a, we're gearing up, and I've been learning a lot. You know, standing in your shoes of how tough you had it, and but also how important, you know. I know I'm not the most heart heart guy, you know. You know, well, I talked to my wife for the first time in a few months yesterday. She, things are going well at the refugee camp, and they were able to patch me through. And she's been filled in and everything. She can't believe it. But at the same time, she says she's not surprised. And, you know, it's only about talking to her and knowing she's alive, hearing hearing her voice. Made me think, you know, of Christmas and being thankful for what we have. I mean, now more so than anything. I mean, how lucky are we to be at the North Pole now? Those people down there, they live in constant terror. We just have this looming threat you know, eventual global warming or whatever the computer models are stamps. I mean, I don't know. It's, you know, it's a mixed bag on the global warming thing. Without... Anyway, I'm thankful that I have someone who, who sees something in me. And maybe everyone else doesn't. I was just blind to it. I don't know, Chief. But, you know, that's something I'm going to hold on to this Christmas. This is my wife and our friendship. And look at Mrs. Claus's eye, too, when she calls me Mr. Skeletor. Or maybe Master Skeletor, I can't remember. I even did a Power of Grace call, but then they were like, that's what He-Man says. So maybe you're onto something with this Christmas thing, Chief. And believing in people. I don't know. I'm not sold on it 100%. I got to deal with these kids. And, I, you know, I think this is, you know, I guess, like, I'm going to sign off now, Chief, but by sign... Before signing off, I'm practiced like um, uh, one of the kids. So, you know, 
Okay, just pretend. Here we go. Okay. Oh, hello, little boy. What's your name? <laughs> Billy. Here, have a seat on my lap, Billy. Oh, now, Billy. Says you've been a very good boy this Christmas. <laughs> oh, don't pull on the beard, Billy. Oh, no, no. Of course, it's a real beard. No, those aren't pillows, Billy. Santa's been... Okay, Billy. Okay, are you done tugging on the beard now, Billy? Okay, don't touch Santa's face, Billy, because Santa makes it makes Santa crazy when you touch. He doesn't like that at all. Okay, Billy. What would you like for Christmas? <laughs> oh, and that too. I'm not sure they make those anymore. Okay, that too. Um, where where would Santa? You realize there's no more toy stores, right, Billy? Okay. This is things you wait. This is your wish list. You understand, right, Billy? Well, why in the hell would you ask for that for Christmas? This is a zombie apocalypse, Billy. Oh, Santa's just kidding. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, run along, Billy. I. Okay, send along the next one. Oh. oh, 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 oh. Hello, little girl. Oh, come sit on Santa's lap, Jenny. Oh, it's that you just want to put your head on Santa's shoulder? Oh, oh, oh. oh don't cry. Santa's here to protect you. And all these wonderful adults are here to protect you, too. Oh, ho, oh, oh, ho, oh. ho, ho. Santa wants you to remember that keep a special place in your heart for everyone. To remember. Oh, 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 these elves are banging around. I'm sorry, little girl. Dear elves are making me trying to rehearse. Banging around. Oh, 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 oh. What would you like for Christmas, little girl? Well, peace, world peace is already. Technically, peace between the nations has already taken place, little girl. Now we're. Uh, I don't know if you can have peace with an animal that... Oh, okay. Okay, yes, yes. Okay, you want your mommy and daddy to be... Well, that's just beautiful. Touching Santa's heart. Well, I don't even know what a goddamn... Brats? Those things... No, oh, oh, just kidding. Don't cry, Santa's... Okay, Jenny, run along. <laughs> okay, children. No more. Santa's had enough children sitting on his lap. Why don't you just sit at my knee? Oh, oh you know. Oh, don't you? You're a big one. Oh, 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 oh. oh no, no, no. Please don't breathe in Santa's face. Oh, 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 oh. I don't know how I'm going to do it, Chief. I mean, I don't know. What if, I mean, I know there's the things like stereotypes of kids wetting themselves or something, but I just an incomplete questions is where it's going to get me but I'll do my best Chief, okay I'll do my best I'll rip right up Welcome to Sleep With Me the podcast that puts you to sleep I'm Dear Scooter and I'm going to tell you a bedtime story and that's exactly what this podcast is. 
You're going to get in bed, pull the covers up, close your eyes, do all that, you know, your normal bedtime stuff. And you'll start this podcast and I'll tell you a story and you can listen and forget about, you know, paying the bills or going to work tomorrow or whatever. And the story's going to get a little bit more boring with each passing minute. And that's going to help you slip off into dreamland. That's why I made this podcast is for people that have trouble falling asleep. I know there's a lot of you out there. I want you to try it and see if it works for you. I'm pretty sure I've got like a superpower, which is telling boring stories. And I'm trying to make good use of it. Let me know if it's working for you. Uh, Feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com. And I have a lot of sleep tips at our website, sleepwithmepodcast.com. Or at Dearest Scooter on Twitter. And if you can't fall asleep after listening to this boring story, let me know. uh, And I'll try to work with you. I'm slowly amassing a knowledge of sleep problems and sleep tips just out of curiosity. And I'm not doing this to sell you some tapes, meditation tapes, or um, sleep vitamins or anything like that. I'm just doing it because I've been there. I've been struggled with insomnia and stuff like that. And I want to help. So, if you like the show, please do me a favor and review and rate us on iTunes. It'll help other people find the show. Or let let someone else know about the show. And I want to give a big thank you to Kyla in Ireland. I hope I'm saying your name correctly. Uh, for reviewing and rating us on iTunes and listening to the podcast. Thanks a lot. Tonight, we're going to be going back to our Christmas theme. Since we only got a couple days left until the holidays. Uh, come to a close here, and it's uh, the year Rudolph's nose broke, and it's part two. If you missed part one, just go to www.sleepwithmepodcast/rudolph. But uh, in part one, Rudolph's nose wasn't working. They were doing everything they could, exploring Eastern medicine, high-tech medicine, and they could not figure out why Rudolph's nose wasn't working. It looks like. Uh, Mrs. Claus kind of sent him out on this vision quest to uh, find, you, you know, go out on his own and figure out what's what was wrong with his nose. And that's where we pick up the story, is Rudolph's just kind of out there trekking uh, in the wilderness. He, he gets up in the sky and flies for a while, and he's just heading south. It happens to be, I think he's in Norway, best I can tell. I mean, I'm, I'm putting this, cobbling this together, you know, for my travels in the north uh, and the stories people would tell me about Rudolph but so Rudolph is uh, is flying and every once in a while he see like a pack of a pack of bears and he'll settle down and talk to them or just you know animal watch and he sees a wild reindeer roaming in packs and and he's just thinking to himself like you know what what if you know what if my nose never works again? Like, he, he's more concerned, like, that Santa's going to be mad at him and everyone's going to be disappointed and he's going to be ashamed that he somehow let everyone down. And he's he's getting more and more depressed. And, and then he sees, like, a village. Uh, he decides to check it out. Not too far from Lilyhammer, I believe, uh, where the Olympic Games were held once upon a time. But Rudolph settles down. He sees this one little cottage off off the beaten path and he goes up to the cottage looks in the window and there's a family in there they're watching tv and since it's the holidays they're they're watching a marathon and it's on uh they've been watching american reality 
station E. They're watching like these uh a marathon of like the the celebrity aftermath ones where it's all these celebrities like that their lives fall apart. Like most famously is like Amanda Bynes or uh Lindsay Lohan, but you know, they got about they're what they're on a twelve hour marathon and Rudolph he's never watched E. You know, they have the internet up in the North Pole or like some version of it, so he's familiar with some of these celebrities and they've seen movies, but he's never never heard these tales of woe and addiction and like Robert Downey Junior, his tale of like just epic fame and and out of control behavior. Rudolph's kinda of transfixes he he kinda of sees himself a little bit as like, you know, he he was going around, sleeping with a lot of reindeer. So he's just he's 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 watching these shows, and he he kind of can't believe what he's seeing. Uh, he's transfixed, and he's watching for hours and hours. So so he's watching for hours and hours, and then the church bells kind of toll, and the people come out of the house. They see him, you know. Kid, the, the kids are like, "Hey, hey, look, look! It's a, a, a reindeer." And he says, "You know, can you fly, reindeer?" And Rudolph gets scared. And he runs off, and he runs up that you know house. This is a, a mountain town. Rudolph runs off, and he starts running up the mountain. And lo and behold, he slips. He tumbles off the the little uh, game path he was on. Rolls, hits a boulder, hits his head. Triggers an avalanche, but also knocks himself unconscious. And the next time Rudolph wakes up, he's uh, he's filming a movie. And it's like a, he's kind of like a James Bond type, so, and he's arguing with the he's arguing with the director, and then things start to happen. He gets flash of like a driving a, a really fast car, and doing lines of cocaine. Uh, and then he's fighting his father, like fist fighting, but with their hoof fighting, I guess you'd call it. And then Colorese is crying. And then Rudolph's passed out on the street, you know, then he's kind of strung out, and people are making fun of him on the news. He's on E, and they're saying, what happened to Rudolph? His nose isn't so bright anymore. And you see, you know, sees this whole, whole tra- transformation from, you know, one of the most famous reindeer of all to burnout, living in the gutter, and he's out cold. Lying in the gutter, praying, pray, praying for the Lord to take him. I guess, or I don't know what reindeer would. They probably worship some sort of, maybe they just worship Santa. I don't know. Whatever he's pl- praying to die, he closes his eyes, and kind of he thinks he hears some some children calling for help and help. Shakes shakes awake. But he can't see anything. He's in total darkness. But he can hear these children calling for help. And he's he he's he gets he's buried under a little bit of snow, but not too much. And then he, he gets out of snow, and he can see gray, but that's the only thing he can see. And he, he realizes that blood's caked over his eyes where he got hit. But since he don't, he doesn't have um, opposable thumbs, or even. He just can't get the blood off his eyes, so he's kind of staggering towards the sound. And he gets closer to the village, and then ends up the 
the avalanche had taken over the village, and it just happened to be at the time they were having their town um, where they retell Christmas tales, and they had a little Christmas market, and it was all set up um, at the non-denominational church of welcomeness. So everyone's trapped in the church. The church is buried, and people are screaming, help, help, the ceiling's cracking, and you hear some wood cracking, and kids crying. So Rudolph starts digging, and he might not be able to take blood off his face, but, you know, reindeer can dig. And he's really digging hard, and then he, he thinks he's got a, a hole dug, and it caves in, and then he's pissed. He's digging with anger, rage, and passion, and then he, every, but every every hole he thinks he, he thinks he's about to break through, it caves in, and finally caves in on him. You know, Rudolph's ticked. And people are crying. They think someone's helping, and you know the building's about to collapse. And so all of a sudden he's digging with this rage, and and he just feels like so hot, like sweating with anger and passion, trying to get these people out. And he notices like the snow's melting around him. You know the people are like, "Wait, someone's coming! Someone's coming!" And he he sees um this uh stained glass windows. Finally, he's getting close to it. And he's trying to dig, dig uh, safely, but with passion at the same time. He notices he's so angry and so hot, and and, and uh, that uh, you know he's actually melting the snow, and then it's freezing right behind him, so it's not caving in anymore. He's getting closer and closer to the window, and uh, I guess in this town, Santa was one of their demigods because the stained glass windows of Santa and Rudolph and the reindeer. And they're like, it's Rudolph, it's Rudolph. And it ends up from the inside of the church, like there's this red light coming towards them. And, you know, Rudolph's here to save us, Rudolph's here. Rudolph's, I mean, he's just trucking. He doesn't, he's like, that doesn't make any sense that they know I'm coming, but who cares? I got to get these people out of here. So he finally gets to the window and then he smashes through the window. And I mean, if you've ever broken into a church, I mean, that's one was one of my old hobbies, but... It's pretty tough breaking through a stained glass window because it's got all these, you know, it's not like breaking a plate plate glass window. And I think it's lead that, but whatever, Rudolph's so passionate, boom, melts the lead, breaks through the glass, and everyone cheers, and they hug him, and, and, and they're putting blankets on him to dry him off, and and cheering, and women are fainting. And, and that's when he realizes his nose is lighting up the church. And he's like, holy moly. And he gets every, you know, he, he helps everybody. You know, he lets women and children ride him. And he goes through the tunnel he's built and get gets him out. He's kind of, he, he kind of feels bad. He's like, you know, I buried your town uh, because I was running away. Because he, he, he tells them how his nose hasn't been working. And, and they're like, thanking, oh, no, no. And he's like, no, I need to thank you because... You know, for I just need your forgiveness for for burying your town. I'm gonna go back to the North Pole. I'll get I'll get me a load of elves and we'll dig you guys out. And that's exactly what he did. He went back to the North Pole, told them what happened, and told them his nose is working now. And he, he was testing it out when he was flying back. You know, they send down a load of elves. Santa even comes. They dig the town out. Christmas is saved. And it, it's like an irony because by bear, almost killing a bunch of people by accident, it's like I, I guess the, the the moral of this story is watch E, 
because uh, kind of if Rudolph didn't watch E, is it just E now? It used to have a E something tagline, but whatever. I mean, we all know what E is. It's the channel the Kardashians are on in America. I don't know in, in uh, other countries what if you guys have the Kardashians, but that's not important. But yes, it is. I guess Kim Kardashian saved Christmas. Rudolph's nose was broke, and the network that she somehow affiliated with, Rudolph happened to watch it, had a dream, and saved this town after he buried it and almost killed everybody. So, that's that's the story tonight, is that um, you can ruin Christmas, your nose can break, I mean, your nose can be oh so bright, and drive a sleigh, Santa's sleigh, but... You know, sometimes you fall on hard times and you lose faith in yourself and your ability. And seeing something like a story of one of the two Corys or Macaulay Culkin or I'm trying to think of other um, downfalls. I hear Macaulay Culkin's on the upswing. Obviously, Robert Downey Jr. is killing it. I think he got paid the most ever for the Iron Man 3 uh, Avengers sequel. But, you know, you can be famous if you're listening and you're famous. Do me a favor and tell some people about this podcast. But also, you know, your nose might not always be so bright, and that's okay. And it shouldn't keep you up at night because... What you could do is watch, go on a binge of TV and then bury a town near Lily Hummer. And if you have a magical nose, save the townspeople. They'll praise you for it. And that'll rekindle your belief in something. I don't know. I'm just riffing here, folks, because I'm trying to bore you to sleep. And I guess we also learned... You know, the, in episode one, part of the mystery was how, how does Rudolph's nose work? Or what, what's driving it? It seems like it's passion and anger, a little bit of anger. Rudolph's got an edge. but And, and mostly purpose. Like when his nose started working at its best, he was helping Santa. And, I mean, who knew his power? His nose had the power to superheat snow and even melt metal and glass. Pretty cool. Hopefully U.S. military doesn't try to weaponize that, but weaponizing passion and purpose, it's like a weapon of happiness or of Christmas spirit, we'll say. So just remember, if you see Kim Kardashian, Macaulay Culkin, Lindsay Lohan, Amanda Bynes, any of the any, many people, whether they're down and out or they're on the upswing, say thank you because you know what? If it wasn't for you and e-reality television, we wouldn't have had Christmas because as I've learned through a boring podcast is that you guys really inspired Rudolph to save Chris and see his nose was broke. You could just retell him the story and then tell me about it because he might be in jail at that point 
and I'm not legally responsible for any of that, any behavior. I'm not. I'm just saying, say thank you. You can retell the tale at your own. Retell the tale. Retell. Retell the tale. Retell the tale. Okay. So get, get yourself some sleep. And I'm I'm here for you. I'm posting stuff. It, and I got to tell you, like, when you can't sleep, it seems like it's it's never gonna end. And if you're still listening to this, I really pity you because. Um, but it, it does end. This too shall end. Some famous guy once said, I don't know if it was Shakespeare or Mark Twain, but, or this too shall pass. None shall pass. That was, um, Gandalf said that on the fire bridge or something, but this, this will pass. You know, this, you're going to get through whatever this, this is a bump in your road. And maybe next Christmas, you're the one inspiring Rudolph and saving Christmas. Okay. So get some rest. I'm here for you. And there's plenty of other people out there that can't sleep. So even though you might feel like you're alone, you're not. And this Christmas, I give you my heart. Okay, so take it away. Or give it away. I don't, I don't care. Because you need to go to sleep, all right? Go to sleep. Get some rest. Who's looking at you, kid? <laughs> Sorry. Uh-oh. I don't, I don't know. I get, I'm getting goofy now, and the, maybe that just get out of bed and, and uh, do something if, if you're still listening to this, or maybe you're falling asleep. Maybe you were asleep and I woke you up when I just laughed, and I'm, I'm now you're not going to get back to sleep. And now I just triggered negative thought process, a shame spiral, as Stuart Smalley would say. But no, go ahead and get some sleep, all right? Or if not, just go and do something relaxing and. and Okay, it's going to be all right. Trust me. You don't know me. I'm a perfect stranger. Faceless. Just telling boring tales. And so, trust me. I'm the one who told you how... I'm giving Kim Kardashian credit for saving Christmas. Doesn't that make me trustworthy? Please. All right. Good night. Welcome to Sleep With Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep. And that's backed by my personal guarantee, I'm Dearest Scooter. What I'm going to do is tell you a bedtime story. And that's going to help you put aside your whatever's racing through your mind at night, whatever you're worrying about that's keeping you up. You'll just get in bed, curl up, press play, and listen to my story. And it's going to get more and more boring as it goes on, and it's going to help you drift off in a dreamland. And I'm pretty sure I've been blessed with the superpower of telling boring stories. So if you listen to this podcast for like a week and it doesn't work for you, let me know. It's at Dearest Scooter on Twitter, Dearest Scooter, and feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com. And if you follow me on Twitter or you check out our website, sleepwithme, www.sleepwithmepodcast.com, you'll find a lot of sleep tips and sleep news and maybe that'll help you. But it, again, if this podcast does not work for you, email me or hit me on Twitter. And I'll try to work with you one-on-one to see if we can uncover what's keeping you awake. And this isn't some kind of sales pitch that I'm looking to sell you some vitamins or some like coaching sessions or anything like that. It's uh, I've just been there. 
So, and like I said, I enjoy for some reason being boring and telling stories. And that's the purpose of podcasts. That's it. It's to help bore you to sleep. If you like the podcast or you don't like it or you have any anything, let me know. Feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com or at Dearest Scooter. And those of you listening, I really appreciate it. I hope I'm helping you fall asleep at night. You can tell someone else about the podcast. I know a lot of you have. Or review and rate us on iTunes. Um, I know in the U.S. I'm having, in some other countries, we're getting a lot of good reviews, and I appreciate it. But any of you U.S. listeners, uh, review and rate us on iTunes, please. It'll increase our visibility and help us help other people be bored to sleep. So thank you again, and on to the show. Tonight we conclude all our Christmas hullabaloo with uh, the end of our North Pole Chronicles, which was, if this is the first time you're listening, uh, take on what was going on in the North Pole during The Walking Dead. I was just always curious, like, if Santa, you know, how, how, how how's a zombie apocalypse impact Christmas? And we've been going through what's been going at the North Pole. If you, this is your first time listening, you can just go to www.com. The three W's dot sleepwithmepodcast.com slash North Pole, and you can find all the episodes there. But basically, Santa's right-hand man has been following through uh, on Christmas, and I don't want to give too much away, spoil any spoiler alerts, so if you haven't listened, go ahead and check it out. But if you have, you know what's going on, and you can stop right now if you don't. But, you know, Rupert's been following through on Christmas, and you know it was kind of like uh, they they do a kind of communications lockdown at Christmas time. Unfortunately, the elf that's been sneaking me these uh, MP3 files of Rupert's uh, speeches and uh, captain's logs, more or less, he said he, something happened. I don't know. And he sent me a couple flashcards, and they were damaged. And he sent me a backup email, and I've been having I've been trying to piece together what's been happening. I had to get this up tonight, so I'm trying to get it together as we go along. I've got this um, supercomputer that I I bought uh, on eBay that's processing the audio files as we go. But I want to make sure to get this up because it's you know the day after Christmas, it's Boxing Day. Happy Boxing Day to all you boxers and unboxers and reboxers, regifters and returners, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What we're gonna um, we're gonna be winging it, I guess is what I'm saying. And so the first, uh, I, I'm just going to go kind of introduce the segment and go to, cut to Rupert, um, just because it's out, stuff's out of order, it seems like. So here we go. Chief, this is Rupert reporting in. Christmas is over. The delivery, uh, I don't, I don't know what to say, Chief. I think we hit everybody, uh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I mean, I'm just ecstatic. I've never, I don't know if I'm feeling, I might be feeling joy, Chief, believe it or not. Or it might just be, I haven't slept. It feels like a couple years have gone by, Chief, but it's wonderful. The kids, the parents, the faces, there's like the cookies. People make cookies, chiefs, chief. Cookies during his... There's zombies killing people everywhere. 
I mean, I, I, I don't want to get into that part, but there's still people making cookies. I mean, that's the most beautiful... I, can't, I don't even know what to say. And... I, I'm changed, Chief. I mean... There's something... I hate to sound cliche, but... Something lit up inside me tonight. And I don't I don't think there's any going back. I can see now. I mean, I tried to put it all together over the past few months why you were doing this and and now now it all makes sense all the dedication all the years a whole year's worth of work and now even with everything that's going on it's magical you're right we're just getting we're zeroing in on the north pole and i don't know if it's just my internal glee but it feels like the sun's rising even though it's on a pot that's not possible maybe it's the northern lights oh, hold, hold on chief yeah we're, we're get, huh it seems like uh oh, the sky's weird color is that, that fire Okay, so that was like, okay, so the computer's feeding me another one. Here here we go. I'm just going to go straight into it. These are not, not sure these are going to be in order. Um, here we go. Here's the next report from Rupert. Chief, uh, we're, we're at 50%. Um, it's been harrowing so far. I'm tired. But I'm going to keep going. I don't know how I'm going to make it through the night, but you did it and I'm going to do it. I mean, it's going good so far, but I, I don't know. I'm, I think I'm just in a rough patch right now, Chief. I, I'm gonna, the elves are telling me to drink some cocoa. What I really I, I need something stiffer, but that's going to dull my wits. So, all right, Rupert out. Chief, this is Rupert. Uh, we lost our first bell snickel. It's been about 15, 30 stops. I don't know. Uh, zombies just came in. Bell snickel threw himself between us and the zombies. And they took him down. We got out of there. Uh, presents were delivered. I don't know if the, I don't know, Chief, if the present, the P, I don't know. We're going, we're keeping going, though. Rupert out. Chief, we just did our first stop. Uh, it was pretty cool. We, uh, went into a house. I went, uh, you know, I can't, I, I'm not going to, in case this gets leaked, I'm not going to talk about any classified stuff, but, you know, I was there under the, they had a tree. It was textbook, Chief. I don't know, maybe this was one that I was set up ahead of time because I didn't see any kids or family or humans, but presents are under the tree, Chief. So, count one for the good guys. Chief, uh, we, uh, we, we accidentally killed someone. 
Or, well, it was an accident. A couple humans tried to take the sleigh. Krampus and the Bell Snickles were able to get most of them away, but one guy, he had a gun. Who was going to take the sleigh? We're at about 65%. I couldn't let that happen, Chief. There's blood on my hands. And I'm not going to let it ruin Christmas, but it was on the naughty list. He would have killed us all. But killing zombies one thing. I, I've probably taken I've taken a lot down tonight, Chief. They're everywhere. I was thinking about you, smashing the skulls in. But this is different. I looked him in the eye. He was alive. For a second. Well. Look, just go on with Christmas, Chief. I'm just going to keep going. Hey, Chief. Uh, night's, you know, going. But we just did my hometown. And flew over my house that I was born and raised in. And it was pretty cool, Chief. There's uh, some survivors not too far away. They were uh, huddled up in a, in a, in a hospital. They had a decent amount of people. They knew we were coming. They were caroling. They even had a, a Christmas tree running by, you know, lighted up with lights on the roof, car batteries. The kids were awake. They are asking me if they were going to be naughty for waiting up and they're hugging me. I felt, I mean, I, I, being back in the Rust Belt, Chief, reminded me of a lot of things. Yeah. It was nice. Okay, I just want to prepare everybody because I had listened to the, the computer's done spitting out, recovering what I can from these cards, and I just want to prepare you guys for, if you've, if you've got small children, they shouldn't be listening to this anyway, but, uh, I mean, it's, it's craft of Christmas, so, gee, Sir Rupert, it wasn't the Northern Lights, it was... Well, you know, according to the security protocols put in place, according to the security protocols put in place, when we agreed to taking refugees into the valley, well, you know what the protocols called for. It's not the elves' fault. They followed, followed orders. Reindeer Valley's gone. Everyone, and it's gone. 
They were overrun. They started, I guess they started celebrating early and, you know, there's more fire than called for. People were carried away, got carried away. No one knows. From reports we're getting, it could have been somebody had a heart attack or suicide. I don't know. But it spread through the camp. Alarm was sounded. Airstrike was made. So, Reindeer Valley's gone. Refugees we have are gone. My wife is gone. She's gone. I'm, I have. Flew down, flew over. It's nothing but a burning, charred mess down there. Some, still some zombies. So we're gonna have to work with our. I mean, this is supposed to be when we celebrate up here. Right? The garbage. Me. I don't know, Chief. I don't know what to expect now. It's like I got too high. Got ha I was at. I don't know. Should have never let my guard down, Chief. Been happy. But that Christmas joy and those weaknesses was a mistake. And now I'm paying for it. I'm a fool. And I'm going to have to, I mean, now I don't have any choice but to keep going, but there's no Christmas in this heart, Chief, and I'm sorry to say that. Christmas, that Christmas got burned up. Burned up the same night. Maybe I burned it up. I don't know. I should have never believed in that. Fall victim to hope. And I hate to end the year on this. Like, don't worry, Chief. I'm not gonna. I'm a soldier now. I'm not gonna let you down. But. Part of me's left. I guess on that. I just leave that. Leave it behind with those kids on that rooftop. I hope they make it now. Wow. That's some uh, solemn thoughts. Chain of events to take place in the North Pole. And I got to say, my heart goes out to Rupert, to Mrs. Claus, to everybody. Just because Rupert's lost hope, I guess in the spirit of Boxing Day, we shouldn't lose hope that, you know, there isn't something better out there. Isn't that the spirit of Boxing Day? Like, you take a gift that you got that and you're like, eh, you know, this is okay, but I could probably go to the store and get something better and it might be on sale, so I could probably 
maybe take this forty gift, forty dollar gift, and parlay it into like an eighty or ninety dollar gift because I got the receipt that Aunt Mildredge gave me, and I'm gonna bring it down on Boxing Store, and you know, or, or the Boxing Store, where you buy gloves or boxes, I don't know which one. You know, I always thought if I had a friend that worked in the box business, I'd call him the Corrugator. That'd be a cool nickname, the Corrugator. But anyway, you know, Spirit of Boxing, you get it in your heart. You go down there to the shops. Ooh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give myself a deal. Whether you're, I guess, little kids don't get to do Boxing Day because that can be a slap in the face to the parents. But teens, college students. Young adults, older adults, maybe older adults. Maybe once you hit, at what age does it become unfashionable? Or, or I guess you've just given up at a certain age. I don't know, 40, 50. Yeah, that's my gift. Yeah, yeah you know, kind of like Rupert. But don't give up. Don't be like Rupert or people over a certain age that take a gift. They look a gift horse in the mouth. I don't. Do they look a gift horse in the mouth or not? I mean, what is, but the spirit of boxing, that's why we're here. It's the 26th. It's the date of magic because everybody's boxing, rebox. I don't know. In America, we have a lame boxing day. You know, we got to work, a lot of us. I wish, I think I was in Canada once for a wonderful boxing day. And I would love to celebrate Boxing Day with my friends around the world. Especially with the sadness we just had to listen to. Because the spirit of Boxing Day is that the grass is always greener. And if it isn't, you don't have to. You can go check. And This is the one time of year, the one day of the year where you can actually... Most of the time it's uncouth to find out if the grass is always greener. It's like, oh no, you know, the grass is always greener. That's like a bad thing. But on Boxing Day, it's true. You can go out to the store and say, well, I got this sweater. It's not bad, but is there something better out there? Oh, wait, there is. There's a laser, a laser gun on sale. I can trade in this sweater for this scratching that laser gun that's worth, I mean, now my enemies are doomed. Or, you know, a robot. I mean, maybe you're not going to get a gift that good. Maybe you'll just get a sweater that actually fits you. Or... Say your job, at your job it's illegal to wear sweaters. You could get a shirt. So that's what Boxing Day is all about. It's one day of the year where you can see if the grass is always greener. I mean, in Rupert's case, you can't do that because, much like other people on this podcast, the template or the archetype is uh, Uncle Owen and Aunt Maru. You know, his wife's burnt to a crisp. It's sad. The grass isn't greener for him, even though it's Boxing Day. But that's not real. It, the real Boxing Day is about finding something else out there that's better than what you got. And sure, 364 days a year, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to just tough, tough luck, bud. <laughs> I don't know. What I'm trying to say is, um, you know, don't get your hopes down by listening to this downer of a podcast because even though it's the eve of Boxing Day or it might be gone, it's only a year away. That day when the grass can be greener. Or at least you can check. So, oh, wait, the grass isn't that great. The sweater, maybe the sales girl, maybe you're a guy like me. Go in, you got the sweater. I don't know why I'm fixated on sweaters, but 
I mean, this is, I'm ashamed to say this because it happened when I was way too old, but I got a sweater from my aunt and uncle and I cried because I didn't get a toy. And it was embarrassing for my parents. It was embarrassing for my aunt and uncle. It was not embarrassing for me at the time, though it should have been humiliating. I mean, I couldn't, I can't, I'm ashamed to say how old I was. I was probably hoping for a G.I. Joe or a Transformer, but, you know, no one, no one told me about the spirit of Boxing Day at that time. So maybe that's why I'm fixated on sweaters. But whatever, what if I say I go get off this podcast, go down to the shopping mall, I've got this sweater that I'm like, eh, and the sales girl, I'm like, you know, I'd like to return this and see if the grass is always green, and the sales girl's like, well, can you put that on? She's like, oh, well, it's quite fetching on you, um, I wouldn't return that. Like, oh, well, you're quite fetching yourself uh, in your sweater, what do you say we uh, <laughs> take the sweater, I don't know, you know? Something magical could happen, and that's the spirit of Boxing Day. And, you know, no one has to know you returned their gift. I mean, how good is your aunt's memory that she'd be, oh, you could just be like, oh, this is the sweater you gave me. A lot of time I get caught in my lies, so maybe you shouldn't follow my lead. But that's all I want you to know is that just remember a year from now, let's spread the word. Let's next year, let's really celebrate Boxing Day in Rupert's wife's honor. And say, you know, this guy has this charred wife. It's The grass isn't greener for him. I mean, well, maybe it is. Maybe he's going to find out something magical. But in that honor, you know, let's take this one day a year and say, is the grass greener? And check it out. And let's be honest with ourselves. The sweater, like I said, it could be a portal to love. It could be a portal to a laser gun or a robot. It could be a portal to a shirt so I'm not fired from my job where I can't wear sweaters, which would be probably like the shirt emporium or like a, someplace with a lot of stuff, like maybe the Apple store, you can't wear a sweater there because it's so staticky. But Apple probably has got that covered with their, uh, you know, they probably, you know, they don't have to worry about sex. But it, let, let's just let's just sign off here. If you're not already bored to sleep, at least maybe I, I, by my love of Boxing Day is at least leaving you on a better note than uh, how things ended up for Rupert and Santa Claus. Uh, Christmas did go through, so, you know, that's the upside, folks. There's tons of people now in the zombie apocalypse with survival kits and weapons, and the kids got some toys. So thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope in 2014 to keep helping you help put you to sleep. We've got some I've got some uh, new ideas, uh, a couple new serials, serial stories, not serial, like, yeah, uh, Sleep With Me, Pebbles, you know, no, I'm sorry, no, serial stories. So, and if you there's something you want to hear, hit me up, feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com. Thank you so much. Enjoy your New Year's. Uh, this will be coming out, what, Boxing Day Eve, All Boxers Eve. Well, that would have been the 25th. Well, let's just say it's all Boxers Eve anyway. And I'm, I'll be in Boxers for that. And I think I'll have something up on New Year's Eve. Um, but that's it. Have a great, great New Year's. Safe, sound, and sleepy. Thanks a lot.